Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. podcast that celebrates all movies from Sublime to the Suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Williams. And now we're on episode two of our Sergio Leone series, and we're mixing it up. Going from one of his beginnings where you can kind of see everything happening from um, Fistful of Dollars to just a true blown out masterpiece. Um, I'm essentially breaking up the clints is, is what, I'm, uh, what I'm doing. Uh, but we are heading into the final frontier with a masterpiece double of Nicholas Meyer's Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, to Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West. For this kind of heavyweight double, I needed the best. Uh, first up, he's the host of Chainsaw and Claws. He is one of the great movie Myers, the professor, if you will. It is Rob Antiquera. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I need to stop with that. Like, I'm just... <laughs> please, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Breasting out Lindsay is embarrassing the fuck out of me already. <laughs> <laughs> that is how we do it on Schlockadol. Yeah, we um, we praise you to the point we are on the floor going, no! Um, but no, thank you for coming on and, and coming on for this, because, um, yeah. Oh, of course, Lindsay, thank, always, oh, thank you for having me, as always. You know what I'm saying? It is always an honor and a pleasure to come on here and talk to you. And, of course, you know, to, to, to finally get to chop it up with... Uh, uh, our second, your second guest uh, of this uh, episode. Uh, because our second guest came up with this double and I was watching these movies, I realized how genius this double is. So of course, only Preston Mitchell could have come up with it. Hey, Preston, hey, how's it going? Oh, goodness. Well, first off, thank you uh, for e- to you each for like the, the, the flattering, uh, uh, flattering compliments off mic and et cetera. It, it's a pleasure being back, Lindsay. You know, I've been on uh, SETI Alpha 5, Buried Alive. Um, but it's it's good to it's good to be back uh, and to get the chance to meet Rob. This is a uh, this is a match made in heaven. Once uh, once uh, you you let you let us know that we will be uh, we will be like introduced in this manner. So this is this is awesome. No, considering how quickly they just jumped into uh, Star Trek references that I had no idea what was happening. It's just like I'm like this is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, as, as Kristen said, um, I don't know my phases for my five, five of sevens, and it's kind of true. So there will be many dumb starter questions happening from me going, okay, so anyway, but this is an amazing double. Both these movies are kind of perfect. Yeah, we actually might as well just jump into it because there's going to be a lot to go on with with these. So as I like to imagine, we're sitting in a very comfortable, because this is going to be a long double. Um, theater, curtains are opening. Let's start with uh, Preston. What is going to be your trailer for Breath of Khan? Ooh. Okay. Well, um, I, I see Rathacon in Star Trek by extension as very much kind of a modern take on the swashbuckling genre. 
um, it, it's very, it very much has its roots in the Western genre as well, which I think also makes uh, a Trek movie analogous to the other film in, 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 a root, in a root sense. But I decided to go with kind of a more modern swashbuckler in a movie that I think like the fans who love it, love it, but it's still a movie that not enough people talk about and something that I actually need to revisit because it's been a few years. And that's Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, 2003, directed by Peter Ware. Lads, that's wood, Mr. Blakeney. Turn three times. May the Lord of Saints preserve. Just a broken house. You're in very good hands. Seven weeks sailing, and he happened on our exact position. Well, then perhaps he was looking for us. Damn, he was good. An act of war will cripple them. With basic repairs, we can get home as we are. We're not going home. The power of nature will threaten them. Our enemy has more than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers, and we are supposed to stop them. Torn between fulfilling his duty. Captain's not called Lucky Jack for no reason. Phantom or no, Lucky Jack, I love it. I love it, go on. Well, basically, um, if, if people don't know, uh, it takes place in uh, 1805 aboard the HMS Supreme. Um, Captain Aubrey, played by Russell Crowe, um, and his trusted friend, who's the ship's surgeon, played by Paul Bettany, and what I feel is one of his best performances. They're ordered to hunt down and capture a powerful French vessel off the South American coast. And um, although Napoleon at around this time is winning the war and, uh, and, and, the, and the crew face an onslaught of obstacles, um, Captain Aubrey is determined that nothing will, will, will stop the, 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 oh, excuse me, I said Supreme, surprise, <laughs> from completing its mission. And um, uh, it, it's just, I think this is just a, fan, a fantastic movie. Um, I am, um, I mean, in any other weekend that it came out or year that came out, um, I, don't, I think it's the weekend. I think it came out the same weekend as Pirates of the Caribbean, Crystal Black Pearl, oh. um, another movie that's 20 years old. And, and so that movie became uh, a massive success and spawned sequels like this one, despite being based on a series of books, um, kind of uh, uh, bombed uh, financially, even though critics uh, really enjoyed it. And of course it's gained, both films have gained a following amongst um, adventure movie fans and, and fans of these types of stories. And um, it's a movie I watched uh, quite, a, quite a bit as a kid. Um, uh, and I think upon rewatching it uh, uh, pretty soon, because when I w- watched Wrath of Khan uh, literally yesterday, I was just like, yeah, I've got, I've got to watch Master Commander because Kirk is so that type and, and Khan is so the, the, the yang to that yin in so many ways that that would be um, pretty, pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, that's my trailers, Master and Commander. No, this is amazing because I, yeah, I was a, just had become obsessed with those uh, Master and Commander books by Patrick mm-hmm. O'Brien, I want to say. Um, I probably have a whole bunch of them behind me somewhere. Yeah, I do. So when I heard they were doing a movie, I was super excited. And it, I was a little bit cool on my first watch purely because they weren't exactly what I had in my head. But over the years I have, and then when I went to Pirates of the Caribbean, I was expecting a very dumb movie. And then I got like one of the best action ship scenes that I've seen in a movie when they're like turning around and doing that whole thing. I'm like, yes! But no, I have come to love Master and Commander so, so much. Like it is um, just incredible. So it's, yeah, that has become a comfort movie for for me. Rob, you've seen uh, Master and Commander? No. 
Oh, <laughs> you've got such a treat of hitting you. It's kind of no, uh, yeah. I have a funny story. I, goes big in this. It's amazing. I, I have a funny story. <laughs> um, me and my father were both interested in watching Master and Commander when uh, like it first came out. We didn't get to see it in theaters, but um, uh, when it was coming out on DVD, uh, he wanted to get it, and I wanted to get it. So I was like, "No, wait till I get it first, and then like I'll tell you how it is, and, and you could get it." Which uh, he didn't like, so he ended up getting it anyway. I was like, "Oh, you got it?" And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "What'd you think? How was it?" He said, "I didn't like it." So I was like, "Well, thanks for me saving me thirty bucks, Pop." <laughs> 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 and to this day, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've heard many good things about it, so I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. But um, yeah, that's the reason why I have not checked out Master and Commander yet. But yeah, I, I wanted to say like, it, it, it always bothers me how like Pirates of the Caribbean was like the uh, resurgence of like the swashbuckling genre and it's like yeah yeah did Cutthroat Island dirty back in the day because Cutthroat Island is so much fun and I'm just like like what was wrong with Cutthroat Island? Cutthroat Island is just a massive blast and yeah let it become one of the biggest bombs of all time and everybody's like Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, eh, I, I don't care. Um, it, it, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think it may be, and this is just straight out, like, uh, I'm just trying to surmise here, because I do um, actually really like Cutthroat Island uh, myself. I, I think that's a really, really, um, I, I feel like it's one of those that, like, fans know about. Like, if, like, yeah. if, you, if you know, you know type of things. Because it has that bomb reputation, so people stay away from it. I think, I think with Pirates of the Caribbean, the at least the the the, the instantaneous success of that first movie, uh, creating that franchise, I think it had to do with the fact that critics walked in expecting a Disney theme park adaptation being just com- a complete shitstorm, kind of yeah. like what Lindsay yeah. was saying. Like I expect this to be dumb, and so when yeah. they got something that was at least competently made, and um, and also you had Johnny Depp, so he had the indie cred before that. He got that. nominated um, think, for this movie, like he was nominated Academy for supporting. Yeah. yeah, but that's how much yeah. it surprised everyone. Um, and I think um, Cutthroat Cut Island is a straight up swashbuckle. It doesn't hide what it is. With I think Master and Commander and the Black Pearl absolutely kind of hide behind a different genre when it comes to the swash buckle. They, because um, mm. it wasn't that far away, it was only like six or seven years from Cutthroat Island, but I think from my, I haven't seen it in a while, but my memory of it is that it is just a straight up swash buckle, buckle adventure with pirates, where there's uh, Pirates of the Caribbean hides behind the fantasy and supernatural um, horror. And the supernatural kind of horror. So it's got a few things going on. And uh, again, no one was expecting that movie to be good. And then, when you watch and master and commander has a sheen of propriety like this is a historical movie that we're being historically correct so all the mm-hmm. navy nerds are going in going yes i even though not many people went and saw it it's still got that sheen of something else when it's just two guys dicking around on a boat which is um which is what the series is it's two friends a captain and a doctor hanging out and the doctor keeps telling the captain that he's fat and he needs to run around the um ship about six times um so it's <laughs> It's a running gets cut becomes a running joke. It's so no, I love this trailer. I love this movie. I think Rob, you're gonna have something just yeah, you're gonna have some fun when you watch this. I don't know how you'll will react to it, but um it is it's it's Peter Weir, so it's got a sheen of um mm. piety, of politeness in, in front of it. But 
um no that that is a fantastic fantastic track. i love that movie so much just, just real quick i just realized uh preston yeah you are a big peter weir fan aren't you i i love peter weir i think he's so underrated um there's one big one of his um that i've never seen but everything else i've i've seen from him is 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 really it kind of speaks to me i don't know like master and commander like because i like swashbucklers and it's a more mm. serious kind of like what Lindsay was saying of like i think that was actually probably one of my first like period uh drama yeah. uh, drama type movies because because uh, i think a lot of people expected okay like it's it's same time as pirates like pirates of the caribbean I'm going to have that kind of fun and it's not Verbinski, but no witness. I love, I know you and I have, have chatted about that in the past. Yeah. That's uh, why I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause um, when um, I was still doing uh, cinema drunkies, well, when I was uh, kind of like moving away from doing cinema drunkies that the, me and Preston had talked about him coming on the show. Although your, your first choice was uh, to do was uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. And uh, I so wanted to do that, but uh, you know, I was like, my my co-host is not going to be able to acquire that movie, and which was a bummer. So it's like you said, you had suggested Witness, and it's like Witness might work, and then it's just like I ended up walking away from the show. So it's just like you know, we never got to do it, which always bummed me because I, I really wanted to you know converse with Preston about movie because I always admired him and respected him and and his thoughts on movies. So it's like. When when you brought a master commander and Peter Weir, it was like, yeah, that the the sounds about right. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, thank you for the for your kind words. Like, um, you're someone that I really look look to and respect as well. Like in the um, especially in the film appreciation space and the genre film appreciation space, there's been a lot of times where you've podcasted, uh, both hosted and guested, where like you've said some things about kind of the uh, almost the separationism between genres that a lot of contemporary film fans have that um and 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 where i'm like okay getting the raw take on this i'm like okay someone is saying how i feel and i don't always know how to articulate or maybe don't even have the courage to so thank you for that um and yeah i i didn't oh, make stop. that connection on master and commander <laughs> <laughs> i didn't make that connection on master and commander um with the peter Ware, but that that it, it does track with i guess my taste but yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, so getting into it, um, since we are talking Star Trek, uh, my my trailer is uh, is is actually the 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 next film in in the series, and is also the film that got me into Star Trek, and that is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Help me, Jim. Take me home. Once we are, we are home then perhaps it's not too late. The Enterprise is 20 years old. We'd hope to take her back to Genesis. In your absence, Genesis has become a galactic controversy. Until the Federation Council makes policy, you are all under orders not to discuss with anyone your knowledge of Genesis. May I ask why? Consider it a quarantine planet and a forbidden subject. I've come a long way for the power of Genesis. What do I find? A weakling human, a Vulcan boy, and a woman. I love the fact that this is your favorite. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It is. I, I just have an obsession with part threes for some reason. You know what I'm saying? If if, if you notice that, like, I, I'm constantly posting about like 
part threes and i, I just don't know why i just have an obsession with part threes um like literally uh i uh recently i, I went to best buy to pick up scream six but i also ended up buying creed three and uh mission impossible three the steel books and it's just like and then i showed it i, I showed it to to, to to the homies and, and larry was like you should have bought scream three instead and it's like they didn't have a steel book for that so i didn't get it <laughs> <You know? laughs> they need a, they, so to be fair they do need a steel book for scream three like <laughs> they, need a, they, they need a steel book for all of them because scream yeah, is life um, scream is life yeah yeah, if, if you listen to Chainsaws and Claws, you you see how obsessed me and, and Patrick are. are oh yes, are obsessed we are with Scream. Oh, we know. Um, we know. Um, yeah, speaking of you know, uh, Rob, sometimes articulating things that you didn't think about, how you didn't know how to articulate before. Sometimes I'm just going to stop myself and go, put your phone away because you're just going to um, DM Patrick and Rob and just insult them by going, "What the hell?" Yeah, she goes, "You nuts!" And then so I'm like, "No, just put it away. Just put it away." <laughs> Because I had to like go, Patrick. You don't like the mummy, the the nineteen thirty two mummy. Um, he's like, no. I'm like, no. Robert's right. That movie's a master romantic masterpiece. <laughs> right, right. Just, yeah, just stop commenting on everything they say in that show. Let's <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, Star Trek three, uh, the search for Spock is my favorite uh, Star Trek anything, simply because like I'm biased because it was the first Star Trek. Thing, anything I ever seen from Star Trek, so it was like I knew that Spock dies at the end of Wrath of Khan because I watched Star Trek three before Wrath of Khan. But uh, I, it is, it is one of those movies where it's like, you know, obviously, you know, the the plot is that you know, spoilers for like forty year old movies. Uh, Spock dies, of course, at the end, uh, at the end of Wrath of Khan, and. Uh, Part three is they, they find out there's a way they can bring him back. So uh, Kirk and the rest of the crew decide to commandeer the Enterprise and go and search for him. And, you know, they get mixed up with, uh, you know, the, those crazy clean-ons and all that stuff. But um, it, it is it is one of those films where it's just like I, I watch and, and it, it just makes me miss, like, that old-school style of filmmaking because it's like when... I, I think about like action sequences of like today's type of blockbuster. Like I literally, me and Patrick uh, did, cause like in the midst of doing our regular episodes, we've decided to like, you know, we're going to do like episodes, like side episodes where we just like bullshit, like we naturally do because um, whenever we like, as, as, as you've noticed that uh, we, we make particularly long episodes. Um, I, re- I remember that being a thing where uh, they were discussing who makes longer episodes, us or Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, as someone who also makes long episodes, I, I understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But particularly me and Lindsay, like you know, we have three and a half hour episodes, and uh, it's like, oh yeah, it's me and her too. I yeah. get it. Yeah. I get it. I think that that's Lindsay and everybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay gets anybody on here, you're getting a three hour episode. Oh, it, I felt it, so it, bad. Mike was like, I have nothing else to say. I'm like, oh, it's still been over two hours. He's like, yeah, I was a bit to him and come on on for four. I'm like, I'm sorry, Mike. At least I didn't keep it that long. I know. I was like, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> People are speaking that for like three hours of content. I'm like, you don't have to. <laughs> no, so yeah. Um, well, but like, yeah, and I'll never forget that. Uh, Patrick exclaimed, I try to keep it at a reasonable length. And Chris goes, yeah, Rob's a talker. Um, and I'm like, why, why, why is that me? Like, Patrick is there as well. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he does half the talking. Why am I the one that's considered a talker? 
know what I'm saying? But you know, it is what it is. But uh, like we had literally conducted an episode where I was just, uh, I just became depressed about the, the state of movies in this day. And it was like, I mentioned like movies like The Hunt for Red October and how like The Hunt for Red October was considered a big studio blockbuster. And it's just like, like it's 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 135 minutes and two hours of that is just people talking in a submarine and it's the most exciting thing and uh star trek 3 is the same thing where it's like the stealing of the enterprise sequence in star trek 3 is probably the, one of the most exciting sequences i've ever seen in a movie and it's like such a more tension-filled action sequence if you could call it that you know what i'm saying because people look at that mm -hmm. it's just like it's just a spaceship backing up but it's filled with more tension with this you know the starship backing up than like you know Patrick's gonna hate me but uh the climax of endgame where it's just like 30 minutes of like just the ugliest fucking thing i've ever seen in my life um it's ugly but exciting like that. yeah they never had to pull the pull strings but that that, that how it looks is mud yeah I mean, it's it, yeah, it's, it's they're just depending on you being excited about like everybody coming together to fight Thanos, and it's like this this whole sequence looked like it was filtered with puke and dog shit. It is ugly, just insanely ugly, and and <laughs> the fact that people were just like, oh my god, this is amazing, and it's like how, and I'm just like whatever, you know, that's you know that's your bag. You know, that's what you like, you know, like what you like. But I'm just like, I, I think this is dog shit, this whole thing. And then it's just like, I remember like the days when we would get uh, like movies, like big studio movies, like Star Trek three and their, their biggest action sequences, the spaceship backing up and them trying to open the door so they don't crash into the doors. And it's a thousand times more exciting than anything, you know what I'm saying? You will see in, in, in modern day movies. Well, you know, I, w I won't say everything because, uh, Extraction 2 was pretty damn great uh, in John Wick 4. So, like, you know, there are still movies that are entertaining, which Patrick is trying to, you know, needle into my head. Like, there are movies that are, movies are still good. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not seeing enough. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... <laughs> oh, the meta conversation is being pressed of it head on this exact thing. Yeah, no, we get, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like it, it's, it's Star Trek is also like, it, it's, it's a, Star Trek 3 is a beautiful film of just like friendship. You know, and also it's like they, they, there's like that that final sequence where they resurrect Spock, and it's just like there's that one moment at the at the end of it where Spock is like starting to remember, like you know, Jim, your name is Jim, and and this is like yeah, like you know, he does the eyebrow raise, it's like yeah, our, our boy is back, and all the rest of the crew just rushes it's like hey Spock, you're back, and the way just Kirk just stands there and looks like my boy. Like there he is, you know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't embrace him or nothing. He just stands there. It's just like it, that. That's enough for him. It's just like my my boy is back, and you know that that's all that mattered. And it's just like it's it's a wonderful thing for us. Like it's, it's particularly in this one as well, because there's one sequence in the Wrath of Khan where it's just like I love so much, um, which we, we I will bring up when we get into the main discussion. But um, I, I I love Star Trek three. You know what I'm saying? People consider it like one of the bad ones because there's that odd number, Even number, odd number, yeah, yeah. odd number, yeah. yeah. And it's like I, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I believe they're all um, great. Well, except Nemesis. Um, yeah, I was gonna say there is, there is a movie. 
Star Trek movie called Nemesis. That isn't exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck Stewie Beard, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great editor. He's a great yeah. editor, though. He is a great, and, and he is he is like uh, a good director because Executive Decision is a fantastic movie, and um, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of uh, U.S. Marshals as well. I know Andy is because um, Andy ended up doing the the episode uh, with right. you uh, discussing. Yeah, that's how we met. Is we both like U.S. Marshals. Right, right, right. I remember Andy started that shitstorm on Twitter about uh, him preferring U.S. Marshals to the Fugitive, and everybody was just like, it just became a war on Twitter. Like everybody was involved. It was like people like U.S. Marshals over the Fugitive, and it's well, like, yeah. So what about even yeah, even Andy walked that back. He's like, well, no, not technically more than the Fugitive anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's not that, that's not what he's saying because I understand what Andy is saying. It's not that he thinks U.S. Marshals is a better movie. He just prefers it. Uh, and, you know, it's like that. It's just it's a matter of taste and thing. Like you could recognize that well, the film is is better, but you just want to watch. Prefer, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think uh, I I don't want to put. I think I think Andy said like uh, he he knows the fugitive is better, but I think I I want to say other people were saying that U.S. Marshall they thought U.S. Marshals was yeah. better, and so that's what spurred on the debate. Because I think when he finally showed up to Slock and Awe, he was like, "Hey, Lindsay, like, uh, we, we, the, the, this is not better than the future, but we're here to talk about this." And yeah. then that's how y'all, yeah, you met and, and whatnot. So that yeah. was that was cool. But yeah, because it started yeah, off saying the I, best, I, yeah, best character introduction is Tommy Lee Jones with the chicken, uh, the chicken suit. Which, to be fair, <laughs> it is. Because um, he that, even that, looks angry to be in there, and I still don't understand how they got him in that suit in the first place. Because uh, it's Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones looks angry in everything. Yeah, he looks particularly angry in the chicken suit. Like the way he's cocking his gun is like, oh, he's going to do some actual violence here. He is not. He is not happy. For the like, same role he won an Oscar for. That's what yeah. blows my mind about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Can, can I can I tell you a funny story real quick? The, yeah. My father works in the, uh, the 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 Paramount Global Building, which used to be the Viacom Building, um, uh, and uh, he. There was like a premiere, and um, uh, he was just like doing his rounds because he works in maintenance, as do I. Um, he noticed somebody standing in the hallway, and there's not supposed to be, be anybody in the hallway. So he was like, Excuse me, sir. Like, you know, there's nobody supposed to be standing in the hallway. And he turned around, and it was Tommy Lee Jones. And he's like, Oh, oh, shit. Like, you know, he was shocked, like Tommy Lee Jones. And Tommy Lee Jones turned around and looked at him like, You talking to me? So, like, he, you know, he was starstruck, and he was like, Yeah. Like, you know, oh my god, I'm Senator Tom Lee Jones, but yeah, you gotta get the fuck out of the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's like, I love you, but you're not meant to be here. Go away. <laughs> like, 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 let, let, me tell, let me tell you, my father has met many celebrities and you know he is starstruck, but that's not gonna stop him from doing his job. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like if, if you're somewhere you're not supposed to be like however big star you are. You have to get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love uh, that. So do I. And, I, and I love the fact that you, you played this as a trailer because I think, because um, something I was going to ask both y'all was like, what are y'all's thoughts on Star Trek 3? Because I'm actually um, um, a, a fan of it as well. Like, I think it's, I think it's really, really good. I think it's uh, pretty under. Uh, let me put it this way: I think it's it's overhated because I hear yes. all the time that it, it's it's a bad movie. And then every time I watch it, I'm 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 raptured by it. Like I think, obviously, when you're it's one of these cases, and this happens with every 
masterpiece franchise film, um, you know, the follow up is going is always going to be measured unfairly uh, uh, by a live uh, a live scrutiny size. Uh, yeah. right? that's the phrase I'm looking for. And what you get is a movie that I do think properly. If you are going to make a sequel to the Mad the Con, which this movie was such a big hit, you're you're gonna ha- you're gonna have a three <laughs> in the blockbuster, the 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 Spielberg era. You're mm. gonna have that. Um, you know, it, the first movie is Spock trading his life for the life of Kirk and the Enterprise. Part three is, you know, the the Enterprise and Kirk paying back that favor to get Spock back. But Spock doesn't get his life back necessarily until uh, part four, which I think is is awesome. It's it's. Uh, so many of the uh, using that season two type of comedy to to bring Spock back to to, to Earth literally, and um, I think the I think three is such a great bridge film between um, just just three really really good films. So yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of it as well, Rob. And it's so cool to I think you've said before I think I've I've heard you say before this is your that's your favorite, but uh, I uh, it's it's cool to know it's cool to know. No, I remember. Um... There, there was a, I did a Twitter prompt like a while ago where there was like, like four of your the four images from your your favorite movies and one of them was Star Trek Three and you didn't recognize the image, which the, the image was um, them looking at the, the 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 destruction of the Enterprise you know the destroyed Enterprise falling mm-hmm. out of the sky and you was like 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 you was like it looks familiar but I can't recall exactly what it is and. Um, I think me and Mike both answered at the same time that it was Star Trek Three, and it's like, oh, and that's when you was like, oh, you like Star Trek Three, and I was like, I love Star Trek Three so much. That's the, the that's the one of the movies like where it's on TV. It's like everybody shut the fuck up. Star Trek Three is on. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anything. Only I shut up. You know what I'm saying? Like, do not disturb me in in, in my time of like you know. Meditation as I watch Star Trek Three. <laughs> but yeah, but yes, yes. Um, Star Trek Three is is my trailer for you know what I'm saying before Wrath of Khan, which makes no sense. But you know, I make no sense. So here no, it is. Well, <laughs> no, it's, it's it kind of, well, it does in the Rob way, as in the sense that it is your favorite track, but also it's kind of going to remind you of what Wrath of Khan is actually about. It's not. We're going to yeah. be talking about mm-hmm. how much we love. Um, Ricardo Altabon and uh, uh, butchering his name already um, in this, but it is actually about the relationship between um, Jim and Spock. So that's yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. as you said, when he's looking at him, that's my boy. It is about um, the friendships you make along the way kind of thing. So no, I think this is absolutely perfect. And I also do really like, I've only seen it the once because I was very late to the original, to the original cast when it comes to Star Trek. So it, um, so, but I really liked this. Like, why does everyone hate this movie? This is actually really, really good. Five, I can understand because that movie is a mess. But um, I could, I don't understand why everyone. <laughs> <laughs> <Wrong> um, <space. laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay, like, here, like, here's the thing. Let me let me get this out about Star Trek Five real quick. That 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 is that is another one. Like like actually like yeah, it, it is kind of a mess. But I didn't say it's bad. I, I, I just said it's a mess, and I can understand where people dump on it. But I don't hate Five. Here, here here's the thing. It is it is. Out of like the the original cast films, it I think is the one that understands what made the original series work at that time the best because it literally is a big budget version of TOS. 
Yeah. Um, particularly like, you know, like, like I, as, I guess in the way that Shatner looked at it, you know, because obviously, uh, um, he directed that. that he directed that. Yeah. 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 I yeah. forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, two, he, so he, the Shatner was absolutely going to get to direct. Yeah. One. Like, yeah, that was, that was his thing it was like, you know, uh, Nimoy got two, I get to direct one next. And they were like, fine, Bill, whatever you say, let, you know, let, let's go. And, um, <laughs> but like, as far as the original series goes, five is probably the one that understands like the, the camaraderie between the cast, particularly the main three, which is Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Uh, like you, the, the way it's like, you know, uh, there's there's a threat on the planet. They go down there and then the way team, uh, they get you know they get captured and uh, the 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 protagonist the, the antagonist decides to take over the ship and like. Kirk, Spock, and Bones have to work together to take the ship back, and they encounter like some 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 crazy alien and all that stuff. And it's like it's literally just a big budget version of the show. But like like for the fact that if you look at the original climax where that Shatner had wanted to do, where they was like they fought a rock monster. The rock monster literally looks like the fucking Gorn. <laughs> it, it like that's, straight up looks true. like the Gorn. If, like if you look at the rock monster, it is the Gorn in, in, in rock formation. Um, so it's like this was Shatner's idea. But the thing that I always say that this is the the, the, the part that's going to piss uh, Andy and Chris off. Sorry, guys. Um, Star Trek Five is the reason why I consider Star Trek to be the superior franchise over Star Wars because you know there's that big rivalry. Yes. Um, be- because like there is a moment in Star Trek Five where it, it is uh, where and Star Trek the motion picture as well, which is also considered another bad one, um, where it, it it gave like life lessons that I took with me to the day. Whereas, uh, as you know, that the main mm. like the primary antagonist of Star Trek Five is Cybox, uh, Spock's half brother. And uh, he has the ability to relieve people of their pain and their guilt, you know, like, you know, deliver them emotionally. So, you know, they just, you know, free and clear of any guilt they ever had and like, you know, the, the, the previous life or whatever. And when he, he does that for Spock and he does that for Bones and he attempts to do it for Kirk and Kirk refuses because Kirk's whole thing is you cannot do that because the mistakes we make in life are what make us who we are later. Right. You know, you, you cannot just be delivered from that because, you know, he said like, you know, uh, like what's he telling me, you know, I, I, I should have turned left when I turned right. You know, um, he said, if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain, you know? And that's something like I I've taken with me, you know, to, to this day where it's just like you can't live a life worth of regrets you know you made that decision it may have been the wrong one but you gotta you gotta live with it because that's who we are and just you know you live and you learn you know that old age model you know what I'm saying you live and you learn and you know that is something that you know I, I have still with me to this day and it's like that is a true life lesson in what many consider one of the worst Star Trek movies you know what I'm saying and it's like right I'm sorry, you're not getting that from Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you 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 can you can get life lessons from Star Wars, but you know you get that in the Last Jedi, and everybody fucking hates that one. So, whatever. You know? <laughs> we also have fun. 
Well, they also hate five as well. So I think those two have a lot in common uh, in terms of saying something that is human and then everyone just like going, no, shut up. And then I hate you. Um, and then moving on. So, yeah. No. And, you know, I'm saying like Last Jedi tried to deliver us like, you know, real pieces of, you know, life, but, you know, everyone hated it. So it's back to fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, Death Stars and, you know, mega weapons yeah. that have to be destroyed and fucking lightsaber duels and, you know, you know stuff so it's like that's why i consider star trek to be the superior franchise because even in its worst entries it still gives you something that stays with you like in, even in the motion picture where uh where they're entering v'ger and uh kirk notices spock is crying and spock relates them that he's crying because he he feels the pain of v'ger where it's mm, like that is a know, great scene yeah like you know where like in everyone you know they have that this existential crisis moment where there's just like they're wondering exactly what they would put on this earth to do, you know what I'm saying? And like, you know, Vija has experienced the same thing. So like he said, I weep for Vija if I, I would have, as if it were a brother, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, each of us turned to someone in, in point of life, or a, a son, you know, a father, a brother, a God, and that's why am I here? What was I put here to do? And Kirk responds, is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? And it's like, mm -hmm. that line right there was so rattling to me like, like, you know, when when I first saw, like, like, because I first saw like the motion picture, the motion picture, like, in full when I was like thirteen, and it stayed with me ever since. To the point where, like, I've even considered getting that tattooed on me. Uh. That that Kurt, like, is the sort that I am. Is there nothing more? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, is is, yeah, like even in Into Darkness, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, where where Kirk and Spock are are talking, and he's like, oh, you know, this is not what you're supposed to do. He says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I only know what I can do. And I mean, that that's another one. And it's like that's another one that's considered uh, a bad one. And it's like I'm not particularly a huge fan of Into Darkness. I've warmed I, I like up on Into Darkness a little bit more over the years. I know I hated it, it, it when I first saw it. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally going to bring up Into Darkness when we. Get into Wrath of Khan. Well, you kind of have to. You have to. Yeah, yeah, to. Of, yeah, that that, yeah. that cutesy reverse shit is annoying and shit. But like, I'll save it for the actual discussion. But uh, <laughs> it, like, it, 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 it is it is moments like that where it's just like, you know, I, I'm always going to choose Star Trek. You know, what I'm saying with Star Trek or Star Wars, it's always going to be Star Trek because you know, it, it, that show actually teaches me about life and itself. You know, what I'm saying so. It's like, how can I, you know take that over fucking you know space wizards and all that shit but i i, I do like space wizards i'm not sitting there fucking oh no space wizards uh, are no, awesome like... because they're space wizards but yeah I, I do get what you mean yeah no go ahead well, it's too, well, there, oh no, no no worries i was just gonna interject and say it's you know it's two different types of space opera because uh i've always seen star wars they're both considered science fiction but star wars is very much fantasy uh it's yeah, about prophecy um uh you know, it, 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 its approach to philosophy is through through fate and destiny and those kinds of things. Um, and and Star Trek, Star Trek is is first and foremost a, a baton for social commentary at the fore. And yeah, um, it, it's it's interesting that they both coexist because they both kind of represent. I think even though they're meant to be each be populist in very different ways, I, I think I have always thought it was cool that they both satisfy um very different needs um within entertainment um so that's yeah. that's where i stand with that but i know no, that is right. that's absolutely correct and because of this discussion i because my trailers i was kind of tending to go for the dumb one i still might for once upon a time in the west and i will apologize um but i 
but for my trailer for um Rafa Khan, I'm going for me more the revenge angle, but I but also the Shakespearean angle. Um I'm gonna go for 1995 Othello, which I always thought was directed by Kenneth Branagh, but no, it was actually directed by uh, Oliver Parker, who I don't know. I think what's really cool about Star Trek is the fact that it's always been, yeah, it's always been about human decisions and kind of how that creates your fate opposed to whatever. And that is very Shakespearean to me more than anything else. And Othello is one of my favorite plays. I think there is so much more juicy kind of uh, subtext going on in that movie, uh, in that play um, more than anything else. And it was one of the first I had seen performed which was slightly traumatizing considering what happens in it. Um, but I also, I love the character of Iago. I love Othello. I love Desdemona. I love this whole kind of um, manipulation thing of everyone just kind of playing each other, but not realizing. I mean, Rafa Khan is much more the cat and mouse game, just trying to guess what each other's doing. But no, I'm, I'm going to go for Othello. I've never seen it, Lindsay, and I've always wanted to. I, I assumed, it's funny, when you brought it up, I was like, oh, okay, I think she's going to go for Hamlet. Because I, in my mind, when I think of like Shakespeare and Star Trek, and especially what Wrath of Khan is quoting, and what Nicholas Meyer's other movie in the, fran in, in the franchise is quoting, I think of it's Hamlet. Hamlet, yeah. But, yeah. but um, Othello, um, it, it's it's something that, um, that does elude me, but I guess partially because... When I was uh, when I was in high school, when I first started reading Shakespeare, um, it was Hamlet. We read well. We watched the the very low version of of Hamlet, starring Mel Gibson. That's the whole thing. Um, and then we read <laughs> more, more incest in that one. Way more incest in that one, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. At the time, oh, yeah. at the time, I, I, I liked it. it. I was like, oh. I still kind of like that movie. I, I prefer the Brunner four-hour unedited cool. version of, of Othello, of, of, of Hamlet, sorry. But um, I do kind of like the Mel Gibson one, but I even remember going, wow, they actually just went for the um, son just having sex all the time, didn't they, in that one? It's it's a it's a whole thing. I I was like, isn't that like uh, 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 I forgot the name of the play, but um, another play. But um, we did remit no, ah, Now I'm I'm mixing up my Greek. Sorry, I'm gonna show. I, I'm getting mixed up. Oedipus Rex, I think. Oedipus Rex, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but yeah, I need it. I'm gonna write this down and check this out because uh, it, it's something. If especially like I like '90s Shakespeare adaptations, like that's something I don't talk about enough. And and I and I Me tend neither. to like Shakespeare when it's adapted uh, really well. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna gonna check this out. Yeah, I mean, it's got Lawrence Fishburne playing Othello. I think he's kind of, you could tell he's the one that's struggling with the language a little bit more because that's mostly with a lot of um, Royal um, Academy actors from from England. But he's doing a really good job and it's 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 Larry Fishburne. I mean, he's got the 
presence to be able to, to, to hold it. But no, I, I do, it's not my favorite, but I, yeah, decided to go with Othello on, on this one. Um, but yeah, just because Nicholas Myers loves literary adaptions and he kind of turns, okay, I'm going to ask Preston first because we, we know how Rob got into Star Trek, but this was, you started watching the original series or was it one of the movies or um, with, your, with your family? A genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. Chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. funny because um since i'm i'm i guess i'm the kiddo of the group um uh, of, of this little enterprise crew right here i'm um i my my first um my first exposure to star trek ever was the next generation so um i i grew up i grew up watching that like the reruns and that kind of thing especially with like my uh my cousins and stuff i would go over to their place every every spring and every summer and so for those long swaths of, of each year we would just like sit around and watch like Star Trek Next Generation in between playing video games where like he would like, you know, kick my ass and Halo and, and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> but um, I, I mean, it's funny to me because uh, Next Generation seems to be the show that a lot of people um, who are even younger or aren't into Trek kind of bag on and use that to kind of uh, verbally disarm the rest of the franchise and its appeal because it's it's effectively a floating United Nations. That's how yes. I like to call the the next generation. Um, it's it's a lot more, and it possibly due to the presence of a, having a Shakespearean actor play the captain versus someone like Shatner, who is very much a a, a uh, very much a. I don't think it's slander to say that uh, as much as I love Shatner, I love him in this movie, and we'll get into that performance because one of my favorite performances in any blockbuster of all time. Uh, he was a he is a bit of an egoist, and so you you there's a different style of of performance that uh, you're getting from Captain Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk most of the time. Hmm. I think Rathacon breaks that tradition in in a really beautiful manner. But um, getting back to it, yeah, and so um, it was actually my mom um, whenever uh, TV Land uh, would play star trek the original series reruns would i would watch a few episodes with her and it was literally like rob uh spewing off episode synopses off mic where once an episode began like if it was journey to babel where uh spock is meeting up with his parents on the on the enterprise she would be like oh 
well, this is going to happen. Like, uh, oh, uh, Spock's mom is going to slap him. And then she would literally slap him. And um, and then watching the movies through that up until the first Abrams movie coming out, because that came out when I was uh, um, just just beginning high school. So I was I had Star Trek on the brain It kind of in the background. It was always one of those things that I liked. And growing up, I would say I was definitely at that time, I was definitely more of a, a Star Wars person. Um, if, if we are comparing in contrast and just because the, the prequels were, were really big in my childhood, I'm again, part of that generation. And so, uh, but yeah, watching that 2009 Star Trek, it made me take the original series much more seriously. And now I, 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 I really do, uh, decompress with, uh, with with both both of those original two shows i have watched uh, uh deep space nine in the interim as well and that kind of thing but there, there's just something about the original series and and especially being an old movie fan like the uh the fact that it's these two today's standards uh, what people consider like budgetary restraints rudimentary uh effects or, or whatever for one thing, I think the effects in the original series really hold up, considering that they are is 1960s television. But you had all these great writers like Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, writing um, a murder mystery episode. That's one of my little little, little uh, deep favorites. Um, but also people like Harlan Ellison writing what people consider the best episode of the of the run, and de- definitely one of my um, one of my most watched. So you know, um, uh, Wrath of Khan, I. I mean, I, I, I saw it before uh, Star Trek 2009 when I was, um, again, like 12 or 13. It was one of those that um, I just instantly loved. And it's become one of my most watched movies ever. Um, and um, I, I think I had seen bits and pieces of it back in the day. But if I did watch the whole thing, I don't necessarily remember it. But coming into it then with like that further, bigger grasp of Star Trek uh, made this just... I was just like, this is one of the best movies ever. And I still think it is uh, for a number of reasons. So that's my relationship with, with Trek. Yeah, I remember the original kind of being on constantly, but I remember seeing this specific episode where it it, it was essentially radiation poisoning and everyone who got this little sign on their arm basically meant they were going to die of radiation. And it freaked me out. Like, this, I was a kid in the <laughs> 80s, so nuclear kind of apocalypse was kind of in the air. So I was like, okay, not going near that and it was what well until next gen when it was always playing like on a friday or saturday night it, it was always a mix between that voyager or deep space nine depending on what it was so right. that is always super for me um but i do remember getting into that a little bit and even when i was watching um the series picard and that last episode um i saw it was dipping in and out but that last episode when you just see all the next gen crew playing cards together i was in tears like it was just surprising mm-hmm. how much it affected me because my first star trek movie that i saw in full was first contact so it was always picard was my battle janeway but mainly picard was my was my captain to go back to the original ones was actually after i saw the jj abrams 2009 movie and then as soon just before lockdown hit just before the just when the pandemic was just really becoming a global uh uh-uh, this is happening i actually had the time to sit down and watch all the, the trek movies from uh motion picture to uh beyond and kind of really wow. and went realize oh i understand this original cast now like i still have had not got back and watched all of the series i watched a couple um like mm-hmm. i was meant to go back and watch the original khan episode but i forgotten ran out of time yeah so it's something that i've just kind of come to recently but and i always liked Rathakan, 
but this was the um it is i've always loved um I just, uh, the sixth one um undiscovered country undiscovered Undis- 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 country and beyond those were the, my two okay these are the ones i love and then watching kind of get i'm like oh yeah i think this is touching for me i think i finally understand why this is considered the best one mainly because i yeah saw what shatner was doing and a lot of this going oh shit he's playing this like it's shakespeare like he's been told i need you to play this <laughs> like shakespeare <laughs> so when he says the words at the end I feel young. It is one of the most beautiful sentiments of the movie. And it just like, it has so much hope considering he's getting shitty at bones for, which is the best gift of all time for your friend to give you reading classes. <laughs> and I love how they just appear in the movie every time you can't read. It's like, just those little details, character details are kind of amazing. And it's, Shatner's playing old in 1982. Um, but I love the fact that this is a movie where he's kind of forced to embrace his age a little bit and he has to kind of let go of the ego which i agree he's an ego he's got a he's an ego actor um but uh yeah uh rob so you saw rafa khan when you were a kid or when you were like hey wait i know what's going to happen in this i just saw i <laughs> watched part three shit uh I cannot... <laughs> it's always been in your like, life <laughs> yeah it, it's one of those things where it's, it's always been in my life i i can't even remember where i watched it although i do like it's weird because I do remember right where I was when I watched Search for Spock, and I guess because that was, that was the life changing moment. Mm. However, mm. but before we get into that, I, I, I do want to. I did want to. I didn't want to interrupt you, Lindsay. So I waited for you to finish, but I did want to say uh, something that you mentioned was uh, the last episode of Next Gen, the, the all good things with like yes. the final scene with playing the cards, and it's like that's a pivotal moment that a lot of people forget when it comes to the character of a card, because when you go into the movies, where it's just like, and, and like particularly uh, the, the Picard show where they feel like Picard is acting out of character. And I'm like, well, that's the arc that he's on. You know what I'm saying? Because when he started, when we meet him first in a encounter at Farpoint, the very first episode of Next Gen, and like you know, for for a good portion of the series, we see bones. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only one that could get back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love DeForest Kelly. We'll get into it, but he's 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 uh, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I love bones so very much. But um, Picard is very much a tight ass when we first meet him. Mm-hmm. You know, like 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 the, the, he. he the way he just kicks Wesley off the bridge, and at this point, who wouldn't? Because it's Wesley, um, <laughs> and like you know, like he—he's a man motivated purely by his duty. He doesn't have time for any kind of like emotional social gatherings with his crew. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because it's all like you know, just standard procedure. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, I, I have no time to be like emotionally. Uh, uh, evolved or connected to these people because I have a job to do. And throughout the remainder of the series, you know, he gets lighter and lighter and lighter when he begins to trust these people and look at them as actual people to the point where in well, the final comes... episode... Oh, I was just going to interject quickly and just say, like, people forget that in the in the pilot, like, it's him. He's already lived, like, a pretty storied Starfleet yeah. life and then yeah, absolutely. comes to being the Enterprise captain. Like, it's it's not like the original series where it begins with Kirk and his crew and it's already family. Yeah. Like it, they kind of have growing pains in those early next gen seasons. So yeah, I, I concur. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when, and, and, you, and we've seen throughout the series that, you know, the rest of the crew have these poker games, you know, they get together, 
and they have these poker games, which Picard is never present at. Is pop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we in the final episode when we see him actually joining it, that's like you know just you know the next you know step into like him as a person where he's finally able to like sit amongst them and just like you know this is not my crew this is not my like soldiers or whatever this is my family and you know what i'm saying i could you know relax with them you know what i'm saying like he literally says this is something i should have done a long time ago oh he you know? does and, too and, yeah 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 and like you know he starts playing with them so like when you see him in like the the next gen movies you know what i'm saying where he's kind of like looser and people are like oh that's not picard but it's like did you actually pay attention to fucking next gen? Because it literally spells all this shit out. Mm. You know, and he's a lot looser now, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it, it's not just a guy dictating orders. It's a guy like, you know, fighting alongside his family unit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. With, with, even with something like Nemesis, where it's like, you know, fuck that movie. But when, when you get to the when you get to the ending, like, you know, when they're saying their goodbyes to each other, and it's just like you can't help become emotional about it because like you know it's like we've watched these people for so many years and we grew with them you know what i'm saying so even in a piece of shit like nemesis to see them say goodbye to each other like that is just like you know like like i i fucking you know i, I don't want to give this movie any credit but I, I i i fucking cried you know what i'm saying like you know when they were giving their toast to data you know what I'm saying? Who just passed away. Spoilers for that piece of shit because who cares? And like, you know, they're saying they, like, you know, where Riker is going off to the command of his own ship. You know what I'm saying? They're literally parting ways. And, you know, these men have, you know, fought so many adversaries over the course of this, you know, that show and these movies. And like, you know, now they're parting ways. And, and, and it's really an emotional thing. And it's like, you know, and, and Picard is allowed to be like that because we literally watched him cheat death with these people so many times before. So it's like when people would just criticize those movies and Picard as being like out of character, it's like, I, I, did you watch the same fucking show I watch and shit? Cause it's literally there. They're spelling it out for you. What the fuck? You know what I'm no, saying? I mean, just, just watch yeah, it. God damn that's it. What, that's what I love about first contact because it's literally him. That's what I got annoyed about nemesis. Cause it's like, really you're trying to do the Spock moment and you fail. Like you can't do that without, Oh, anyway, yeah. yeah, but in um, what I love about First Contact, it's literally Picard going in to save not just Data, but the whole of humanity. Like, he's kind of like, no, this is worth saving, but it's focused on or sacrificing himself, essentially, to try and save Data. I haven't seen the movie for a while, but uh, a couple of years. But that's my memory of it. Like, he's almost trying to sacrifice himself for the greater good by turning himself into an inhuman um, with, the, with the Borg. And... I really love those elements. It took me, and I just love the goof, and then the side with the goofiness of the time travel stuff. I, I absolutely kind of um, adore, but yeah. And that goes to the question when I was watching um, Rathacan this time around. So the, definitely the, so I'm guessing the friendship between Jim and Spock and Bones, that was, that was, all, that was a speed that, was that established deeply in the shows or was it something that the movies kind yeah. of pulled out of the shows to actually um, give more context to. That was kind of what I was wondering. It's, it's a bedrock, um, um, if, if, if I can, uh, if, okay. I, if, I, if I can just say, um, it, it was, it's a bedrock of the original series because um, especially in the, like, by the time you get to season two, it feels like they've really like smoothed the edges as far as like the character interactions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, Bones really is like Jim's like, hey, like, 
this is what's going to happen. You know, there's an immediacy to the way that Bones approaches problems. There's a, a more of a humanism there. Yes. And, and Spock um, is obviously he's a Vulcan, so uh, he represents logic and mm. both different sides uh, of how Kirk thinks as a person, and yeah. um, which is what makes him such a, a great leader and a great facilitator. And for um, people, you know, people you know like like Rob, and definitely people like my mother who watched the series first run, not knowing that it was going to become the the cultural monomyth that it would I'm not that be old. The- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, but my my the way I came to the original series was 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 uh, a little a little a little less organic, I would say, than it would be right. for for um, you know for for people who always always kind of like cognizantly had it on. And so, well, one of the things that I love about Wrath of Khan is that there's two different approaches to how Spock and Bones try to help Kirk deal with his midlife crisis, which for the second film in a franchise um, is pretty insane. Um, especially um, <laughs> especially when uh, Spock recants, um, I believe it's Dickens, where he goes, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. What does that mean? Um, oh, you know, it doesn't, does, he, he, in his own way, he's like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Don't, don't think about that. And, and trying to comfort him after he, he makes a comment about uh, chasing stars being a game for the young. And it, it's very interesting that that scene comes right, like literally it, it precedes the, the other moment. And I think the moment that it, it's the, the first really hard emotional beat of the movie, in my opinion, where, um, like Lindsay said, Bones gives, gives Kirk the, the glasses that becomes kind of a, uh, uh, a Cuccio sword from, uh, Seven Samurai type of motif mm. that runs throughout the movie and and and, and uh, envelops and and really strengthens its meaning throughout the course of the film um, in terms of aging and how Bones he gives him illegal Romulan ale which like the original show kind of establishes but never really dives into Bones is kind of a um, he loves alcohol let me put it that way um, like it was ferments in eighteen eighty three and it takes his stuff a while to ferment um, and, and I, I love lines like that. And, you know, he basically tells Kirk, like, you know, stop your desk job. You know, you, you need to go back to being in the captain's chair or else you really will grow old, which is what Kirk fears, but doesn't have the I'm, I'm not going to say doesn't have the articulation to say because Kirk has done all these amazing things over the course of three seasons in one film by that point. But it's a matter of he's an admiral, admiral, admiral. He's in the red suit, which I love, but. Um, in terms of the sartorial nature of it, uh, but he—it's almost like he's—he's he's wearing sheep's clothing, and he doesn't really know how to how to wear it with with the confidence and the swagger that that we've seen him have. And and um, and like going back to what Lindsay was saying about the trifecta of Spock, Doctor McCoy, and and, and Captain Kirk, um, it's very much rooted in that. But I like how this movie it takes on a different meaning while also not ignoring the motion picture as much as the motion picture polarized audiences that movie is instrumental in establishing that kirk um kirk is aware of his age and doesn't quite know how to deal with it which is why there's this juxtaposition partly why there's this juxtaposition uh in that film between uh um uh, the young cadet and then uh bigger in that whole love story that kind of goes on within the enterprise um and how they, they they deal with that this doesn't address that but this it, it this very much follows that James T. Kirk in this phase of his career. And I think that's really rad. 
No, I think it is. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, it, it's kind of because with the motion picture, which is a movie I do like. I mean, I love the way that Robert Wise shoots the Enterprise. Like it's it's like he's shooting a naked woman. It's all curves. Like you just spend so long on the ship, and you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good woman, good looking ship. But because there's such a bigger theme to the motion picture, you kind of lose the relationship between the three, the core three, um, a little bit because there's so much more going on. And what I liked about Wrath going into it is like. Oh, okay. We're just back to Bones, um, Spock, and and Kirk. Okay, this is where, this is where I like it. And the scene with um, McCoy and Kirk is so powerful that Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond both reference it as beginning points to Kirk's character. Like that scene is so important. You can see the reverberations throughout Star Trek of what does it mean to to be a star chaser, but what does it mean to grow in your career. And what does it mean to lose yourself a little bit? Which I think is, and to have something come from um, Kirk's past, which is the amazing card to just, I mean, you you see him really spark up when he's been attacked, when everything, he's a, the ship's about to be blown up and he has to kind of go, okay, how am I going to get out of this? Right, we override this, we do this. He puts on his glasses to sort of see the codes because they're all trying to figure it out. They're trying to hide from it. And that's when you see Kirk in his element. It's not teaching students to, to go by the Kobayashi Moray of butchering that back. Kobayashi Maru. Kobayashi Maru. Maru. Kobayashi Maru. It's not about them trying to teach the Kobayashi Maru. It's actually about being in that situation. Like that's how, that's where he gets his juice from. It's, it's that right. what Bones was saying. You will grow old if you stay in your desk job. I understand this is kind of where you're meant to be, but at the same time, it's not who you are. Right. Like, I- but. Uh, Sorry, sorry, Chris. Oh, no, no, um, yeah. no, no, just, but um, I think it, like, that, that, that scene is great between uh, Kirk and McCoy, but it doesn't really hit home for Kirk until he has that conversation with Spock later when he, mm-hmm. had, like, you know, he's kind of trying to avoid taking command because it is, you, you, it, you, you, you see elements like, you know, it, it very well could be a sequel to motion picture because in, in that one kirk is very much into taking command back of the enterprise from uh, uh captain decker yes. which you know greatly upsets captain decker and like you can right. see that you know his refusal to take command of the enterprise in this case it's his regret over that and how things played out with decker you know what i'm saying and, and like you know their situation in that so in that scene where like he, he goes up to spock and he really does want to take command but like you know, he's just like you know, you know, Spock is is my great friend. You know, he's my brother. I don't want to do this. And Spock is just like you know, dude, just take it. You know what I'm saying? Just 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 take it. You know what I'm saying? Like I love that line where it's like you know, uh, you know, on a training mission. You know what I'm saying? I would leave, but you know, if we are aren't going to actual duty, like you know, you are the commanding officer in charge, so you would have to take it. Like you know, it could be nothing. It was like. It's and such a that, kind nudge. Like, it's a logical yeah. way of, like, nudging him. And then he goes, um, then he literally says, like, commanding a starship is your next best destiny. Like, anything yeah. else is a waste, you mm. know? Yeah. It, right. That's where it clicks, you know, for Kirk, that, you know, they're right, the, the both of them. You know, where, where you know what I'm saying, where, where Spock, I love that line where Spock goes, like, Jim, you know what I'm saying, I'm a Vulcan, I have no ego to bruise, like, like, because he knows he wants to take command of the Enterprise. Mm. So he's like, dude, just take it. <laughs> you know, he said, you know, like, 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 he's like, you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't need to debate you. He said that would be wise. 
you know, and, and it was like, you know, and like he said, it, it was a mistake. I mean, he tells him it was a mistake for you to accept promotion. You know, like, you know, like this is what you're meant to do. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you are an adventurer, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Like this is your, yeah. this is what you were meant to put on this earth to do. Like, which is essentially like a callback to motion picture with it, you know, that whole is eccentric crisis, which is exactly what Kirk is going through in this movie, where it's just like, you know, you think like, you know, raising the ranks is the ultimate thing, but it's like, you know, he really misses just being in the seat of that chair, you know, exploring new life forms, you know, which is something that he even says to Picard in Generations, you know, where he was like, you know, there's going to come a time yeah. when they want to promote you. And then let me tell you something, don't, you know, don't let them take you out of the seat of that chair because while you're there, you can make a difference, which is a lesson he learns in this movie. You know, so it's like, and, and, and that's one of my favorite scenes is like that, that conversation between him and Spock because it really just nails the friendship between the two of them. He was like, you know, you are my superior officer, but you are also my friend. I have been and forever shall be yours. You know what I'm saying? Which is also, mm -hmm. you know, comes comes back in, in the, the the iconic uh climactic uh death of spa in this film you know what i'm saying where it's just like you know i did you know you did what you had to do and so did i so like don't don't feel bad you know what i mean well uh, uh, okay oh i was just gonna ask you rob uh and Lindsay, of, of course like how do y'all feel about um especially considering um one of our diatribes earlier about how we talked about how um, older blockbusters look how do y'all feel about nicholas meyer's approach to this movie his direction of the actors and just really how he handles the 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 more heightened uh sequences um of of, of action in the movie considering that i mean really the motion picture didn't have to me i'm not um nowhere i'm nowhere near uh the, i have nowhere near the knowledge that rob does on this on the subject uh as far as action goes, but I am very curious to, to know how y'all feel about the set pieces, the set designs, and just the direction overall. Uh, I love it. I know it didn't have as big a budget as the motion picture did. Like, it got paired back a little, and they wrote the script to that. So it was um, with the, the motion Gene picture. Gene Roddenberry's fault. Yeah, yeah, all Roddenberry's <laughs> fault. Like, I love the man, but um, he got a bit blind in terms of what he thinks that he wanted. And even with his proposal for this it was like going back to save like jf kennedy and it's just like, stop things like <laughs> but, it, but it still looks good i mean they are kind of making the movie to their budget but um even when i was watching because i was thinking it's too new a newer movie and i might have gone into spoilers but i was thinking of dead reckoning the mission impossible because the first scene reminded me so much of how they were shooting um rapid Khan. just the way the editing was Submarines. Yes, the submarines and the fact that the, how they were editing. I mean, this is a submarine movie, which Roddenberry hated the fact that they were making it naval. And it's like, no, but that's what Star Trek is. It's they're on a ship. They act like they're on a ship. That's why um, both of your trailers were perfect because they sort of understood that what Star Trek is. It's a ex an exploration expedition, can't talk. Um, and that's kind of, you have the same rules as a ship and it's kind of being built on that. Um, and so, yeah, Dead Reckoning has this opening scene in a submarine, and it's shot very similar to how they shoot the sequences between Khan and Kirk, kind of maneuvering around each other. And the same with Hunt with, with Red, Red October, which Rob mentioned before, is these were kind of the big blockbuster movies, and they are all about the editing, they are all about um, kind of precision, 
all about this kind of cat and mouse game. Um, and I, I love the action in this because all the action also results in the emotional core of the movie, how Khan is just, I mean, I love his um, number two in this because he's kind of the guy going, we have a ship, we have the Genesis, we don't need to go after Khan, we have won. And he just, what I love about the performance and his performance, he's just like, no, I need, I need to kill him. I need to prove that I am better than him. I cannot step away from this fight. Even Kirk would have gone, you know what? I've got mine, I'm going. Like, it's not a head-to-head. It's more one guy just going, I need to destroy this man and need to know he's being destroyed. Like, there's an ego, an Ahab ego with it. And I absolutely love it. Um, Rob, do you love how it looks? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it, it is, It is like, I mentioned The Hunt for October, and it's like, like that film... The suspense is all built in the quieter moments, you know what I'm saying? Because it's really like an ascension, you know what I'm saying? Like like the way it starts and like it really like ascends to like, you know, the big, cause like, you know, people have this like theory that, you know, you know, movies like this are just about big space battles. And it's like, no, it's like, they're like the, the story is built in the quieter moments, you know what I'm saying? Within these characters and like with, you know, you know, the adversity they have to face. You know, particularly like in the fact that, you know, what I'm saying, and it was like it has to be given credit to with with Wrath of Khan because it's just really just crazy for them to just like make the next uh, feature in their in their big budget, you know, space franchise a sequel to one of the episodes. You know, where yes. it's just like. You know the the fact that you know saying they 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 made the sequel to Space Seed like one of the more popular episodes you know saying like yeah like we're we're bringing Khan back and it's like Ooh, that's you know that that that's that's you know creative you know kind of risky as well and like the way Nicholas Meyer makes it all work because you know he's just an incredibly gifted uh, filmmaker like uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, his previous film for that uh, time after time. Like, like if you listen to uh, the episode I did for the Cobblers podcast, where I discuss uh, both versions, uh, both film versions of the Time Machine, I relate that you know I, I relay that the Time Machine is my all-time favorite book. So it's like anything having to do with that is just always going to pick me. So like, Time After Time is one of my all-time favorite movies, and Nicholas Meyer just did an incredible job with that. He does an incredible job here, you know, where like just bring back this iconic villain from the show and just making it a whole uh like because because he realized that uh there, there was a bit of swashbuckling aspect to the original series and he wanted to bring that back but to a more like thematic like shakespearean kind of like uh version of it you know what i'm saying we're really making it bombastic and like you know just overly dramatic without making it melodramatic, you know? Yes. Where, right, where, where right. it's just, yeah, where, where it's just like, you know, over the top, even though I know he had issues with trying to contain Shatner at times. Um, <laughs> but really, who can, can contain Shatner? I mean. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you gotta let Shatner lose, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Like, I, I know there was, there, there was that one big moment where uh, they were tricking Khan and like they were giving him the code and they were really just trying to hurry up and find the code to shut down his shield and, um, where, where he goes, uh, like, here it comes, Khan. Now, Mr. Spock. And, like, you know, it's really just, like, kind of subtle. <laughs> and, like, the issue was that Shatner kept, like, 
being overly traumatic with it. Now, Mr. Spock, and it's like, no, yeah. no. no. Like you're, 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 make, you're making it obvious that you're doing something. You know, it's the element of surprise here. <laughs> like, like, for real, Meyer was like, dude, you got to chill the fuck out. Um, and, and like, well, didn't you know, he? That, uh, well, didn't he like okay. redo takes, take like yeah. over and over again on certain scenes to where that's, that Shatner, yeah, that <laughs> Shatner staccato, which he speaks like this in the original series, like that eventually yeah. became more, more taciturn and eventually just more grounded, which you kind of mm. need yeah. in scenes like that. Because uh, I, I do love that he does sound like himself or his usual self. But he's just like now, Mister Spock. Like it's it's just a quiet way of diffusing the situation, especially because Khan is the the bigger of the two lead performances. Like he, because something Lindsay touched upon earlier was uh, Khan's ego in that moment where Joaquin, the the the, the mm. chief, uh, his 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 chief. I think I think that's his first officer. I, yeah. I think that's the yeah. hierarchy on on the. Um, uh, the new crew of the of, of that mm. ship but um uh he goes yeah he tasked me he tasked me and i shall have him like the thing about that scene is that that's a great way that nicholas meyer is able to shorthand khan's biggest weakness which is his arrogance and the fact that i almost i almost get the feeling every time i watch space seed which is quite a bit because it's one of my another one of my favorite episodes i keep saying that but my, my literally dream. that yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's such a great, great, wonderful hour of television for people who haven't seen it. But um, um, I, I've always gotten the feeling that Montalban is is fascinated by Kirk. The fact that that there's a human who is this logical, but also uh, in his vantage point makes the uh, fallible decisions of caring about humans and, and that kind of thing. Especially with how he is taken over. Um, uh, it's not. I'm getting her. She looks a lot like Joan Collins because Joan Collins is the other one of the other big original series episodes. But someone she she's Khan is using a Starfleet member uh, for to enact his plan because of that sh- suggestion quality, which Carl Multibon was a fox, so of course he's going to have that innate charisma about him. But going back to my the point I was making. Um, Khan is much bigger in this movie. He's much more loud. And, and the way he announces himself in that sequence where he's like, you know, I, I want you to know who, who it is who, who had beaten you, you know? And, yeah. uh, and I just can't tell that, you quietly, he's... you need to know it was me, which is kind of his biggest mistake because then it gives time Kirk to figure out what he's going to do next. If he had just like, kept blasting him, he would have got him in the it, first. Yeah. It, it's his obsession with Kirk and, and killing him that does him in at the end because he just can't let it go, which no. is, which makes the Moby Dick references sound, you know what I'm saying, where it's just like, you know, uh, Ahab is, is responsible for, for the death of the majority of his crew because he's just obsessed with, mm. you know, killing this whale. And to Khan, Kirk is his whale. And what, what, what makes Kirk... So such a you know, the superior opponent out of the two of them is Kirk is very aware of that. So like he like he goads Khan into chasing him. Like you know when when they're going into like you know the the area where it's just like they'll be evenly matched. Um, he knows Khan is going to chase him in there. Even he just can't help it. Even though like his first officer is just like no, like you know we have Genesis. You know we got what we want. Let's get the fuck out of here. Khan cannot yeah. help himself. He, he he the death of Kirk is the most important to him, and like he he he's going to risk everyone's life, including his own, if it means that he will kill Kirk. 
and like you know, I just I I I I, I love that aspect, and that's what makes like you know Khan such like you know one one of like the all time great villains, where it's just like it, it kind of humanizes him because like you understand, but it's just like you know. Because, like, you, you understand, like, from, from, from his point of view, because Ricardo Montalban was correct, it was, like, the way he portrayed Khan, where it was, like, I, like, he didn't see Khan as a through-and-through through villain, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, every villain has some some sort of heroism in them, and and every hero has some sort of villainy in them, mm. you know what I'm saying? No, not... No, no hero villain are perfect in that sense, you know what I'm saying? But, like, the perfect villain, the perfect villain. Everyone is flawed. Which is how he chose to portray Khan, and and that is perfect. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, you, like I mean, obviously you hate Khan because he's a bad guy. He wants to kill the, the Enterprise crew, but you understand it's, him. What what he does to check off into um oh shoot I forgot the other guy's name. Yeah, um, what the fact Paul that he puts Winfield? those Paul Winfield. Yeah, the fact Paul that he kind of uses them like putting worms in their ears, like it's kind of the ultimate. I'm turning um the Federation against. Kirk, which is the one, which is what he loves. It's like, he can't even trust, if you can't trust Chekhov, I mean, what are we doing here? And the whole fact that he keeps it going when Chekhov's like, oh, they put a thing in my hair and I'm so sad and I'm sorry. And they're like, no, we've got you. It's okay. And then to find out he's still under the sway, it's just like, oh no. It, it, yeah. The whole thing with Chekhov also reveals one of his films, you know, like you know, few mistakes, like a couple mistakes. Well, I mean, personally, I think continuity film, mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think the film is 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 flawless. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, Empire Strikes Back level masterpiece of you know not just science fiction but cinema. Hmm. But there is that moment where, like, you know, oh, I remember you, and it's like, no, you don't. Chekhov was not in that episode. <laughs> like Chekhov, Chekhov did not show up until like season two. Like, yeah, like you know, you sh- and, and Nicholas Meyer hasn't been like, yeah, that's a mistake. But you know, who cares? Was, was, I think, I think to Walter Koenig, who plays Chekhov, he said um, when he read the the when he read part of the script that he was going to be introduced in to meet Khan. He knew this scene was going to kick it off, and he knew how important it was to the movie, and so. He was like, I definitely was not there in season one. Like I did, I because he his character wasn't introduced until season two. A lot of people, yeah. Don't, oh, don't, uh, don't I didn't know even that. know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so he read the script and he was like, this isn't a thing. And so when it came to to shoot the scene, he was like, I'm not going to tell anyone. And it wasn't revealed until after the the final version of the shoot. And uh, it was one of those things where it's such a powerful scene that they decide it, to leave it in. And it, it makes is. sense to. It, I think for this movie, just looking at it as a standalone movie, if people can even do that with uh, a franchise film as iconic as this, it makes sense for the movie in taking um, kind of the the kid, what was the kid character in the original series? You you reintroduce him here as a commander Mm. um, who's who's literally technically he is. Uh, the Spock to Captain Terrell, if you think about hierarchy in the um, yeah. in the mm. in the universe, and so um, to have him basically to have him is very much a true Star Trek thing. To have him defend Kirk um, in front of Khan, you know, as he's there's that amazing shot where he's like taking close up shot where he's taking the gloves off, and then you see. McCall Maltabon's eyes and then he takes the full-on mask off you see that long 80s hair that I just adore um 
and he's like, I remember you. I never mm. forget a face. Mm. And, it, and it just, his voice and like the way he enunciates, like it's just such a perfect performance. And also, and I, I just love that scene also because uh, something that is pure Roddenberry about this film, that this is something I will give him uh, credit for, uh, it, besides obviously creating the franchise to begin with, is that um, Roddenberry was all about slavishly um, making the characters loyal to one another. Yes. Um, and obviously over the course of this franchise, we've seen them get more edge and a little more character development to kind of challenge that and shake that up. But when the chips are down, the, the Enterprise crew in this iteration is always going to defend one another. And so I think having that mouthpiece to defend Kirk, which throughout the original series, there is in some, a few episodes, kind of a, a thought, like, I don't want to say it's like emotion, like, how do I put this? It's not so on the nose to where it distracts you, but there is a little bit of a, like, a son-father thing going on, which is why when Rob was was uh, ranting a little bit about Will Wheaton on the next gen, I think they're kind of playing with that in a way, um, or a Roddenberry. And mm. then over the course of the show, they add that humanity with Beverly Crusher, since that is uh, his mom on the show. But yeah. nonetheless, I'm a big fan of that scene. I love the special effect of the eels going to their... Uh, that still affects me to this day. And oh. it's a, it's a, it is a true testament to how simple practical effects can work especially when this series began with tribbles and just like character uh, caricature fur balls yes you know being being cute and cuddly and now you have that type of effect and it's used to be to, to portray terror i think that's really really no rough. what i love about this series and how it's moved into the cinematic is that yeah i mean the original star trek show is now classic it is cult. it is kind of seen as kind of this revolutionary thing on tv at the time, it was kind of seen as throwaway. I mean, it was they fought not being cancelled for every single season of the of the three of the three seasons. Um, and these actors were kind of just working. They were work, working actors. I mean, William Shatner had high aspirations because he's William Shatner. He's Bill. He's Bill Shatner. But the fact that it gave these guys this kind of leg up to give the performances, the guy who plays um, Chekhov, uh, Keurig, a chance to do that scene. I don't know if he would have ever gotten a chance to perform that kind of scene. It's like, oh, I remember you and I never forget a face. And the way Nancy is like Michelle um, Nichols or George Takei, it kind of gave these guys a way to really kind of, you know, develop these characters, but also give these kind of really cool performances. And in all the original movies, each of those guys do get their little moments. I mean, they get yeah, their moment. Yeah, it's all, yeah. You, I know it's all about the three, but those guys do get their moments later on in the, in the movies. Like I think Michelle, Nichols has an amazing moment in five, which I, I adore when they're oh, yeah. saying the thing. And, um, but yeah, but they all get these little moments to the fact when you go to the um, new trilogy, every character gets their moments in each of the movies, especially in Beyond with, Beyond. with George, uh, John Chow playing um, Sulu. And it's about, he's protecting his family as he is a much protecting Yorktown because his family's on Yorktown. And all these little moments that, you just kind of go, oh, this is why I love these characters. They were able to be fleshed out by these actors who I don't think were given a second thought back in 66. And then they were just able to, yeah, like the Russian, the um, Asian and the black woman, they got their kind of, yeah, I think it's so cool. And it's because of that show and these movies that you get to have these um, things. And I think, yeah, you just watch you go, yeah, that was cool. They they treated they always got treated with respect in these movies and 
were able to have these moments, even though technically they were guys who pressed buttons in the background, but they are all loyal to each other and they were able to develop those characters. And I think that's so cool. <laughs> well, they're a family. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, they oh, my bad, Rob. No, no, no. I was saying like, yeah, because, you know, you have the white guy captain because, you know, obviously um, you have the, the Jewish second in command. You, you have, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you have obviously, you know, iconic. You have black women on set. You have Russian. Uh, you have Asian individual. But then it's like, you know, uh, where was the Hispanic guys? Oh yeah, that's right. They're supposed to be the clean arms. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, was that obviously, the like this. I never like, knew obviously that. They're, they're all in brown face, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, yeah, like, you know, that's that's fucked up. Like, you know, that's that's what we're considered. We're the, we're the bad guys, you know what I'm saying? The, the Hispanic crew, you know what I'm saying? We're the, we're the clean ons, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, no, are... I never put that together. <laughs> I mean, that's how I look at it, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. in the original series and shit, like, you know, the clean ons are basically all in brown face and shit. So it's like... Oh yeah, I guess that's what you thought of us, Ron Berry. Okay, whatever. But then, like you know, he just put fucking bumps on their forehead. I was like, oh, I guess not. You know, saying so it's okay now. I was gonna ask okay. you, Rob. <laughs> I was gonna ask you how would you feel about because I I believe when that uh, when that design was introduced um, in the in the in the movies and definitely in the next gen the redesign yeah. of the Klingons. How would you feel about that? Especially because um, uh, Michael Doran is 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 black in portraying. Yeah. Um, portraying Worf on the on the next gen and then portrays his great grandfather I think in undiscovered country undiscovered country yeah yeah I mean I I, I love it uh, I love how they reference it in uh trials and tribulations the deep space nine episode hmm. where uh yep. like you know they yeah. travel they travel back in time and then like you know they look at it and they see these cleanongs and, and they look at Worf like are, are they and he's like they are. I'll, I'll explain it later. Basically, it was a whole thing. You know what I'm saying? Then they further explain it in Star Trek Discovery, but like it really doesn't matter because I, I, I don't think very highly of Star Trek Discovery. But you know, that's, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I watched I, I watched season one and I was like, that's enough. Um, Actually, season three, <laughs> I will say, kicks ass. Like. That I did like season three a lot. I mean, I I I, I heard like you know I, that's what I've been hearing. Yeah, I you know what I'm saying like uh, uh, I I'm very much more of a fan of Card and uh, Strange New Worlds because Strange New Worlds you know obviously it's like its whole thing is getting back to like the the whole Star Trek feel. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's just like, eh, like they all Star Trek feel like, you know what I'm saying? Some, you, you can't win them all, you know what I'm saying? Which is, you know, how I feel about Discovery. Hmm. But, you know, like, there, there, there's still parts of Discovery I like, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm joking, like, you know what I'm saying? But obviously, you know, Roddenberry was ahead of his time in the way he looked at race relations. You know sure. what I'm saying? Like, like you know, obviously Star Trek was the first show to have an interracial kiss, which was monumental, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, th that that was his thing, where it's just like, you know, he, he thought of a future where everyone got along. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I have to give him all the credit in the world for that. You know what I'm saying? Even though, like, you know, it's relative, like yeah, like like yeah. The original show um, isn't completely perfect, but you can see the evolution of it. Time you get to Discovery, and there are non-binary characters, and there are kind of all these other things that are going on. That it's always kind of pushed um, everything. It, it has always pushed everything, but yeah, I mean, 
for what they were doing, you always give it kind of things credit when, even though in 1966, these questions were being raised, but Roddenberry was still ahead of his time. And it's, which is why I love how this is paired with Once Upon a Time in the West, because it's kind of meant to be this place where we've all sorted our shit out. We'll all get along. There's kind of, we just realized mm-hmm. that that was all pointless. So we might as well just move forward. Oh, time. hold on. Like, if, if you think, like, like you know, I have something to say about brown face right now, just wait until we get to fucking Once Upon a Time <laughs> oh, in the West. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, Once Upon a yeah. Time in the West is way even more criminal than, because I'm going to be doing Duck Suck, duck, you duck suck or whatever it's called, um, which was going to be a big, Duck You Sucker, which is going to be a big conversation on Rod Steiger in that, in that movie with brown face. And everything uh, like oh, yeah. Like, I just oh, watched oh, it realizing yeah. that... Oh, I only just realized now that Jason Robards is meant to be a um, Hispanic character. I went, wait, what? <laughs> well, same with Charles Bronson, and and I I love Ducky Sucker. I think that's such a fun movie, but it, it it's one of the messy things about it is is how it's just brown face, just right there, just all up all up on the screen. It's like yeah, whoa, he's, okay, he's just like going big with it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and, but it does it, there is a discussion of who gets to be in which we get into once upon a time of the west it goes a bit darker but it's like who gets to be in this society that we have built when we have these rules mm-hmm. and these kind of traditions does Khan even get a chance at being included and the end the answer to the movie is no he doesn't because he's just never gonna um want to play by play by the rules I mean, but that's like, yeah. He, he, here's the thing about that too, because obviously Ricardo Montalban was Latino man himself, and of course he's playing the villain, so it's like, really. But he's such like even in the Spacey episode, particularly, he's such a humanized character, where it's just like you know, yeah, he's villainous, but like you know, he also has uh, this this love relationship with uh, Marla. You know, which fuels his revenge in That's this right. movie. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, uh she she helped him take over and it was like obviously, you know what I'm saying, she she helped him take over the enterprise because, you know, she was just enamored with the Latino heat, you know what I'm okay. saying? Like I'm just I saying. Mean, it's the kind of <laughs> the I mean I mean the man is <laughs> beast. So I get that. Like it <sighs> and he plays it like a beast in this movie. I mean yeah, I mean, that chest is just out there. Like, oh my god, it's oh, yeah. glorious. He has more courage uh, than I do. It is amazing. Uh, um, I, I love how I love how the, the cleavage is so much out there that people for years thought it was fake, and I was like, nah, that was him. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, all him. Yeah. Him. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, like Nicholas Meyer was like, yeah, I'd be surprised by how old he was. That 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 man was a brick shit house. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, he's like, another example. He was a day player on a show in the first season. And he gets to come back and play mm-hmm. the same character. But even though he is flawed, even though he is the villain, and yes, he is a is a Latino, um, but he plays it with so much sympathy that you kind of absolutely understand. I mean, he just gets he just gets given this thing and he just makes a meal out of it. And he gets to be the big one going big in a movie that also has William Shatner, who his first instinct is just to go to eleven. I mean that is right, such like, a treat to watch. I'm like, oh, you you go, Ricardo. You eat that scenery. You do all that. This is amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is. Uh, it's just uh, something to watch where you outdo William Shatner when it comes <laughs> to the overacting department. But 
it, it's as I, I can't even consider it as overacting because he's just so goddamn perfect. That's what I was meaning. You know? He's so perfect. He's like, playing it he's like he's it's so, Shakespeare. Like, yeah, like, you know, he is the he is giving his all to this role. And it's just like, you know, it, it is I mean, I, I know it was important for him because he had been doing Fantasy Island for a while and it's like you know, he's been playing this, you know, you know, just this, this this incredibly nice and you know, just uh character on Fantasy Island. I should know because I've watched many reruns of it with grandma back in the day. Um like I was just waiting for her to to, to get to episodes of Knight Rider and eighteen so I'd have to sit there and watch <laughs> the Love Boat and Fantasy Island reruns with her, you know what I'm saying, to get to Night oh, Rider. I watched so much Love Boat back in the day, it was embarrassing. <laughs> I did too, like, you know, but not willingly, you know what I'm saying? I was just, <laughs> oh God, I, I knew what that time was on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch Love Boat. And I... <laughs> right, like, I was like, Grandma, like, Knight Rider and A-Team is coming soon, right? Okay. I was like, yeah, but we got to watch a Love Boat and Fantasy Island person. Like, all right. You know what I'm saying? I sit there and watch you with her and shit. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very aware of, like, how great he was on Fantasy Island. But it's like this was so refreshing change because he'd been doing that show for years and like you know to, to get to come back and i know it was initially hard for him because he'd been doing fantasy island for so long he stated that he kind of was like stuck in that kind of performance where it was just like like i gotta watch i gotta rewatch spacey you know because I, I i have to get a like it's almost like manhunter style or like you know where i have to get the scent back you know uh you know I got to get the sense of this character back. And like he said, by the third or fourth time he watched the episode, he's like, I got it. And then like you watch his performance in here and it's just like one of the most glorious things ever. Like that final con moment where, where he's delivering like, you know, Moby Dick lines, you know, like my heart, I stab his feet. And it's just mm -hmm. with so much goddamn gusto and just like flair. And, and it's just beautiful. It's one of like, in my opinion, it's one of the all time great death scenes. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just like, you know, I'm dying, but I don't care because there is a chance I could take you with me, hmm. you know? And it's just like, mm -hmm. and, and if that means me dying, it's all worth it. Hmm. And Ricardo Montalban portrays that just it, it just beautifully in the most wonderful, beautiful manner. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen when it comes to acting. No, well, and there's, it's, it's, there's amazing justice between Spock, who's going to go, right, we're about to lose the ship. I need to sacrifice myself so everyone survives, where there's Khan is like, oh, right. oh I'm taking everyone out. Like, that is, because it's going to be worth Right, it, like, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the great contrast, you know what I'm saying? One is sacrificing everyone, and, and including himself, to kill them all, whereas one in the, on the other side is sacrificing himself to save everyone. You know, it's, it's that great, beautiful contrast, you know, between life and death, you know, in its most, like, desperate, you know, say, like, its most desperate hours. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's just one of the most, like, tension-filled, one of the most darkest moments of Star Trek, you know what I'm saying? Because it is the death of Spock, you know? Go ahead, Preston. Go ahead, Preston. I know you want to say something. Sorry, no, 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 no. I, I, cause you're hitting on so many points. I wanted to just like, just like, like say really, really quickly. Um, I love that death scene a lot because of a couple of narrative choices that's making one, um, just like 
it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a, a beginning of the end for Kirk's arc in the film where yeah going back really quick to the scene where he's talking to Spock and it's like relay he, Spock's relaying to Kirk or reminding him what his destiny actually is versus what Kirk is convincing himself it is of, of being behind the captain's chair. Um, it's Kirk who who finishes Spock's quote. Where he's like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. Kirk is the one who says for the one, and so. Spock's sacrifice is him making that sacrifice of, of literally himself, the one to, to liberate the crew, as opposed to the way Khan does it, which is such megalomania that he that he's blinded uh, by if there are any survivors on his ship mm-hmm. while he's committing the, the deed of finally destroying it. Like half his face is burnt, half of my my uh, 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 my crew in the in the pit. Pretty much all in the crew in the pit is dead. I'm just gonna blow it all up, kind of thing, and uh, which is also a metaphor for what's going on in Hollywood right now. LOL. But yeah. um, <laughs> but but more. But also too, um, I just think um, like what Rob was saying about the delivery of 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 uh, Montalban. Like he's reciting uh, Captain Ahab uh, lines. Yeah. Like my heart stab at thee, and that kind of thing, and and him talking himself into that further megalomania that he's literally going to die in and him dying, thinking that he's finally doomed Kirk, which in a way for a brief moment he is because he's taken his best friend away, but it's that loss that makes Kirk grow. And I think that that scene is, 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 is pretty amazing. Um, I also, uh, in fact, where I was going to to ask, um, you know, uh, uh, Lindsay and Rob both were, um, I'm curious what y'all think about um, how do y'all think about how Khan's plan matches Kirk's arc in the movie? How the fact that they're that Khan is basically he's going after Kirk, and then that plan is briefly intercepted by him learning about what the Genesis device is and how it's. Uh, I mean, literally the whole reason why Chekhov it, it jumps into the movie after being away between. Uh, between one and two is that you know they're him captain terrell looking for a lifeless planet uh to test the genesis device which is as we know designed to reorganize dead matter into um something that's habitable a matrix as a spot puts it so i'm curious um how y'all feel about that and kind of how that fits to the theme of the movie well, for me, it's always about sort of life, death, and resurrection. I mean, Kirk is kind of resurrected from this kind of thing of becoming old, being the teacher, not being what he he's kind of, as you said, willing his destiny to be this one thing when it's actually over here. Um, and Genesis mm-hmm. is literally, again, that kind of, of bringing um, dead to life. Um, right, right. Like, it's literally, yeah. it's literally his name, Genesis. Yeah, you know. Genesis it's um so it's all about that so with because i know in the original script it's Spock was like meant to die in the first act which no um and also <laughs> they're gonna make a janet lee out of it i'm like you don't use established character like Spock to do a janet lee that's um <laughs> and also then it was meant to be permanent but because Spock had such a good experience actually working because i know his relationship with the other actors wasn't always easy especially bill um i think they grew to respect uh, respect each other but I, they definitely bumped yeah. heads over time um right who has and, to bump heads with bill <laughs> yeah oh everyone bumped heads with bill um and it is so so if he was like oh but can i come back in a certain way even if it's too direct and that's kind of where the genesis of 
the um, search for Spock came from. It was, and mm-hmm. I love the ending of seeing the coffin on the planet that they've brought to life. Like there's something so beautiful serene about, serene about it and beautiful. And the <laughs> fact that you have the funeral. And Christy then Alley's just, crying. Christy Alley, oh, I'm, I wanna ask you a question about Christy, um, Christy Alley in a, in a moment. Um, Cause we haven't even mentioned her yet, which is my point of view on it, but um, <laughs> it's, she's a pretty girl like and the way that both her and bones Kirk and bones hit on is amazing um but it is let, 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 let me just say real quickly that yeah. uh, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to Savick as a character i only i mean you know she's no longer with us so like this is like you know a new point you know what i'm saying it's like you know it's it's you know it's considered unkind to speak ill of the dead, but when it comes to Savick, I only recognize Robin Curtis as Savick from three and four. Like to the point where I'm watching Blood Fist Six and she shows up in a different character. I'm like, hey, that's Savick. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's Kirstie <laughs> Ellie's first role. So I don't want to be too harsh on her, but it kind of character feels like they just, we need a pretty girl. And they brought in Kirstie Alley. And oh, I no, I, I meant because, like, you know, Kirstie Alley in her later years became a real piece of shit. Oh, she did, you know yeah. <laughs> not to speak a little bit, you know. but, yeah, she wasn't mm, great. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, you know, I love Cheers. I love uh, looking Oh, I love Cheers. And, uh, I love who's talking. And, I love it, yeah. And, <laughs> and I, love run, I, I loved her Runaway, but... Uh, that woman became a real piece of shit in her later years. So it's just like, I mean, she's no longer with us, and, and I'm sorry that she's gone. But uh, the, the the last few years of her life are a real piece of shit. So it's like, yeah, um, not not a lot of sympathy there. I, I should say, sorry. I mean, she's good, but yeah, I just kind of don't know why she's in the movie other than. Well, she was a huge Star Trek fan. Oh, was um, she? That, that, yeah, oh, that's, that's so how cool. she got the yeah. part. That's how she got the part. Like you know, she she went in there and did a. Uh, a Spock, a uh, Leonard Nimoy Spock impression, um, which landed her the role of Savick. You know, what I'm oh, she's then, actually, like, you know, yeah, she was a very talented comic actress. So yeah, it, it yeah, makes yeah. sense. So, she so, Spock, yeah. But um, I think uh, by the time she they it came to do Search for Spock, she had kind of like made a name for herself, and like you know, it was just like she wanted too much money, so they was like, all right, we're gonna go Robin Curtis, who is my preferred Savick. Yeah. Per se, so I'm just Interesting. like, mm. yeah. <laughs> what do you feel so, about Savick, okay. uh, Preston? I so I, I I'm just shocked at, at, at I'm I'm only shocked that that Lindsay, you're 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 kind of you're being like, why is she in the movie? It's like, because because I can see like that vantage point of like, okay, she's here because she's a pretty woman, that kind of thing. And she is a student. She is she is made to be the student who grows into being an actual federation and I, I do see that arc i'm not like sort of saying that but you can have a whole conversation about her and not have her in the movie which i think there's a disconnect there except for the moment where she cries that's the oh yeah that's yeah well just, but there's but there's also oh, sorry to cut you off but i just i had to get this this point out like there's also the well there's a few scenes with her that i love in the movie and i think her being the student character of going because gradually over the course of the movie we meet other student characters like you meet peter preston who in the director's cut of the film is revealed to be scotty's nephew and of course yes. there's that death that makes scotty uh that that, that draws that performance oh, out of james it's uh, so heartbreaking but james Dolan, yeah but it, in in contrast the thing about savick and why i am pro savick in this case um is that 
she how do I put this? She she's the she's the one character who really does question Kirk's humanity. And uh, and you get that early on when uh, she after Kirk basically tells her like the the Kobayashi Maru has no win scenarios, basically yeah. imploring her to take those risks that that a young Vulcan without a Kirk in her previous life wouldn't have. So there's already that conflict there. Obviously later on there's a scene in the elevator uh, where uh, where <laughs> she's like you know humor is, is a weird concept that's not logical. We learn by doing that mm. kind of thing. But then in between, and this I think is what makes her integral to the movie and the theme, one, some of the themes of it. Um, she's Spock detects that she's a little perturbed, which is not the Vulcan way. So mm. he, he knows that what Kirk did put a debt into her way of living. And she's like, you know, I'm surprised. Why, why, are, you, why are you surprised? Um, you know, he's so human. Human. And. Mm. No, and he says nobody's perfect, and I think that that's really palpable, because when she cries, that's part of that theme of like imperfection is sometimes the way, it is how we grow. Like yeah. it, it is integral to you can't just be pure Spock all the time. You do have to be a little bit of a rock star. You do have to take chances, but you also have to be willing to flirt with death, and that's something that neither Savick nor Kirk in literal form really have. And so when both characters have their conversation while they're waiting with uh, Dr. Marcus and, and their son. And she's like, wait, so you never, wait, so you never actually beat the, the, the Kobashi Maru, you cheated, you know? And he's like, I don't believe in no one scenarios. He contradicts himself by revealing, Hey, that's a part of my own ego. Me telling you that as a teacher, when he's really not good at that because yeah. he has to practice what he preaches. And he does do that in the film. And so Savick's crying is her living that practice. Uh, and, 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 yes. and so that's that's what I love about their relationship. It's not just Savick by herself. And I actually, something that I personally am not big on in three and four, even though I do really like them, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the Voyage Home in, in general, but is that even though I do like Robin Curtis, like I feel like Savick is almost there by each movie just to kind of be like, hey, like, remember this character? Like I kind of, but I say that, but but then also like, I kind of like it when, when characters are revisited from other movies and they're, and they're just there. So maybe I'm just talking, but I, I like Savick in this movie a lot is what I'm saying, but. No, I, I totally get it. And you make up some really, really amazing points that I'm like, oh, maybe I was too hard on, maybe because my whole thing of just Kirstie Ellie when she was older, kind of just crept into the movie a little bit. <laughs> I know what happens to you. Um, Thankfully, I don't know a lot about Kirstie Alley's uh, personal life. I, mm. I I should look into that after this because yeah. I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I want to have some cine literacy here with how I talk about actors and actresses. But yeah. I, but I, no, I, just, but, just, just, just to let you know, she was a Trumper. Yeah. Ah, okay. I re please edit that out, Lindsay. <laughs> Everything I said, just edit it out. <laughs> no, no. I think it's sometimes important just to look at a at, at performance given what they were doing at the time and kind of disconnect what they will later. Yeah, about. like sometimes you know, I think that is important. But separating separating the art from the artist because yeah. uh, me and me and Patrick just literally did an episode where we discussed Seven and obviously you know Kevin Spacey being 
a big part of seven, you know. I just mean, pretty much ignored uh, Kevin Spacey when yeah, I yeah, No, I didn't, but, but I ignored. I, I, I yeah. think I refused to call I, I mean, the, the, his name. At the, at, the, at the time of this recording, the episode comes out tomorrow, but just know that Patrick starts the episode was like, uh, I'm going to say nice things about Kevin Spacey, but just know that I know that the man is a real big piece of shit. You know what I'm saying? So fuck that guy. But yeah. like, yeah, like. It's, it's a good I performance, go yeah. Yeah, but Kevin Spacey is a piece of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like. That's, that's one of those perfect movies where it's like it's hard to <laughs> it's it's hard yeah. to be like ah oh, I want to take you out of this but like yeah it's yeah, kind of annoying because he's so good in seven and you he's playing a piece of shit and you know he's a piece of shit so the dynamic I don't know anyway seven is a masterpiece <laughs> and um yeah he's um, it's unfortunate but, but like, of what, yeah <laughs> but but like what, what I wanted to add to that is that like you know when uh. Uh, Spock and Savick have that exchange where, like he's so human but nobody's perfect you know that's obviously Spock speaking for himself where it's like you know he's half human himself mm. you know what I'm saying like you know oh, Vulcan, yeah. father, Vulcan father human mother you know what I'm saying and like mm -hmm. you know his, his emotions have gotten the better of him at certain, at certain times where it's like um, one of my, my favorite episodes and I was saying this to you guys off mic um my my comfort episodes is a muck uh, a muck time. One of my all-time favorite episodes. That's the one that whenever I'm depressed, I always go to a muck time. But like it has one of those pivotal Kirk and Spock moments where, um, obviously that's the episode where they have the big duel. You know the yep. <laughs> You know everybody remembers the moment and like you know uh, 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 I think about Spock, the cable guy Kirk. when you did that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was like, duh, 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 duh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went straight to the cable guy as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's I'm a sorry. great episode. Great episode. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I, no, no, no. You're, you're fine. That's a, and, and it absolutely is. Like, like I stated, that's one of my comfort episodes. Uh, and as I stated, the the corporate might maneuver uh, where no man has gone before, which is basically like Kirk's debut. I even, I even like uh, the the cage or the the menage, the, the menagerie. Um, and like it's, it's I mean, I I'm, I'm gonna stop it now because I'm just gonna continue on to how many fucking uh, episodes of Star Trek I love. Um <laughs> but um the amok time is pivotal in like, you know, the the whole Star Trek universe, particularly between the relationship between Kirk and Spock, where um they have that duel between them, you know, for uh uh, uh the battle for the love of the prey. And uh, Kirk uh, seemingly dies, and you know, obviously Spock is a logical person, so he he, he can't show emotion. But he, like knowing Spock, as logical as he is, and the like, clear of emotion as he likes to be, he's clearly destroyed because you know he feels like he just killed not only his captain but you know someone he considers a friend, and as you would know, like his best friend. And where they, he comes back to the ship and he's telling McCoy that, you know, he's going to resign himself and you realize Kirk is standing right behind him and he's alive. And he's like, you know, I'm going to give, you know, relinquish command to uh, Mr. Scott. And Kirk is like, don't you think you should check with me first? It's a captain. And he goes, Jim! And he grabs him and he's so <laughs> elated. And, and he's so elated. And I love how, like, uh, McCoy and Nurse Chapel was still like, yeah, we saw that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, <laughs> I, okay. he's like, oh, Captain. Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, what happened there? You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> but like that is is a pivotal moment in their relationship because it shows 
for a brief moment just how much Spock cares about Kirk. Uh. You know, where he's just as someone who is just primes himself of being a someone of pure logic. He's so elated to see this man alive because it's like, this is my friend, uh. you know. And it's like his human side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like his his human side showing through, which I, I believe is like you know, like he says, like, you know, his decision at the end of Khan, uh uh Khan was logical. But you know he did that to save everyone, including Jim, because he truly loves this man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He loves this man so much, you know, say do not grieve at him. It was logical. You know, no. and like you know, like like as Preston was stating earlier, you know, what I'm saying was like you know, where Kirk finished, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, and then Spock in turn finishes that line for him when it's you know that that phrase is repeated, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and and Spock goes or the one, mm. you know, what I'm saying, and and it's such a beautiful moment, you know, and and I have been, and always shall be, your friend. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, live long and prosper, and then he dies. And it's like, yeah, like, oh, oh my God, dude. Like, it's just, like, no matter matter how many fucking times I watch this, you know, the waterworks. Like, particularly, because I I wanted to bring up a good, uh, I wanted to give a a, a point when it comes to William Shatner. Shatner, over the years, where his acting techniques has become a bit of a, mean per se where it's just like you know his like his overacting and like the way he like delivers dialogue we need to go to the quadrant system mm. to save like you know saying like that that shit you know it's but awesome. like you know yeah it, it is but like people forget just how good Shatner can be sometimes an actor and he's fucking great Oh, he's amazing. Movie. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, yeah. This is his Particu- best performances. Yeah. Yeah. Pr- particularly in that scene with, with Spock's dead, like, you know, with, with Spock's death scene, where, like, you know, he rushes in there and it's like, you know, Admiral, don't. He'll die. He's, he's dead. Already, already. He's, already, he's already dead. Yeah. Like, I love the guy who's, like, holding his midriff and he just sort of gets up and walks away. I don't know why. Scotty. Like, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. And, like yeah. you know. Because the thing is, Scotty, and there's just this random guy who's just, like, having to help the three guys, having to hold them back. And it's. um Right. And yeah. that, like, the way. He's dead already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shatner portrays utter devastation in the most subtle manner. And, like, Spock. And, like, that separation between them is, like, this is my best friend. And like, you know, I want to embrace him, but I can't, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, we're separated, but like, you know, this, you know, big ass thick piece of fucking glass or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, and it's just, you feel Kirk's pain in that moment because it's like, you know, he, like he said, I don't, I don't believe in no win scenarios. You know, I don't like to lose and all that stuff. And it's like, you win, but you lose at the same time because, like, you you save the universe once again, you know. But you lost the most important thing to you is your well, best Spock, friend. Spock coyly asked him uh, hypothetically, "What, like, I, you know, I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. What do you think of my solution?" Yeah. Which is which is a, a very interesting capper to that other yeah. scene that between them that that you know we're we're going back to as well. I also wanted to ask, because I agree with you, Rob, like Shatter's performance is absolutely incredible. 
I tear up during that scene um, every time I watch this movie as well. And I wanted to ask you, because um, actually my one of my favorite pieces of acting um, um, in this movie um, is when, well, I'll, I'll name two scenes because they're consecutive. It's the, There's one small part where um, Shatner's fighting uh, Dr. Marcus's son. And that's when she says like off mic or off, off, off to the side, like David, like, stop it. You know, you're making things worse. Mm. And yeah. the, the shock of his face, like is, you know, the shock in his face is perfect. Cause we know like as an audience, it, I mean, I'm trying to imagine watch this for the first time. I kind of can't, but <laughs> uh, the, the shock on Shatner's face reveals that this is something that's going to be extrapolated and that we know that, there's something between Kirk and Dr. Marcus that needs to be addressed. And yeah. so the scene where yeah. he's hunched down, he tells her like, there's a man from, uh, I haven't seen in 15 years who's out there trying to kill me. You know, I'm worn out. I feel old. And yeah. the, and I like how, I, I don't want to, you know, rant about, you know, current movies or whatever, but there's, there's a certain I, there's a certain go go goness to where to the way that uh, a lot of blockbusters are that I'm just kind of tired of myself, and I like that this scene and I like that this movie overall lets you sit with that dramatic moment like it's quiet and you're allowed to think and feel, which again yeah. is indicative of Trek, but I also think that's indicative of Meyer. That's something yeah. that he does really yeah, well yeah. time after time. But in that scene, um, him and BB Dash just like play off each other. Uh, intrinsically and emotionally and she I mean you believe immediately that if there's anyone who can uh, really tie down a man who's like fucked every single living thing woman green thing out there in the galaxy then it's her because she's like hey like I really want to show you something that can can make you you feel young yeah yeah and she Mm -hmm. also knows him like she knows him as well as spark and bones do like there's an instant kind of why when they're having the conversation over the calm of like when she thinks that he's going to come back and take genesis why are you doing this and he's like i don't know what you're talking right. about but there's this kind of you know how important this is like you know and they instantly the way it's written you can tell she knows him as just as well as everyone else and they have that kind of rapport that he has with the other guys so it kind of feels naturally woven um Moving into it but no i love baby's performance in this i i think the whole thing i think just the way this movie is constructed i think just how it builds on the um kind of the beginnings of the show and kind of how it just it, and it but also builds on the motion picture it does everything kind of which is kind of the cool thing about star trek that even though it gets bigger and bigger with more characters and more storylines and more histories it's able just to kind of fit everything in the tent and it never feels too bloated which is something that I will say about Star Wars is that it does feel bloated when you put too much into it. Because Star Wars, it should be more simple. It should be, oh. look, I'm your father, and that's kind of it. But yet it's built so much into it. But Star Trek just never feels bloated to me. No. I, 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 also, yeah. I, I, will, I also will say that um, Kirk and Carol Marcus' uh, relationship is set up better in here than and fucking into darkness. It is. Like Oh no. <laughs> I've I've come to appreciate into darkness more, but I will say it feels more natural than it it feels a little bit 
but everything and, in the darkness feels a little forced. Like they're separating everyone in a really that. shitty yeah. way. It's yeah. It, yeah that, a I, lot of that thing feels forced to get them for Cumberbatch to say, I am Khan. And everyone, we're like, well, we know, but no one else does. It's very Spectre in that way. The, that That's my issue with yeah, it because, point. yeah. It, that's my issue with it because, you know, it, it, it is, it, it is an entertaining movie per se, but it's like a lot of it is just like, hey, Remember uh, uh, Khan? Remember uh, the death of Spock? We're going to switch that. Where's the death of Kirk? And Spock is going to scream, Khan, now. Remember that? That's cool, right? And No. No, and then no, they the bring him back in like two seconds. It's like, okay, which is a, so, yeah, which exactly. is a modern movie so, thing. Like, they can't yeah, like, sit in the moment. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like, you kill them and then you bring him back, like, five seconds later. So what was the fucking point? Just so we could have that <laughs> reference, that nostalgia thing where it's just, like, you know, like, oh, God. Let's just say that all the nostalgia and all the Khan references is done better in, in uh, Beyond. Like, that is, like, Bones going well, around, gonna... looking in lockers to find alcohol is my favorite thing about that movie. And it says so much about McCoy, that he's just <laughs> like, oh, I found it in Chekhov's locker. So you were just like opening people's lockers to see what kind of alcohol they have? Well, I was going to say, um, to your point, I think one of the reasons why Beyond feels like such a narrative, uh, if you're taking the, just the three Kelvin uh, mm. Kelvin movies, Beyond feels like such a breath of fresh air after something yes. like In the Darkness, which which yes. I do, <laughs> which I, I, I do like In the Darkness. I was one of the people that in the theater – I was like, oh, this is what they're doing. Like, this is this is uh, they're they're doing the con story, and and it put a damper on it. But it, it was it was one of those things where I do think it's a well directed movie. I do think uh, it, I'm just talking about the te te technically technically. Um, I, I like the <laughs> I like the direction. Yeah, I like the technically, direction. Technically, that's all. Yeah. That's all. I like the direction, um, and I like the cast. Um, that's, I love, yeah. Those are my only two defenses. But the things besides the concept that I think are troubling on the movie is that one, like the um, they. This is gonna get really nerdy, so just bear with me. But um, I forget. I think they invent like a space jump that basically circumvents transport beaming. That literally breaks the franchise. That breaks the concept of Star. One of the conceits of Star Trek, which is transport beaming, and I like Russian that Beyond Jackson. abandons that. Yeah, Beyond abandons that, and then the, the other thing is, uh, um, you know, they completely do away with. Um, oh, there, there was something else I was going. I was going to cite. Oh, okay, it's the big logic gap. Because think about it, like, because even in the theater ten years ago, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Where I was sitting there, I was just like, okay, why, how come when Khan is introduced or Benedict Cumberbatch, John Harrison, some generic ass name, um, he like incapacitates um, a two Klingon, you know, guards or whatever. And then he has a hard time fighting Spock in the third act of the movie physically, yeah. which I'm also just like, I'm not like a, I try to, I know I talk about screenplay and writing and stuff like that. I really know, I typically know how to suspend my disbelief, but I can't disbelieve so hard when he's having a hard time fighting a half Vulcan and he could literally take out two Klingon motherfuckers like in the beginning of the movie when he's introduced. Like that just seems all over the place. And I like that even though I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to see more Klingons in later movies. I do like that they abandon that plot thread and they more importantly abandon the whole space jump bullshit. Oh and make a classic feeling trek, which I think yes. is why Beyond is such a breath of fresh air. 
That's all yes. I have to say. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. Um, because we're going to have to go on to another major movie, I was I'm just going to ask, uh, anything else you want to say about Khan before you move on to another masterpiece? Yeah. Um, oh, I'll let, I'll let Rob go first because... Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try because... Preston just reminded me of so much pain just now. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's just like going through Age of Darkness going, no, yeah. why? 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 Yeah, because people talk about the con stuff, but there's there's bigger, there's also, not bigger, but there's also major issues at play. And I think. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Thing. Like that, 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 that's why I'm sitting there. I'm listening to him recount these issues and I'm just like, yes, all of them. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Into Darkness was made at the height of the Smart Blood era, so it is. A fucking a Spock, fucking becoming like John McClane, yeah, jumping off the, the shit, like beating, like <laughs> hammer, hammer fisting motherfuckers and shit, like like all that shit. And this is like, what what the fuck am I watching here? Is, is have you seen Star Trek, JJ Abrams? <laughs> What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Well, you already that made a really thing. good Star Trek movie with the 09. That's what the thing is going confounding. I'm like, no, you made a really good Star Trek movie with 09. And then, yeah. Well, like, well he also they, added like, on a new screenwriter to the mix, David Lindelof, who kind of, yeah, and, and there's there's some there's some stuff there. but Yeah. No, the, the Abrams thing is that he's good with starting shit off, but when you ask him to come back, like, hey, you want to do another entry? Then it's like, yeah, no. Like, just let, let somebody else finish it because he's not good at that shit. Huh. Um, Rise of Skywalker is a perfect fucking example. I'm sorry, Andy. I'm sorry, Chris. But and Daniel Rise as well. Daniel the fan. Yeah, Daniel's a fan of uh, Daniel and Chris are also fans of Rise of Skywalker. The, the fucking Rise of Skywalker. I was sitting in that theater like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? But it is what it is. It is what it is. It's time gone. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm over it. Well, not really. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm kind of over it. But whatever. Um, but uh, any final thoughts on Wrath of Khan? Wrath of Khan is a motherfucking masterpiece. Um, it is It is an argument I've had uh, with my brother from another Mac the All-Star. Because obviously, if you, if you listen to our shows, he is a Star Wars guy. And, you know, I am a Star Wars guy as well, but like we constantly argue about um, uh, like the the, the the trilogies because obviously Wrath of Khan, Search of Spock, and Voyage Home it's it's that is the trilogy of the Star mm-hmm. Trek franchise. And you know what I'm saying we constantly argue about like you know the the Star Trek trilogy versus the original Star Wars trilogy. You know what I'm saying it's like. You know, like, basically the argument comes about, like, you know, what's the greater film? Empire Strikes Back or Wrath of Khan? You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like... They're hard to compare because they both, they've got different kind of things going on. No, like, yeah, it it, it is like, like, you know, it it was basically what Preston was saying earlier. It's it's kind of apples and oranges sort of situation where they, they both do different things. Excuse me. You know what I'm saying? You know, the fact that I'm burping and, you know, they're like, uh, y'all y- y- have seen the the, the the amount of booze drinking. The, the audience mm-hmm. hasn't seen it, so like they're, they're gonna hear the, the burping. And it's like, is I've, I've consumed a large amount of. I am the I am the cinema junkie, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should come to expect this. However, um, it like it, it is. I mean, that argument we had 
all the time should like it, it really should encapsulate everything you love about cinema where it's just like you know just two great masterpieces of, of not just sci-fi but just cinema in general and it's just like you know he's got his side i've got mine but we both understand that you know both franchises exist with a niche you know like you could consider most mass majority like general audiences like you know their niche you know saying like star wars and star trek but wrath of khan and empire strikes back is just in the in the, in the sense that they transcend that where it's yeah. just like it's just beautiful pieces of cinema all together and it's just like a, just an amount of appreciation that you have to have for both of them where it's just like it, it goes beyond audiences it goes beyond like you know fan bases where it's just like these are two perfect movies in general like just absolutely you know like like both do what they do incredibly efficient you know what i'm saying where it's just like both of them so it's just like i i mean i prefer wrath of Khan, but like i can understand why you think empire strikes Back better like mac uh chris you know what i'm saying and i respect that but wrath of Khan is better <laughs> why because you know it's just I'm a Star Trek guy, so I'm gonna be fucking biased. It's just I'm not, I'm not even gonna fucking try to, you know, say like just like sit there trying to like make some kind of like you know convoluted, uh, uh, like explanation why I think I just think it's better because I'm a Star Trek guy. You know, saying I, I love Star Wars, but Star Trek is better, and Wrath of Khan is a perfect example of why this franchise is just like glorious, you know. And like it, it just goes beyond like its roots, you know. What I'm saying its fan base, and it's just like you know that you know, like you know, there's a reason why, you know. What I'm saying when people bring up how, um, you know, what I'm saying like you know, like when they're talking about like the, the best of the franchise, and you know, what I'm saying Wrath of Khan is always at the top. You know, what I'm saying not just like the television series. You know, what I'm saying you bring up the original series, you know, Next Generation, or Deep Space Nine, or Voyager. You know, Wrath of Khan is always up there at the top as, like, you know, how great this series is. And it's well-deserved because Wrath of Khan is just a masterpiece. I'm just saying. And, you know, that, that's that's my final thought on that. Preston, what's your final thoughts on uh, Wrath of Khan? <laughs> I, I, I echo a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of what uh, Rob said earlier, um, especially the sentiment that um, it's a masterpiece, um, a quote, um, you know, motherfucking masterpiece, as he put it, and and really, ultimately, what what makes it, I think, a ten out of ten film today, partially uh, because I because um, again, a, a few of the trailers we alluded to prior to this discussion were swashbuckling films, and I and I really like that this movie really um, appropriates a lot of the conventions of old like um, World War Two type of films, like films that are basically naval films in the, in the air, dogfighting films um, kind of thing, um, like movies like uh, 12 O'Clock High and movies like that. Um, I do feel like you see the cinema Cuisinart element to Meyer's approach here and how it contrasts with uh, the more um, 
kind of Kubrick adjacent approach of its predecessor. Yeah. I think doing that, do, breaking that, breaking that um, uh, up in this movie by taking a different approach, kind of a with a less of a budget, still be, managing to be a go big or go home because a lot of people didn't care for the last film, um, even though it's a it's it has its following now. Um, how do we make this broader and more accessible today? And yeah. I, I think by by being risky for the time and kind of redefining one of television's you know biggest heroes up to that point um, as someone with a midlife crisis, someone who is um, dealing with very human issues, with which if you were a kid in 1982 seeing this for the first time, almost like seeing your dad go through these things and, and for two hours straight and watching it now, you know, going through our own life struggles and then identifying with Kirk in, in a different set of nuances, I think adds to its a moral appeal. And uh, ultimately, I think just what makes it the, the best Star Trek anything, regardless of show or film, is that uh, it redefined the franchise. Like, sartorially, with the costuming and the designs of the characters, you see that ripple out through the next generation um, and its other spinoff shows up until now, kind of the fearlessness it took to uh, to to change designs in a way, uh, character designs and costuming and et cetera. Um, and, and really uh, just by being a, a incredibly well-scripted, very exciting, very fun movie with, um, with uh, in my opinion, Shatner's best performance as Kirk, um, as well as some of the, um, a lot of the actors from the original series getting their moment to shine and, and being <laughs> and being um, and just being um, and, and being unafraid to be emotional and get the heartstrings and get to the heart of what makes great storytelling, um, I think, is, is what makes it one of my favorite films. And um, those are my final thoughts. No, I mean, it is a really great film. It is one of the great naval movies. It is one of the great kind of revenge movies. It's one of the great space movies. So, yeah, Rathacon is great and kind of says so much with so little which is something I will always appreciate about that one and I think yeah it, I got more appreciation for actually just watching it and we're just putting seeing how it just was just put together on a construction level which I think is I love the editing in in, in, the, in that I should have looked up the editor's name but it is so well edited just how it constantly cuts from um because uh, Khan and um, Shatner never meet face to face; they're only talking through comms, and I think that is. That's but there's such a synergy to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because that is, well, like you, you will hear it, but you know, in 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 my opinion, I mean, there was that whole thing where you mentioned it. Um, and we, we should bring it up. We'll bring it up on thing because I am going to shake like, Larry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking Larry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait, he was like, oh, I still haven't seen it. It's like, That's a bold statement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, That's a bold Larry, statement. <laughs> Larry, Larry. And I, and I remember too. That's why I jumped because... in. I was like, okay, no, no. Literally, Lindsay's correct. Like... Yeah, this is, this is not a controversial <laughs> statement saying Once Upon a Time is the best Western ever made. <laughs> Like, like, but, but here's the thing, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I didn't, if, if you notice in my response, I didn't even mention Western. I was like, a, a better film no, than is. this, you would you never... never find. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, I, I beyond just particularly Western, I think this is one of, like, 
I, I'm going to mention it, but like it is one of my essentials. Where it's just like if you want to understand film language and like you know what oh. film means to you as an art form, once upon a time in the world. Well, we might as well get into Once Upon a Time in the West because I have got to talk about how hot Jason Robards is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with that, we're going to go into another final frontier, but this time we're going back to the Old West, one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, Larry, I'm naming and shaming you. I love you, but it is not a bold statement to say that Once Upon a Time in the West is one of the greatest westerns ever made. In fact, one of the greatest movies ever made. Understand. Um, and you have a treat in front of you and it's going to be amazing. Curtains are back opening. We're going to be watching a movie that was made for high definition because I want to see all the pores, makeup smudges, wrinkles, everything in this movie. Rob, what is going to be your trailer for Once Upon a Time in the West? Well, considering that this is a western, I have to admit that... Um, well, I was still a kid when I got into Westerns, but like before that, I, I wasn't into Westerns at all. Like my father tried to show me Silverado and I neglected that and I was a fucking idiot for doing because Silverado is amazing. Hey, you're young. Um, it took me a while to get into Westerns as well. Am like, I the yeah, only like kid who just liked Westerns off the bat? I just had to, I just had oh, to. Oh, you and Daniel, no, that's, Kristen, that's just you and Daniel. <laughs> Everyone else. Fair enough. <laughs> like no, like 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 you're great because of it. You're great film fans because of it. But um yeah, you yeah, and Daniel yeah, are smart. Most... We we are not. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're you're better than us. Let's yeah. put it that way. Like like, I don't know about like that. Pop, like, no, 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 no. Pop tried to start me off proper with showing me Silverado and I I completely rejected it, and I'm a fucking idiot for doing so. Because oh, my Silverado dad tried to show me a is, My dad tried to show me the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I fully rejected it. Like it was, yeah. He tried but, to show. Like, yeah, he tried to introduce me to Leone. I was like, "What the hell is this?" Well, yeah, you're walking like around just, in dirt. You're like, what "Yeah, is walking this? around yeah. in dirt. I don't like it." No. Nah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, 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 pop. What the fuck is this? And it's like, oh, this is good. It's like. Yeah, you don't even know what his name is, like you know, because I'm showing that I'm more of a film fan than he is, even though he knows more than I do, because he understands Silverado is fucking great, and they're like I don't get it, and like years later I'm watching Silverado, I'm like I'm a fucking idiot, I should have listened to Pop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, I'm going to go with the film that got me into the Western genre, which is still. Even though I'm going to say many great things about, you know, our second feature, Once Upon a Time in the West, but I'm, you know, this is a film that got me into Westerns, so it is my favorite, and that is 1993's Tombstone. Hollywood Pictures presents... The only real law around here is the Cowboys. The story of Wyatt Earp. The first time in our lives we got a chance to stop wandering and finally be a family. Now this is trouble we don't need. If we're gonna have a future in this town, it's gotta have some law and order. What do you want, Ringo? I want your blood. I want your soul. I want them both right now. They shot your brother. Now 
the time has come for justice. Yes, maybe you better swear me in. And he has to live up to his reputation. You got a fight coming. Last time. None of your problem, Doc. You don't have to mix up in this. That is a hell of a thing for you to say to me. In a battle. The last charge of Wired Up and his immortals. Tombstone is my all-time favorite Western. You know, I give it that title because, I, I mean, there, there are Westerns I understand are better, particularly the film we're going to talk about. Um, You know, not only one of the, the greatest Western ever, but one of the greatest films ever made. And of course, there's Unforgiven, Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, which um, uh, one of the films I got shitted on for posting, like there was a Twitter prompt, was like, name your 10 favorite Western. Uh, I, I, person, I think you remember this, where like uh, there, there was a Twitter prompt, was like, name your favorite your 10, yeah. you know, favorite Westerns. And I named like the Outlaw Josie Wales, the stagecoach, and somebody, some fucking rando came out, was like, Oh, but like fucking, how could you name Clint Eastwood and John Wayne westerns when they tried to fucking attack the the the, the Indian uh, lady at the, the the Oscars? And it's like you know, yeah, that was fucked up. But how the fuck is that my fault? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, why why are you coming at me? You know what I'm saying? Like, like I know fucking Clint Eastwood and John Wayne are pieces of shit. You know what I'm saying? But it's like I'm not <laughs> responsible for them. Like. What the what, like? No, seriously. What the fuck do you want me to do? Do you mm. want me to throw fucking Clint Eastwood's ancient ass down the stairs? Mm. Do you want me to dig up fucking uh, John Wayne's decomposing corpse and shit and fucking? I mean, that that would probably suffice because John Wayne is an incredible piece of shit. Uh, but do you want me to dig up his corpse and fucking kick it into oblivion? Like, what the fuck are you asking? Me? Hmm. Uh, like how how the fuck is I'm just naming my favorite westerns and shit. I'm not responsible for these motherfuckers and their their piece of shitness. You know what the fuck? Well, Rob, yeah, I wanted to one of sorry to interject if if I could interject um because I feel like because you, you being a you know a, a very avid action fan, I wanted to ask you d- does action get a similar amount of of um critiques for its its a lot of its regressive tra- traits or or is that the is that westerns that that gets that more so because in my experience being a western well because i i do love westerns like i think yeah, yeah i've been on a few podcasts talking about my love of westerns um and i always get that ire where um uh not, i don't want to call it ire but like a, a criticism of like i try to uh to in, uh to invoke the gospel of the man shot Liberty Balance several months back. And the first question I got, despite being a Jimmy Stewart film, who's one of the few movie stars to seemingly translate over generations, the first yeah. question I got was, wasn't John Wayne like, you know, heavily like a like a staunch, you know, Republican, um, and that kind of thing. Which, you know, that that took the that took the discussion to a different corner. But I didn't want to ask you, like, do you do you uh is it is it solely this genre that gets that and Lindsay as well obviously mm. um um that that gets that kind of not solely but is it mostly this genre that tends to get criticism like that especially when you're trying to celebrate what your favorites are in said genre um no no uh the action genre definitely gets that like particularly um like especially now like you look at like something like most recently, like 
uh, Rambo Last Blood. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, you know, Stallone, mm-hmm. you know, he he has his, you know, he, he likes to put his political beliefs into films and like, you know, that uh as as Patrick loves to say is like boomer porn. Um <laughs> with the with the last blood. And and no, I and no, I and that that is true because I remember going to see Rambo Last Blood and there was two elderly white women coming out of there. It's like, what film are you going to see? And I was with my date at the time. It was like, we're going to see Rambo. It's like, oh, we loved it. Oh, it was great. Oh, it was amazing. We loved it so much. And it's like, oh, oh cool, cool. Like, you know, these old vehicles, you know, they love the film. And then like you we watching it, it's like, oh, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the, the love of Rambo's destruction of these, 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 you know, the Latino people, you know, these Mexicans, you know, and it's just like, oh, well, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a fanciful thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess that uh, Stallone loves to invoke, like, oh, it's just fantasy, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, yeah, but, you know, you're kind of releasing it at a time and shit, you know what I'm saying, where your 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 homeboy <laughs> yeah. is in favor, you know, with the with the we'll build a wall, you know what I'm mm. saying? And it's just like, you know, that this is not fucking helping in mm. any in any way, short of form and shit. So it's like there, there, there's definitely that kind of thing going on. Uh I mean Westerns, it's like, you know, there's a separation was going on because you know westerns have been going on for so long where uh where it's like like even where it's like westerns have been such a long running genre where it's compared to uh you know comic book movies where um you know, filmmakers, I think, like like George Lucas have said, like, you know, he feels like comic book movies are going to go the way of Western because Western was, like, a dominant genre, per se, of cinema. And, like, you know, the bubble burst at a certain point where it's like nobody really gave a fuck about Westerns anymore. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like it became a long, for, like, forgotten thing. And where it's like, you, to, to see Westerns now, it's like, oh, shit, somebody made a Western. Right. You know, like, like you know, yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the action movie is kind of the extension of the western, as in it is a celebration. Going back to sort of Rambo, Last Blood, um, it is a celebration of a certain kind of machismo. Then now that doesn't mean that these, especially in the movie we're about to talk about, um, and even with um, Tombstone, especially. I mean, there are things yeah. that are going on, but they are definitely sort of celebrating this kind of manliness um and, 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 and destiny which i think those two genres have in common but it's not to say that those genres don't question themselves or change or kind of confront kind of things but i think that's which is why john wayne and clint eastwood gets the whole well they're pieces of shit I'm like yeah i know and and <laughs> it's like i'm a, like yeah like you know like they they make great pieces of cinema like regardless of the fact that they're they're in real life they're pieces of shit oh. but like i wanted to bring up that Preston actually had brought up on Twitter had brought up uh, like uh, a, a good point on that where like you know um, westerns that like you know like films that are not westerns but like are westerns 
like you know that, I did uh, say that yeah yeah like yeah. That, that's your favorite genre like you know contemporary films that like are essentially westerns themselves like you know like Roadhouse and I, I think I may have contributed to that where we was like yeah like yeah this film you know um and, and like when discussing Once Upon a Time in the West, like I will bring up like you know a certain trope in action film that uh, Once Upon a Time in the West like basically perfected before like you know that shit you know continued on, but, you know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, like like you know Western is the kind of thing. It's like like this came out in '69, right? The yeah, like 68, 69 was like around the same time that uh, the Wild Ones came out. And it's just like, you know, essentially killed the genre. Not because it's like, you know, like, you know, they were any, I mean, Once Upon a Time in the West was like, you know, uh, unfortunately a flop because of its truncated form in... It was a it was a it was a flop in the states because they cut it back, but in Europe yeah. it was a hit because they let the which is the same thing you think Paramount would have learned from um, with Once Upon a Time in America, they did not, and again a hit in Europe and a flop in the states because they decided to cut it down. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know co- coupled with the Wild Bunch, which was essentially I think Sam Peckinpah deciding that you know the Western genre needs to end and he decided to kill it. Um, which is kind of like, yeah, like which, which, which is like, uh, uh, I forgot who it was, but and I agree with this wholeheartedly. It was like Zack Snyder's Justice League kind of did the same thing with the superhero genre. I think it kind of did. I think everyone just, yeah, went there, like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, where, where it's like Zack Snyder's Justice League is kind of like to, to the, to the comic book superhero genre, what the wild bunch is to. The Western genre, where it's just like you know, it incorporated all these things, and it's essentially, where else do you go from here? You know, like mm-hmm. it's just there's nowhere else to go and shit, and that's why you see like, you know, like superhero movies now, like you know, there's the whole big thing with the Flash being like the biggest superhero bomb, and like you know, Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania being a bomb in itself. Well, it's kind of weird. Yeah, a superhero bomb is different from a normal bomb because those movies did make a lot of money. It just they were so expensive to make, especially with the Flash, because it went through so many permutations of what this is what the movie's going to be. That yeah, um, yeah, right. Like you know, saying so. So you see, like the bubble bursting in real time. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, like it's 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 a good comparison with like once upon a time in the west and the wild bunch because it's like you know you like where do you go with the western genre i have something to say well i have something to say about when we get into the movie i have something to say about revisionist westerns and why i feel like because my biggest hot take that i'm kind of discovering because i did like a big western binge earlier this year and i've kind of been breaking that up throughout the year I'm discovering a lot of the revisionist westerns that people my age seem to prefer. A lot of them aren't that good, so that's my big hot take. Oh, um, um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I love, I love, I love a lot of them, but there are some that I'm trying to find hidden gems, and it, it feels like a dog trying to chase a tail. And I, I have very strong feelings about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think 
it is an I bring that point up not to be controversial, but because I feel like there is a bit of a um, there is a bit of a, a similarity going on with um, the current genre right now, the comic book film that Rob mentioned and how Westerns used to dominate for like 20, 30 years at a certain point. Mm. And trends really should last in movies every 10 years, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so that when you have, I feel like, um, cause Western is the only genre that I can think of that like really went past that point to, to last it throughout the, the end of the thirties. I mean, it cinema began with the Western, but it really stagecoach changed everything in 39. And so to have Westerns for like the next 20 to 25 years be so dominant to the point to where you get to the end of that run you have these two revisionist movies that were reviled by critics and, and in my opinion, misunderstood by critics at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, even, um, even, even the performers of those movies, cause John Wayne was very famously like just uh, uh, against like the portrayal of like the Western and the wild bunch. Like mm-hmm. I, I think he, he, he even wrote, a nasty letter to Sam Peckinpah. Oh, like, when didn't he write a lasting letter? He pretty much told Steven Spielberg he was a communist when he read the script for 1941. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wrote yeah, back he and said, I will not do this movie, you're a communist. And I'm like, um, yeah. that's not what that movie's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like he hated... What? <laughs> he hated... He, like, the, the, the fact that he hated High Noon so much... They, they, they he went made on to make Rio Re- Bravo. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rio Bravo and, like, kind of, like, an answer to that and just, like, completely despised Wild Bunch. Yeah, going back to Tombstone, it's interesting you said once you get to Once Upon a Time in the West and the Wild Bunch, where does the Westing go? And when you do get Westerns, especially in the 90s with... um. Um, oh shoot, uh, the one with Emilio Estevez, Young Guns, and Young Guns. also, also, um, uh, Tombstone, which are both I love oh, both those movies to varying degrees. But with um, Tombstone, it kind of feels like this music video of a western, which and I'm not saying that to criticize, I'm actually saying that as a point that which is why that movie is great because it's got like magic bullets and um, all this other kind of thing. It's very, very stylish. It has everyone who was in Hollywood at the time in the movie who was male and could grow a mustache. Um, but that's kind of <laughs> the Western is kind of where you it had to kind of a change and evolve. So you do get them sparingly, but when they do, they are much more contemporary to the time they are made instead of what John Wayne always wanted, which was to hark back to this idea of what people thought the West was. And yeah. it isn't. And that is not what something that once upon a time in the West is actually doing, even though it is about how we create a society, it is very much constantly questioning who gets who gets to be in this one um i mean i only watched it we'll get into it but yeah i i love tombstone as a trailer because it just says so much about how one how cool that movie is but how also how westerns had to evolve after um Sergio leone and um peckinpah killed it with making two of the best controversial very violent changing kind of the scope of what a western could be and I think you're right. I think Snack, Snack, Zach Snyder kind of did it with the um, re-release of Justice League, his version of it, because it's like, well, where do you go after after that? There isn't room. It has to evolve. And I think we're sort of yeah, so watching it, watching them realize too late that their slate isn't going to be contemporary anymore. Like it's going to go out of um, out of vogue, out of style, 
very, very quickly. And it's going to be Tom Cruise coming in going, ah, I see the gap and I'm going to fill it with me flying a jet plane and me falling off a um, train off a cliff. Um, so that is kind of what's filling it. It's, it's, it's really, really fascinating. And I, yeah, I mean, Tombstone, Tombstone is great. I mean, Preston, you've obviously no. seen Tombstone a lot. No, oh, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 To, to, to Tombstone is, is like, not, not to cut you off Preston, but the Tombstone, like, like, like I said, like I picked Tombstone because it like, you know, it, it, it is that type of Western that's like easily accessible. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, you know, I mean, there are other like, like, like the Young Guns films, like, you know, Young Guns, particularly Young Guns too. But like Tombstone to me, like, you know, like me and Mac discussed that on, on our show, The Action Drunkies, The Center of Drunkies, when uh, like we discussed Tombstone and like we both, you know, related that that was a film that got us into Western. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, we had no interest in Western until we saw Tombstone. And when we saw Tombstone, it was so fucking awesome that we was just like, oh, we got to watch more. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, I obviously went a little farther than him because he's like, you know, like, you know, he, he relates, you know, he likes The Quick and the Dead and, and all these other Westerns. But then it's like, you know, I, I'm going into like, you know, shit like Stagecoach and High Noon and, you know, like, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, fucking McClintock. Um, you know, like, uh, like, you know, all, like all these other shit. And you know what I'm saying like, you know, my father <laughs> was there, like, you know, to help, you know, with like the Magnificent Seven and Silverado, you know, Silverado, I initially ignored, but then like, you know, I came around to, you know, saying, cause Pop was like, yeah, like, you know, I used to watch these shit, you know what I'm saying? And my mother was also a big help in that, God, God rest her soul. Um, she was, she was a big fan of uh, that show, The Rifleman. Oh yeah, uh, with uh, Chuck Connors, yeah. Like she was like, you know, saying like, oh, I remember I used to watch Rifleman, and I, I remember being shot. Like, really, Ma? You used to watch that? She was like, yeah, I love the way he fucking worked at his rifle. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you know what I'm saying? So it's like I was completely just you know surrounded by it. You know, it's like I have all this wealth of knowledge and shit. And it's like Tombstone is what got me there. Where like Tombstone, watching Tombstone was like, I get this, you know what I'm saying? Like you know, I, like yeah, yeah, I try to showcase to me, and I wasn't getting it. But I watched Tombstone, and it was like, holy shit, this Western genre is fucking awesome. I got to see more of this. And then like you know, I got into that, and, you know what I'm saying? Like you know, Silverado, The Outlaw, Josie Wales, High Plains Drifter, Pale Rider. Fucking, and then of course the Dollars trilogy, and then you know ultimately led me to Once Upon a Time in the West, where I realized like, okay, I, I've seen the pinnacle of this. I, you know, where, where the fuck do I go from here? Like, <laughs> exactly. Westerns are awesome, but it's like Westerns are awesome, but it's like, what the fuck do I go from Once Upon a Time in the West and shit? But like, yeah, and like I, I wanted to showcase Tucson because Tucson is where. You know, I started, you know, my love for the Western genre. So it's like, you know, I mean, here's the thing also, like, you know, I, I mentioned my mother and my mother was, uh, I should mention, particularly love White Earp, um, the alternate version of the Tombstone story. Like, you know, oh, the Kevin, Kevin Costner? Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Costner and D Dennis Quaid. And like, 
that was a big like rivalry between me and my mother. Um, you know, she was she was very much team White Herb, and I was very much team Tombstone. And like, you know, I tried to get her to watch Tombstone. She was like, no, White Herb is better. You know what I'm saying? Because she loved fucking Dennis Quaid as uh, Doc Holliday. She loved Kevin Costner as White Herb. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, no, Tombstone is better, Ma. You should watch it. She's like, fuck all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, White Herb is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know saying it's like she she really loved that fucking white movie. All fucking three boring hours of it. A couple of you know, saying? she really loved that fucking movie. You know, what I'm saying I was like, no, Tombstone is better. She's like, I don't give a fuck. You know, what I'm saying like, you know, I'm 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 with I'm I'm with White Earp and Shay. You know, what I'm saying so we always have that that thing between us. But like, I mean, White Earp is okay. You know what I'm saying? But Tombstone, Tombstone is the better version. And of course, you got Kurt Russell as playing fucking wider. Like, how could you go wrong? You know what I'm saying? Especially with his big, like, you know, no! Like, boy, he's probably, he's fucking facing off against Curly Bill, played by the Great Powers Booth. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, I, I don't know. That's my favorite moment in the movie when Curly Bill's like, bye. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, it's such a perfect moment. <laughs> yeah, well... Bye. Bye. You know yeah, like the, the, the fact the fact that that shit became a meme, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, but uh like me and Mac to- talked about that shit thoroughly when we discussed Tombstone, like, you know, when uh Wider kills Curly Bill, like, no, no. And then he pulls him away and shit was like one of the, the greatest moments in the history of our lives and shit, watching that shit happen. You know what I'm saying? Because they should show that shit like on Channel 5 all the fucking time when being back with kids. You know what I'm saying? And we used to sit there watch fucking Kurt Russell blowing powers booth away and shit. It was the greatest thing ever. But yeah, uh, Tombstone, um, it, it's a great introductory uh like if you want to get into westerns and you ask me like you like hey i wanted to get into westerns like you know what's a great movie to start with you know what i'm saying obviously you know i i, I would love to say in once upon a time in the west but like that's you have to you have to work you know, up to that movie i think i don't yeah, think you can yeah, just show you like work- a 16 year old once upon a time in the west and go this is the greatest movie ever because they're gonna go it's slow and i'm like yes but <laughs> so you know tombstone yes yeah. Yeah, like like it's purposefully slow. Mm. You can't just fucking just walk into once upon a time no. in the West. You like you have to work up to that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if you want to get up to there, the perfect one to start with is Tombstone. Start with X. Tombstone, then you can work up to like Unforgiven, which I which I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. Unforgiven, um, but like you know, and like. Tombstone is the perfect entryway Western film because it's filled like, you know, it's got great character actors. Of course, it's got Buck Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's got Sam Elliott in it. Um, but like, you know, it's also got like, you know, great action, you know what I'm saying? Western action, like the best of Western action. That's like when, when you think of Western as a genre, like action, you know what I'm saying? Tombstone has it in spades. It's just so it's like, Tombstone is like the best entryway Western film, if you ask me. So it's like if if you're like, yeah, hey, how do I get into Western genre? Tombstone. Start with Tombstone. Yeah, and you're I, good. Yes, I know. I absolutely agree with that. And that that's why it is a great trailer. Preston, what is gonna be your trailer for Once Upon a Time in the West? 
Yes. Um, <clears throat> my trailer is, uh, I wanted to go like a little older. Like I wanted to go like for a Western that was kind of like in the middle of the boom. So we're talking about a movie that's at the end of the boom with, 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 with the second pick. Um, and uh, with my trailer for Once Upon a Time in the West, I'm going one of my favorite uh, classic Westerns, and that's Anthony Mann's Man of the West from 1958. <laughs> him like a gun fits a holster as the man of the West. We were big. Don't you remember? I remember. You were my property. What did you go off and leave me for? I wanted to strike out on my own. Things have kind of gone to hell, haven't they? Years ago, nobody could have done what you're trying to do to him now. Not even you. You would have known it in 10 seconds and blown your head off in 20. You're not going to make it, Link. I swear that. It stars Gary Cooper as an ex-outlaw who's aboard a train when it's uh, robbed by bandits. Whenever he tries to intervene, he's knocked out and left in the middle of nowhere with um, saloon singer with a saloon singer who's played by uh, classic classic era singer uh, Julia London. Uh, and he basically, um, he helped hire as a school teacher at his town. Like that's how they're both related to each other. And Arthur O'Connell plays a con man who's also a part of their uh, little group that they have going. And so uh, Gary Cooper brings them both uh, to his nearby former home, which has now become the hideout, unfortunately, for um, bandits that he used to run with, including his uncle, who's played by Lee J. Cobb from Toy Your Men, who's hamming it up like crazy, and I love I love Lee J. Cobb in this movie. And um, and to save his new friends, he must rejoin the old gang that he um, actually abandoned before the the events of the film began. And it's kind of one of the reasons why I decided to play this trailer was um, was it, it kind of represents a theme that. I think Leone plays with in a lot of his movies. And this is Leone's celebration, which is that for one thing, he he, he loved the American Western. Like he loved the he loved the classic Wayne uh kind of gun ho kind of um kind of thing. But also, um I I this is actually uh, my favorite Gary Cooper Western. Like it, I'm a huge high noon fan. I've seen it many, many times. Um, but I, I like Man of the West just a little bit better because I think it's a little bit darker. I think Anthony Mann, his uh, storytelling economy and how he tells these stories, because um, he directed, I think, uh, about a, a four or five movie run with Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Dale and I talked about it last year on Cobwebs. Uh, we alluded to it a little bit. I talked about one of the, the Mann-Stewart films that I'm, a, that I'm also a fan of. Uh, but Man of the West is, is from what I've seen so far, um, I think I've seen most of the Anthony Man Westerns. There, there was actually one with Henry, Henry Fonda that was a little bit of an influence on this movie, a minor one, that I wanted to check out before we recorded, but I just didn't have the time. But um, um, definitely check out Man of the West. It's a, it's a dark film. It's a mean film. 
Um, but it's also a movie with a lot of great dialogue and, and performances. Um, uh, not to not to throw shots, but I know Lindsay, you've said in the past that you <laughs> were not you you haven't always been the biggest Gary Cooper fan, as, at least until recently. Until yes. recently, designed for and living. So, exactly, that's what it was. Des- it's, designed it's, for yeah. living. Yeah, yeah. Which you and I talked about last year. We did. Year. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah. So, but I, I think um, if you haven't seen Man of the West or haven't seen it for a while. Um, it's uh, it's just a really, really solid film. No, I have yet to see this movie, but I do love um, Anthony um, Mann Weston because I think they uh, he was kind of the proto-revisionist in a way, even though he was making very classic Westerns. I think he mm-hmm. was, there's a questioning of what is actually happening on screen with a lot of it. Same with him and um, Bud Bodica, which um, I know, Preston, you haven't seen much of, but you will you will love that criterion set comes out uh in a few days so look i'm, I'm just saying when it's you a... see bud vodka you'd be like ah yes it's, it's just like melodrama with horses it's it's kind of amazing but no this <laughs> is, would be a great um it would be a great trailer because it's showing this kind of very dark edged classic um kind of western so yeah rob have you seen man of the west no nope. i haven't even heard of it until person just <laughs> um like, but it sounds spectacularly interesting, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, I, I definitely want to check something like that out because I'm always interested in, like, you know, in expanding my knowledge of cinema. So it's like, uh, I, I definitely want to check that out. You know what I'm, saying? I'm just looking for, like, new stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, because everything that comes out in cinemas now is shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but hey, you you, you 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 like some? Uh, well, you I think uh, in your Blu-ray haul, like you mentioned, like you you caught like the new Scream and like you know a few other a few other movies from this year that I thought were really good. So yeah, there's there's yeah, some, some like, good smaller like, stuff. Yeah, but it's so few and far between now, and it's like. I remember, like, like, like I was telling y'all, like, I, I had a conversation with Patrick that we recorded, like, you know, where it's just like, you know, a conversation that's just outside of horror per se, and I was, just, I was so depressed that he was trying to convince. It was like basically like I'm Wonder Woman, and he was Batman, like, you know, at the end of BVS, where it's like, like men are still good, but he's like, like Patrick was basically like movies are still good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I, I don't believe you. I think you're full of shit. You know, say movies suck now. You know, he's like, no, movies are still good. Like this, no, this is me and Preston. This is me and Preston all the time. I mean, he's like, ah, I'm hating movies. I'm like, no, no, they're good. They just look. There are good movies. They're just not the <laughs> two hundred million million dollar ones. You just have to go see the the other ones. Yeah. Um, no, but, no Lindsay's, yeah. Lindsay's put me on to a lot of a lot of great smaller films, and she's twisted my arm into getting me to watch some some uh, some some really some 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 films I wouldn't have, have thought about otherwise. No, For- s- 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 similarly here because uh, it was because of Lindsay I bought the uh, the Three Colors trilogy, the, the the Criterion Collection. You know, what I'm saying Ooh. red, blue, like yeah, like if it wasn't for Lindsay, I wouldn't have you know even considered that. But Lindsay oh. was like, oh, my God, yeah, like, you know, like, I'm going to get these. And I was like, but if Lindsay loves them, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I Oh, no, Three Colors is incredible. I mean, white is not as good as blue and red, but, I mean, it's got Julie Delphi, so it's not, the, yeah, you're still going to enjoy it. Yeah. Men of the West, yeah, just because, yeah, and um, I do need to see it because I, I have seen a few Anthony Manson. Like, he's such a 
good, sharp director. Actually, no, yeah, I am going to go for my dumb one. It is another 90s Western. Um, all my other ones are seriously depressing um, movies that I was going to choose. And I do apologize for even thinking of putting this in front of Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> but Once Upon a Time in the West does have a mechanical angle, especially with how important the trains are. So I am going to be going with the giant spider. Wild Wild West, wiki wiki. Jim West. Are you a dangerous spy or just a handsome cowboy who likes to look around? I believe I'm that second one. Gotta stick to what we each do best. From the director of Men in Black. Now what? Let the party begin! When I roll into the... When I stroll into the... I have a soft spot for this movie. I'm, I'm sorry. It came out in 99 when I was going to the theaters all the time. Um, I makes the whole, you see, they wanted me to put a giant spider in um, Superman story even better. This movie is dark. I think Will Smith is- Kevin Smith. Uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin I mean, Smith. Ah, Will Smith doesn't know what he's, is kind of in a different movie to everything else. Um, I'm still sticking with it. Wild Wild West as my trailer. I love the song, by the way. I still love the song. <laughs> God, God bless you, Lindsay. No, <laughs> um, so I think this is a good movie. No. no. Am I entertained by it? Yeah. It let does me, have Kenneth me... Branagh playing... Uh, uh, and he like has an villain. accent. Anything with Kenneth Branagh with an accent, I love. <laughs> no, let me tell you. Playing a racist piece you. of shit, but I, I, I think he's, I, I do enjoy him. Let me tell you. Um, me and Mac, when we were, like, you know, kids, you know, teens, whatever, we wanted to see Eyes Wide Shut. We went to our local theater, which was, which was Ridgewood Theater, uh, which was our local theater, which everyone went to, like, I went to all the fucking time. If you listen to episodes of Cinema Drunkies, Action Drunkies, you, you hear me talk about, like, how I was there all the fucking time. Hmm. Um, me and Mac went there. To, to try and see Eyes Wide Shut, and they were not playing. Me and Mac decided, we're already here. Might as well see something. You know, might as, yeah, exactly, might as well see something. So I we combined our brains together like fucking Voltron. And we decided like, you know, <laughs> what the fuck are we gonna see? And we decided Wild Wild West. And like we sat there, we watched it the whole thing. None of us got up and walked out. We watched the whole thing, and we were just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, like the only time we laughed in the entire movie was when Will Smith's character uh, dresses up in drag, and like he's dancing for Kenneth Branagh's character. And Kenneth Branagh keeps trying to touch his ass, and Will Smith keeps slapping it away, like, ooh! And Kenneth Branagh's like, oh, oh! And that was the only time me and Mac laughed in the entire fucking movie. 
everything else we were just sitting there watching and like and we decided to pay money for this shit <laughs> <laughs> like, we, I would just we like, watched... yeah i would like to remind everyone that um this is the movie will smith decided to do instead of the matrix so um yes just want to put that out there as well like no but credit to will smith he did it out of loyalty because it was also directed by barry sonnenfeld yes who directed him in men in black. black so so he felt a bit of loyalty and then, like, you know, he read the script in the Matrix and he was like, ah, like, you know, like, we should do this. And, he didn't get it. Of he didn't, he didn't it, understand. Yeah. Which to to, to his credit, a lot of people didn't, didn't get it. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. the Wachowskis were like, no, this is how we envisioned it. And he was like, ah, no. All right. You know, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I can't see what I'm seeing. I'm going to do Wild Wild West instead because my boy Barry Sunfield is directing it. You know, and there's a big fucking giant spider in the third act. John Peterson's getting his own goddamn way. Right, exactly. Is a giant spider in something. <laughs> Courtesy of John Peters, who just wanted a giant fucking spider in, in whatever fucking movie he was producing because it was like, hey, I saw a giant spider somewhere. Uh, I'm going to have a giant spider in a fucking movie okay, I produced. Spoilers, spoilers for The Flash, but when you see, because I know Preston hasn't seen this, and this isn't a major, major spoiler, but other for some reason other supermans just start appearing even though this isn't a superman movie but you do have <laughs> nick cage with the hair as spider-man looking at a goddamn giant spider and i just went oh fuck me um it's like, like they oh really my god did. they put in they put a kevin smith in joke into a goddamn multi-billion dollar movie I, I'm like, like like yo they really put that shit in the movie like i haven't seen it but like, no that's it, that's the thing that happens notice, in the like, movie yeah Wow. I can no, no, I believe you, Lindsay. Mm. And I, I imagine they put that shit in the movie like, yeah, this this will blow people's minds. Because we're like, doing the Kevin Smith story. <laughs> yeah, they'll love this shit. And it's like, no, no, they did not. That's why you're the biggest bomb ever. I think I like, think that's I think they underestimated um the wide appeal of Kevin Smith. If you're a Kevin Smith fan, like I am. You know the story, like if you're in that kind of no, they if, they, they they misunderstood the wild the the, the appeal of memes because that happens a lot. That that that's been happening Morbius. since fucking yeah, Morbius. <laughs> fucking, oh yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Even going back as so far as fucking snakes on a plane. Yes, because people thought like, oh, snakes on a plane, that's gonna be a hit and shit, and nobody gave a fuck about that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. People, audiences have been continuously showing you they don't give a fuck about memes being popular on the internet and shit, but they keep chasing them shit. See what I'm saying? That's why we got a second release of Morbid. Like the fact that Sony thought that, like, audience, like Twitter made like Sony think that there was some money to be made with uh, 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 Morbius. And so, like, we're going to release it a second time because, you know, people Mm. didn't catch it the first time. And it bombed twice in theaters well i i think i think i think every i think a few times each decade you get from the studios a misunderstanding that that they're they're making geek films when they're really making films for the esoteric geek audience yes and that audience time and time again is not dependable you know it it just doesn't 
um, even really, you know, uh, you know, really, you know, acclaimed films like stuff like, you know, stuff like Scott Pilgrim, you know, doesn't uh, didn't do well financially because they mismarketed that. So it's 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 one of those things like what we're seeing this year is the ripple effects of that continued misunderstanding. But uh, it, I, I actually do appreciate, Lindsay, the angle you took to plug Wild Wild West. I've only seen the movie once. It was in college. And it was when my college buddies and I, two of them, like we uh, we 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 got drunk one night and uh, we even had like uh, when I lived with them, we even uh, they even we even like uh, had like a little hookah thing in there. That's a whole thing. Like why? Why did college boys have hookah in like their whole ass apartment apartment? That's that's all story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we kicked back and watched Wild Wild West. And I, <laughs> I'm not going to say I can't say I share your enjoyment. But no one I did. I didn't. I did. <laughs> I didn't come to it. Uh, I didn't come to it when it came out. So I, I don't. I, I probably am in the Rob camp in that one. But uh, I will say it's a movie that is. It has to be seen to be believed. Yes, I think absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. It's. It is. The money is on the screen. Absolutely. The mechanical spiders. A thing. Kenneth Branagh is in it. Um, Kevin Kline is. Everyone is doing a thing in that, but I does, I think it do, does have a semblance to the way studios kind of go for the memification of movies thinking that's going to bring money in. And I think this is kind of it, except for the craziness of John Peters. Um, but I think well, it's oh, based well, on a TV show too, yes, like an old yeah. Western TV show. And I think that's another reason why. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's reaction. James Garner, yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it's a TV show. It's like, like nobody gave a fuck about in, in the first <laughs> But it does, place. but the thing is, it does work. No one gave a fuck about The Fugitive, yet The Fugitive made money and won Oscars. No, that's not, movie. no that's not true. Because The Fugitive was like, the, the, like what was it like the, the the series finale was like the most watched thing so You're obviously kidding people me? gave a fuck about the no yeah people I did not know that States. I thought I did States, not think the future yeah. of, oh, okay because outside yeah. no one else gave a crap like <laughs> no like like the, the, the Mission Impossible it was in that era Mission Impossible yeah that everyone yeah. cared about because everyone was pissed at that first movie and I love it <laughs> yeah like like like. People gave a fuck about the, the series finale of the Fugitive, like where uh, Richard Kimball finally confronts the one-armed man that killed his wife. You know, oh, yeah. it was just like the most. It was the most watched uh, television episode of the history until like fucking the last episode of Mash. Yeah, you know what I'm okay. So it's like you know, like so. So there's that. You know what I'm saying? But like nobody gave a fuck about the Wild Wild. Best, like, that was know. kind of when they but were like, just like trying to find after the Brady Bunch, after all these like Lost in Space, all these shows. They yeah, finally got to oh, Wild yeah. Wild West and went, oh, James, Gar James Gardner's a thing still. We'll do that. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like, you know, shows that like were popular for a point in time and then nobody gave a fuck about, you know, saying like at the end, like, like, you know, they made a a, a, a movie about Maverick. Who the fuck gave what shit about Maverick? Is that obviously people give a fuck about it because they cast Mel Gibson in the movie? Like I, I mean that was oh, that yeah, was, yeah. like that shit was alright, but you know what I'm saying like I didn't give a fuck about that show. Um, like I didn't give like you know Mission of Mission Impossible. Like you know what I'm saying I I get you know what I'm saying like you know and obviously the the film series has become its own big thing. You know what I'm saying that makes sense. 
because Mission Impossible the series was like the big thing and shit. But like nobody gave a fuck about Wild Wild West. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, all right, like you know, <laughs> Mission Impossible they made into a fucking a hit movie. What what else do we got? Wild yeah, that was Wild it. West, like. Like that was kind of like a secret spy thing. Let's turn that into a big budget movie starring Will Smith. Ah, like and, and John Peters like coming with his bullshit. Like let's and let's add a giant spider in the third act climax. You know? Oh yeah, cool. You know what I'm saying? It's like I think that was just to, like I think that was just to get John Peters to shut up. Okay, fine. We'll put your mechanical spider in a goddamn movie. But no, I think there is. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is this kind of a um, steampunk kind of thing that I like, even though it makes no sense to the world that they're actually in, but I don't care. There's a weird thing. I was probably that annoying <laughs> thing. It was a, oh, I don't want to watch the Will Smith movie. What's this Matrix? I don't know. I don't get it. And then I finally saw the Matrix went, oh, okay, this is the best movie I've ever made. But right, right. yeah, it's, it's, I was always that one who wanted to go see the weird movie when the good movie was playing over there as a teenager. I did that. Will Smith. To the point where no one trusted it took a point Will, where no one trusted my taste in high school. Even Will Smith was like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have made that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Well, was, that was a mistake. <laughs> and just to play devil's advocate, I will say, Lindsay, and you're uh, to, def- to defend to defend you, like I will say, like for the time, uh, like Will Smith was like number one box office star. Yeah, Barry Sonnenfeld had like a series of hits. Um, from the Adams Family movies to Get Shorty to Men in Black to that, so yeah. it, it it makes sense. And On westerns paper. were pretty, yeah, yeah, westerns were pretty much dead by that point. So why not make a sci-fi one, western comedy action blockbuster? Mm-hmm. So it, 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 I can see where you're coming from. Yes. <laughs> no, like, you, no, like, no, no, because no, you're you're, you're correct, wrestling. Because in the '90s, they tried to make westerns a thing again you know what i'm saying tombstone was a surprise hit like nobody expected tombstone to be a thing mm-hmm. and then like you had wider and like as me and mac discussed on our tombstone episode you know kevin costner really tried to make wider a thing because he was actually a part of tombstone and like he was like no you should make this about more about wider and filmmakers was like no no we shouldn't so he's like fuck you I'm gonna go somewhere else, and I'm gonna make my own wider, uh, you know, epic, and it bombed. And then, like, you know, say, so, I mean, because uh, Unforgiven had gave Hollywood a false sense of security that westerns were back in vogue. But and, the Oscar, Clint Eastwood, yeah, yeah. right. But like, not Dance realized. Wolves, yeah, Dance yeah. of the Wolves as well. Because that yeah. that's why Costner had that juice to be able to make yeah. wider and. Oh, yeah. Costner, and then he made the yeah. postman and it all went downhill. No, Costner had all the juice after yeah. fucking Dancing with Wolves. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, you know, after Un- uh, Untouchables, he was, oh, he's a big star now. Like, you know, he's doing things. And, like, he used that, like, collateral as, you know, to get his big passion project made. And that was Dancing with Wolves. Like, oh, this fucking guy, he's making a Western about fucking Indians and like, you know, white guy even getting the Indians and like nobody gives a fuck about that. And it went on to be like, you know, a one of the most movie. iconic films that yeah, one of the most iconic films ever made. Like, you know what I'm saying? I remember Dancing with Wolves being a big fucking thing in my house, you know what I'm saying? Especially oh, my, parents, huge. my dad you know I he took me he took his seven year old daughter to go see Dancers with Wolves. Which, by the way, nearly four hours long. I don't know how I sat through it. I don't know how I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it since. 
But I do know my dad was like, I want to go see this movie, looked at me and went, I'm taking the kid. That's like. Wow. <laughs> no, to, to quote Method Man and How High about Kevin Costner, that's a three hour movie making motherfucker right there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking and to of get, another speaking, three speaking, hour movie. Speaking of another three hour movie, which I say is actually perfect to its length, because I think there's one thing Leone knew is if he made the movie for the length, or he understood the length he was he was making. Um, oh, even though he was very okay. conscious of the length in this one. But yes, a movie that bombed in the States because the States kept editing him, which you do not edit a Leone movie because there's a reason for the silence in it. And yeah, we're about to get into one of the most perfect uh, best movies ever made. for the first time five years ago was morning i was watching this movie in the morning um drinking coffee and watching that opening scene my jaw was on the floor like i knew the references to it i just didn't know how it was put together and to have silence jack elam goddamn woody strode these three these three guys who were the, just them sitting there having their own just you know they're the biggest badasses in the world and then to have the train slowly pass that score that opening, I mean, Rob, I mean, when you first saw that opening scene, were you just like, were you a bit too young to appreciate it? Or was you just like going, okay, I'm in the hands of a master. This is something different. And now I'm going to be in for something incredibly different. Oh, okay. So, like, as I mentioned before, like, my father had tried to get me to West Florida and I rejected and like, the Silverado. But, like, this was the first time I saw... Once upon a time in the West was after I had seen Tombstone, so like I already, you know, same being indoctrinated into mm. like the Western genre, like you know, what I'm saying I already began to appreciate it, like not as much mm. as like I would like as as I do now, like you know, what I'm saying like you know, obviously, you know, if, if you ask me, like you know, I can name my my ten favorite westerns, you know, what what I think is the best, but. Um, I think like w when the DVD came out, like the, the double disc DVD, and they had commentary by mm. like like all these different artists, particularly John Carpenter. Yeah, that's which on my what, that, that, that's my blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah which which uh, you know really just captured me because you know say by the 
the point in like you know my 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 film fandom i i was into carpenter and like i understood his love of the western genre particularly in uh watching uh his film uh assault of precinct 13. yeah you know what i'm saying which is which he admits is like you know uh, like i mean like what, what i love about carpenter is that like you know people say oh it's a march a real problem he's like no i just ripped the fuck off mm. you know what i'm saying and like you know and, and you watch a lot of carpenter's films it's you know, like he's doing the Western tropes. Like the first thing I ever recorded with Patrick, which led to our great partnership that we have now, is when we were doing the Action Drunkies and like we were doing our Halloween special, and uh, we did John Carpenter's Vampires. You know what I'm saying? Which is a horror film, but you know, if you watch that film, it is clearly indebted to Western films. Yes. You know, down to. Like, like you know, that close-up of James Woods, which is a clear reference to the close-up of Charles Bronson in this film. You know what I'm saying? And he admits that, that that's the exact point. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that just shot, you know, of Sergio Leone's close-up of Charles Bronson. You know, so, like, I was already, you know, aware of, like, the, these kind of things. And my father, you know what I'm saying, who's, uh, you know, big fan of Westerns, you know, he had gotten this double disc uh, special edition of Once Upon a Time in the West, and he's watching it. Like, because Pop is an early bird, and he would wake up on Saturday mornings, like seven, eight o'clock in the morning, and he would watch movies. Like, that's how I discovered certain movies. That's how I discovered, like, the Kentucky Fried movie, and, like, you know, like this movie, that movie, you know, and stuff. Because Pop would be up at the crack of dawn on Saturday mornings watching these movies, and I would wake up and I would watch them with him. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's, that's how I discovered a lot of movies. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that's why my father is the most important figure in, like, you know, the, the film fan I am today. Because, you know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have discovered a lot of movies. Mm. And, like, you know, particularly, I wouldn't have discovered this movie if it wasn't for him because he, he was watching it uh, one Saturday morning. And, like, you know, I remember, like, getting up, you know what I'm saying, he's watching it, and, like, you know, it's just that incredibly long uh, opening sequence with fucking, you know, with three gunmen waiting for Charles Bronson to come into the train station. And it's like, you ever watch a movie and it's like, uh, like a movie that's really important to me, but like you remember when you first watched it and you didn't get it, you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like it didn't click, it didn't click for you. Like, I remember, um, like our, our friend Larry has that issue real early, and um, you know, me and him recently did an episode on John Who's the Killer, yes, and it's like, and like I related to him on there, and it's like I didn't. I like I love movies, but I didn't get movies until I saw the killer. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm I watched the killer for the first time. It's like that was the first time I you know what I'm saying, because I love movies and I, I love watching them. You know, like as a kid. I I love, you know, watching Jean-Claude Van Damme and fucking Bruce Lee and Jeff Speakman and all that shit. And then I watched John Woo's The Killer, and then it's like you get the beauty of movies right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, movies right right there, like, to me, made sense. 
like the it hits different when it's from an expert craftsman. Yeah. Mine was exactly. uh, I'd rather wear out that yes. by the way. Yes, yes, exactly, Preston. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, you know, movies as an art form, just like, you know, I get it now. I get it. 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 And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm discovering movies. And then also, of course, like, Lindsay, I've mentioned this many times on your show. Like, you know, my mother was instrumental in that, where she bought me three movies. She bought me The Shining. The French Connection and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm. and she stated, "If you don't, you haven't watched these, you don't know shit about movies." You know, saying I understand what Mommy was saying because she was like, "You know, like you need to expand your horizons. Mm. You want to be a movie guy, you know, you need to get off like you know certain genres. You know, what I'm saying you need to just like you know look out into to like different genres and stratospheres and all that stuff." And then, like you know, it was like just a catastrophic thing because like, you know, I just kept going and going. It was like a snowball effect, you know, where it's like, I need to like, you know, okay, you show me The Shining, you show me The French Connection, you show me Wolf Flew Over the Cuckoo's that I need to watch more and more and more and more and more and more. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you, you, it's, it's like a, it's like a drug and you need to fix. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You, need, you need that fix. Like, you know, it's like you, you've been turned out and you need that fix. You know what I'm saying? You need like, so pop watching Once Upon a Time in the West, it's like, holy shit, what is this? What, what is that? You know what I'm saying? You watch that opening sequence, and it's... Because at that point in time, I was already into silent movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was already into oh, fucking okay. Nosferatu, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Metropolis, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I understood the beauty of silent cinema. You know what I'm saying? The opening, like, 10, 15 minutes of Once Upon a Time in the West surely plays out like silent cinema. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? And yeah. it's, it's just like, it's just visual storytelling. And you know what I'm saying? By this point in time, it's searching only on his career. Like, you know what I'm saying? He didn't need dialogue. He could just, you know, play out everything, you know what I'm saying, which is characters moving and, and like, doing certain things. And he could tell an entire story just with that and it was just like oh what is this what, what am i seeing you know what i'm saying and it's like it, it was just like a collision of like what i knew what i wanted to know as far as cinema at that point watching the opening 10 20 20 minutes of once upon a time in the west and it just became like this thing where it's like this is this is i'm 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 where you realize, you know, you're watching art in its purest form. And, uh, you know, say when Larry was saying today, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we have to mention Larry. I love mm. you, Larry. But, you know what I'm saying? We have to bring you up. And I've never seen it. And it's like, what the fuck, man? You know what I'm saying? It's like a better film than this you will never find. And I was not joking. Because it's like, with Once Upon a Time in the West, it to me, it's the pinnacle of cinema. Storytelling, filmmaking, acting, it all comes together in its just purest form with this film. And like, you will never find anything greater than this. I mean, 
do I think this is the greatest film ever made? It's close. It's it's up I there. Have, I like, I mean, honestly, if you ask me what's the greatest film ever made as far as like, you know, just coming to go like that, I'm going to say Rather Ben <laughs> <laughs> No, I like, honestly, I would say Ben Hur. Because Ben Hur is just like, you know, when it comes to just storytelling, you know what I'm saying, filmmaking, that is just the, the big behemoth. You know what I'm saying? And like, you know, and it's funny too, because we were talking about William Shatner overacting and like, you know, Charlton Heston is a big overactor and that, but like he's fucking perfect. Where every time I see Ben Hur and shit, I'm, I'm, I'm brought to tears by his performance in it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, like to me, Ben Hur is like the greatest film ever made and shit, but it's like, you know, in when it comes to like cinema, you know what I'm saying? We talk about cinema a long time and like, you know, people would just be confused. Like, what do you mean? Once upon a time in the West is like its purest form, where it's just like you have the perfect actor's cast, you have the perfect director behind the scenes, you have the perfect script, and it's like there is nothing that could comp- like just absolutely just come close to matching this on a acting, storytelling, filmmaking effort. Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. My no, bad. I was saying uh, you go, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I think one of our um, um, uh, a, a good friend of the show and a friend of ours, um, um, Mike Scott, he said, because um, uh, I was reading his post about, uh, I, th- I think it was A Fistful of Dollars um, that he was watching. I, I remember him saying that, like, if there's anyone who's come close to Leone, it's it's probably Spielberg like that's that's really the only uh only only similarity and if he's saying that then it's hard to argue against because Spielberg is Spielberg but um I'll say for me uh um like coming into this movie this is this is one of those movies that like there's as much as I love film there's really I'd say like five or six specific movies that I have that operate on a wide xy axis of i have a personal connection to this and i've carried with me into my whole life um that i just hold as just so like just so sacrosanct to um uh, i guess if i have movie standards um i guess it's up there um and i remember specifically because when i was about five or six years old my mom made me watch a very like truncated mashed up version of um the pilot to the original um not the original but the uh it was the 50s lone ranger tv show and this was on top of being raised on a diet of like bonanza and gun smoke um she watched the rifleman um i wasn't there for a lot of that stuff but that was she watched the rifleman she did watch the westerner which um i know i think one of you alluded to peckinpah earlier that was uh the show that peckinpah created before he begin making movies so oh, i find that to be very interesting okay yeah yeah i've i've actually been going through it uh, uh recently um uh for like the past like week or so in between watching movies it's a it, it's a really good show it's on paramount plus just it only lasted a season but mm. anyways um uh when i was about 10 or 11 because the other thing is that uh, my family was they were big charles bronson fans especially my parents like they like my mom 
more so than my dad, really enough. Like she was really into the Death Wish movies. So like uh, uh, one of my <laughs> one of like my uh, earliest memories is like walking like uh, uh, walking through my mom's like living room by mistake when she thought I was asleep, and then um, uh, watching like. Uh, uh, watching Bronson uh, be on a train and chasing down, it was either Goldblum or one of the guys from hmm. from the first Death Wish movie. It's been a, it's been a, it's been quite a while since I've seen the first Death Wish. It's been since college, but um, so I do have a I have a soft spot for Bronson. He's he's kind of like my Wayne Eastwood, like my intro into right. like the more hmm. oh nice nice like the the guy stuff. So the guy cinema, so to speak, of that time period. And so I go into my brother's collection. And he has all these DVDs, like of Blade and Face Off and Blade Two and all these '90s action movies. He was a big movie fan as well, so he did have Eight and a Half, uh, the Criterion of that. And even as a kid, I was like, like, why do you have this like pretentious shit in our collection? That's a joke, I swear. But as a kid, that's like, well, I was like, this sounds, this looks very, very adult and uh, up, uh, obtuse. So let me just not do that. But what caught my eye was that he had this. Um, I believe it was a two-disc DVD of Once Upon a Time in the West. I remember I had time to kill because it was on a weekend. It was the morning because um, my my mom's an early riser, so by extension, that's made me an early riser. And I put the DVD in, and, oh, man, I, I don't know how to describe this because it was really the opening of this movie that suckered me in, and I knew it was going to be, like, three hours long, but I wanted to see all the big bronzes like that was like my thing and so the opening sucked me in and what got me about the opening um or what gets me about the opening now is how minimalist it is yes um because because when people talk about the opening they always talk about like the fact that it's so long and that kind of sets a precedent for each sequence of this movie being longer than your average scene and i think the thing about the the thing about the opening that if you do if when you do watch a lot of westerns and return this movie versus when you're just seeing if you are just seeing this movie like i did and being still kind of like a newborn with the genre watching it today i was like okay this opening has jack elam um who was in every western yes it was a requirement that that old um van cleef uh, uh had to be in in, in the movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Woody Strode, who's in all yeah. the John Ford stuff, and then Al Al Mulock, who a lot of people don't talk about the three, but he's in um, Day of Anger, which is which is a, a really a, a, which one of Lee, Lee Van Cleef's big bangers, in mm. my opinion. And then he's also um, the one-armed bounty hunter from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yes. Um, so like it's these three, these three um, assailants, if you will, that kind of represent each period of the Western coming together. Because what this movie really is, and why I think I connect with this movie so much to this day, is that it's Leone's. I don't want to call it a commentary on the Western, but it's his ultimate summation of everything. He kind of began with the dollars trilogy up until then, where he's referencing each period of the genre up until that point. And it's a masterclass, a full on masterclass intention where instead of the, the whole bomb theory, Hitchcock ideal of there's a, there's a bomb under the, under the, these table, under this table that we saw one, one person plant, how long is it going to go until um, the other person either catches on and has to stop it or suffers from not knowing what we know as an audience? 
Here we have to figure out how each of the characters on the poster uh, factor into this big labyrinthine concept that's actually told in a very elegantly simple way through very yeah. minimal dialogue, through a lot of uh, a lot of subtle performance, a lot of very laconic pacing, if that's the right word. And um, I just, I think a part of me um, has been kind of been chasing the depth of this movie that floored me so much as a teenager. And I can't say that I was receptive to all these great, a lot of great films as a teenager. Like, I, I, again, I, I was, uh, or even a preteen, like 10 or 11, that's before teenage years. And so, um, so I was definitely very impacted by it. And by the time you got to the end of this movie and the way the score collapses and kind of coalesces all these Lenny motifs together and the way the story pans out. Um, I just remember sitting there and just having goosebumps and I can only think of maybe like a few movies that have really done that for me, especially during that time. But I mean, it, it's, it's a special film. It really is. And, uh, I, I, I really do think it's Leone's masterpiece and in, in Leone, Leone is important to me because specifically because of this movie and how it kind of, this movie made me go watch the dollars trilogy. Like, yes. uh, like mm. it, it introduced Same. me, introduced me to that. And, um, it introduced me to the concept of a spaghetti Western and, um, and introduced me to through him is how I saw, you know, those Clint Eastwood movies and, movies that Clint Eastwood directed and I and I've, I've known for a long time that I had the appetite for westerns but this movie really kind of showed me that and so maybe I'm biased in thinking that it's the the peak of the genre but at the very end of the day I at least think that it's one just one of the best films regardless of genre and uh it's uh yeah yeah that's that's my spiel about it no, I think it's interesting, both of what you said, because I think there is a way that Leone is commenting on the language of um, cinema and the Western, much like when Clint Eastwood made um, Unforgiven, he's doing a very similar thing. And Leone is one, and he has said it's one of his biggest influences. He saw the man work and went, ah, this is how you how you do it. But what I yeah, love about like, it, yeah. No, 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 not to cut you off, Lindsay, but it's like what you said, like one of his biggest influences, but it's like, to consider that this film is an influence on everyone it after its release. Like, how many times has Quentin Tarantino referenced Once Upon a Time in the West and yeah. what his own film? Like, considering, like, you know, like his last film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, has direct mm -hmm. references. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, oh, it's like, uh, you know, you're looking at it through a lens and it's like, you know, and it's like, oh no, no, it's Quentin. Oh, it's yeah, deliberate. no, I did. I nearly did uh, the trailer for The Great Silence, which is Sergio Cabucci, who is the second best director of Italian Western. <laughs> um, because of Quentin Tarantino. Like, it is, and but, to be fair, he is, because there is a Sergio Leone. What I love about it is that this movie has um, arcs and valleys, which is what a long movie should have. It is not just go, 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 which I think people are, when they're making movies and they're making these very kind of longer movies, they are all wanting to be go, go, go. But you've got to have these peaks and valleys. And there's multiple arcs within the character arcs. You meet every single character, the main four characters, um, Jill, Harmonica, um, 
Jason Robards, Cheyenne. Um, Cheyenne, and then Frank. They get like Mike again to the thing Mike's got. He Leone hooks them up in their entrances. As soon as they're in, as soon as you see their face, you know exactly who they are. When you see Harmonica with that famous shot, the hat lifting up, the zoom in, he's. I mean, the fact that we'll get into the score, but too too many. There's too too many. Yeah. There's two buttons yeah. and there's bullet three bu- three bullets. Um, you know his you know exactly <laughs> who this guy is. When Frank and that camera zooms up and it's just um Henry Fonda's blue eyes and then that one right. curiosity which, on which, Yeah, um, which was which was Leone's whole pitch. thing. Was like I yeah, like uh, I remember reading that uh Fonda showed up on set with Contact. Yeah. Yes, and get Leone those off. Like, I want those baby blues. Yeah, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, bro? Like, you know, take them shits off. Like, what do you mean? And it's like, no, I want them baby blues. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like that was that was his whole thing. Was like the you know, in the opening, like this this family gets massacred and like, you know, this shit this kid gets shot point blank and you look at him, holy shit, it's Henry Fonda. No, but I love the line is, what are we going to do with the kid, Frank? Well, now that you've said my name, Cox's gun, and you're like, oh, man. No, I mean, Leone's always been very cool. That's something Leone... Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Leone... Well, and that's in... That's a shocking scene, but also, like, when you watch more Leone, like, he has... Like, I think... I forgot what movie. I forgot which one it is, but like, so there's a baby that gets shot. I don't know if it's. I think is that Ducky Sucker where there's a baby that gets. I think it's Ducky Sucker. Yeah, because I know he tries okay. to constantly <laughs> shoot a kid in Fistful, which I've just seen, and they are constantly shooting at this little five-year-old boy. And it's like, why are you shooting at the five-year-old boy for? Jesus. Um, but no, yeah. uh, child violence has always been a big thing in Leone's movies. Pretty sure it's the, it's Ducky Sucker with the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Lindsay, I. I wanted to, you know, and, and Rob, obviously, please feel free to chime in on this, but I want to ask you specifically, Lindsay, um, how do you feel about, because uh, one, one of the last times I, we were here, you know, we were talking about Claudia Carnell in another Western. We went, and I wanted yeah. to ask, I wanted to ask you how you felt, to, how do you feel about Claudia Carnell's portrayal in this movie? Not, not just her performance, but like just how the movie chooses to use her. I love it. I think it's, stronger i mean i get why she's used in this thing in the professionals and i love her in the professionals but this is a woman who has to stand on her own two feet for the first time she, i mean she mm. has been a sex worker um as frank likes to point out to her i think it's frank and yeah. it's but she's she's going there to be married to a man who she thinks okay i can be the wife I but she's already this. but she's already she's already married to him yeah she's already um, married to him, but she thinks she's going to get this life of being a wife gets there find out they're all dead and all of a sudden she's left with this homestead, which she's not, I think, because I love the last shot of her going out to feed the guys who are working on the construction of the town, essentially. And um, she's kind of in charge. And when the movie leaves her, you know that she's going to be running this town. So I love the fact that she is the one who is kind of left out of all the men. Like all the men do not belong in Sweetwater once the movie's over. Um, two are dead, one just wanders off. Because um, they are relics of an old past, which is a lot of Westerns. It's when su- the certain civilization, again, who belongs in this world after we have decided the rules? And she's the one that holds all the power and all the money. Um, I right, love her performance, right. and I love how she's depicted in this. Um, I mean, the sex scene with Frank and Henry Fonda is a little squiffy because 
the power dynamics are so obviously she has to kind of play to that so because so he won't so he won't kill her but um no she's she is absolutely the one standing she is the fu- she is the future which i absolutely adore yeah, yeah I, I love it i love oh go ahead go ahead sorry i know like wait 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 where frank is you know obviously the main antagonist film she is definitely in control mm. of that whole moment you know what i'm saying where it's like it, it, it it's not a it's not a thing where it's like you know she's being abused you know, no so she's, she's not actually, yeah she's yeah, playing she, she's, she's there's a game that they're playing it's just more sort of if frank yeah, thinks he's in control of the situation but she's really kind of driving yeah. the force but it's purely so frank doesn't kill like, her to get the look, get the thing yeah. yeah like like when later when they they have the big auction and he shows up you know she's telling harmonica like you know oh like you know i i can get over this with a nice strong hot bath and then mm. frank frank shows up and she's like i think i have that hot bath now you know mm. what i'm saying it's like you know i i don't care mm. you know what i'm saying like i like i'm over the situation you know so like it, it it's not an effect on her she she is literally the strongest person in here because you know what i'm saying she has a task, you know, the same where she she wants to complete, where everyone else is hung up on one particular thing, you know, harmonica is hung up on his revenge, which you know I really wanted to get into, you know, Cheyenne Cheyenne is hung up on like you know his his whole fucking outlaw career, you know, you know Frank as well, you know what I'm saying, but like you know Claudia Carnell's character, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, she. Like it's the reason why, like she's essentially the main character. She's like, you know, it's her she's story. Built, yeah. She's built over everybody. She's you know built first, yeah. And, she's and, the, yeah. Yeah, it's Claudia Carnell, and then it's Charles Bronson, and then it's fucking Henry Fonda, and then it's fucking Jason Robards. You know what I'm saying? Like she's the most important character in the film. You know what I'm saying? Because everyone is fucking, you know, concluding that like their stories around her. You know, so and they're all in love with well, her. She, so, she's yeah. the she's the linchpin uh, for yeah. uh, for for Sweetwater, which I think is very interesting, and, and that's why I wanted to to, to mm. bring her up so early in this discussion is because um, I think it's really I think it's really something that surprised me. I remember vividly surprising me on first watch was just that Bronson's presence is felt throughout the movie because he is very much that Western archetypical angel of death coming yes. back for Frank. Yes. Um, and Cheyenne is the character who um, is kind of... Cheyenne's the... He's the trickster character. And speaking of Leone's entire oeuvre, I think it's really cool that Leone plays with tricksters all throughout his career. He does. Or all through, yes. especially his Western career. And this came two years after The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And Tuco is kind of seen since the good, the bad, and the ugly is arguably the most famous of his movies. I want to say like, cause a lot of people still haven't seen this one. No, yeah, they're, they're, it's, they're, it's, oh, it's good. They bad, the ugly. I'm like, Oh, wait over here. When you see once upon a time in the West, then you'll see. Yeah. 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 Like Tuco is like his defining trickster character. Like Tuco is, is very much the moral ambiguity hmm. caught between good and evil. Um, and, and of course, Eli Wallach is, is, is awesome um, in that, in that role. And then you come to this and Jason Robards, Cheyenne is the, the, the evolution of that, where he 
his want is basically to <laughs> every he like every out, great epic. yeah because i was trying to figure out what he yeah, wanted because you know that bronson wants revenge frank wants to go legit mm-hmm. jill wants to have a home so that's kind of their very clear what mm-hmm. the each of them want cheyenne i'm like okay so what does he want i think he just wants to keep he's, being an outlaw i think he just likes yeah, he's it a, and, he's, yeah. yeah he's the purest character amongst them yeah, you know what I'm he's because the purest, literally... which is why. Oh. He's well, why he's he dies. The... Oh, okay. Well, that's just it. Like, uh, I was gonna thank you, Rob, because he's the purest character, which is why he he traditionally is able to like mark what every character is about when we first see them or when he first sees them. But and and in a movie where every scene we're kind of wondering what's happening because it's so drawn out, because it's so meticulous. And Cheyenne, what's cool about him with Harmonica is that he can't get a pin on what Harmonica really, really wants. He knows eventually that he wants Frank because we find out eventually that he wants Frank. But um, it's a matter of why is he doing this? Why is he why is he helping this former prostitute build a railroad set? What's that about? Mm. And and why is it that Harmonica has these by all accounts super heroic abilities to take out anyone with a gun uh when cheyenne's men are kind of scrappy and and kind of struggle with that Mm. even frank's men exhibit traits that are uh, that are uh, contrast heavily with harmonica's cocksure brazen approach to um to 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 right and wrong and so um, I, I've always found that interesting about Cheyenne as a character. And I think you're right, Lindsay. I think the reason why, uh, cause I was reading somewhere, um, so, uh, there was a, someone, if you can have a flaw with this movie, someone said that, um, that Cheyenne shouldn't have died. He should have stayed alive. And it's like, well, his main aspiration to me is that he wants to exist in the West while in the old West, while the rest of the West is, succumbing to westward expansion yes which is what mcbain jill mcbain's husband represents and what he kind of gives her inadvertently by by being murdered mm. and so it's uh it, it's 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 interesting how to me leone has that cheekiness to him like there's an irony to him he's the mafune he's of still the addressing yeah yes yeah yeah exactly yeah so um yeah i i i love cheyenne i think he has some of the best lines in the movie. Oh, um, I mean, his theme song amazing. is, I mean, it's not Jill's song, and I admit, but it is, his theme song's great. But when he walks into the bar, clocks harmonica, and just kind of goes straight for him, it's because he doesn't, he, he doesn't recognize, okay, there's this figure, I don't, I know where everything else is, I know who these people are, I don't know who you are. Like, I know, I recognize mm-hmm. what Jill is, I just don't, and he close, and the way he throws that Latin, that kind of swings the Latin t- toward him, and he's just sitting there with the harmonica and the gun in his face. It's just like, oh my God, it's so good. But I love Jason Robards because he kind of underplays Cheyenne in a way where a lot of people tend to overplay that trickster character. And he's constantly underplaying him, but yet he is so much fun. And he's constantly watching everyone. Like, I mean, I love Jason Robards. He's one of my favorite actors. He Same. is just phenomenal. And he was so versatile um, in the kind of the roles he could do. And yes, sometimes he was miscast, but this one, I think he's plays it. <laughs> oh, oh, and you would think, think it'd be a miscast. Mean, yeah. Oh, you mean he was he was he was miscast as a Mexican? That you know too. Yes. Okay. The Leone had a thing yeah. where me, white men played Mexicans, and I was this is the world I was watching it going. Wait, Charles Bronson and 
um, Jason Robots are meant to be Mexican in this. Wait, what? Like, 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 I, 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 I appreciate like him. And, and the fact that those two don't belong whole... in the new society says a lot. It's kind of very same to Khan. It's just like, oh, you don't belong. Like, here. like, like Leone, I'll give him credit. He dropped the whole thing of the, the backstory about Cheyenne. You know what I'm saying? With his Mexican roots, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, like, but he's still brown faced. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, oh, already, yeah, but yeah. they brown faced robots up. I mean, it's not as egregious as Bronson is definitely brown faced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I had to that is... <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry, I had to. Bronson is definitely brown facing here, you mm. know what I'm saying? It's like. You know, saying, but Robar is like, you know, as Cheyenne, he's definitely like, you know, kind of dropped that because it's like, there's no way people are going to believe this guy's a Mexican. But like, he definitely tried, <laughs> oh, he definitely did... tried a harmonica. Oh, yeah. You know but oh, like, yeah. Look. Well, he would go into Dakusaka and it's like, yes, yeah, Rod Steiger, definitely Mexican. You're watching the performance going, what the fuck? Um, I love that. Yeah. And I'll get into it when we do the episode. But like, um, like, no, yeah. like, he, like, like, here's the thing, like, once Upon a Time in the West is a movie that makes me question how much of a Latino I really am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, no, like straight up and down, it's like, because I've taken points off of other films for having brown face in them. Like, I was a part of the House of Screams horror podcast, and we discussed um, Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead. And like, you know, everybody was giving it perfect scores, but I dropped a point or two off that because as much as I love it, I can't sanction uh, George Romero having fucking John Amphilus, a white actor playing Rodriguez, the Puerto Rican in the opening sequence of that fucking movie because it's like, uh, George Romero, I love you, but boy, they know fucking Puerto Ricans in Pittsburgh that you could have cast to play the Rodriguez character. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But with Once Upon a Time in the West, you have two prominent characters who are playing Latino characters. You know what I'm saying? You have two, you know, non-Latino uh, actors playing Latino characters. And it's like, eh, well, you know, I could, I could oversee that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, this movie's so much of a fucking masterpiece. I'm like, eh, like you know, let's just let's just oversee that. You know yeah, what I'm and as much as Jason Robards is brown faced in this movie, I still think he's at his hottest, which I don't know what that says about me. Like, <laughs> um, I, I mean, like you you say that. I was expecting that. Wow. I would tap Cheyenne in a second. Uh, it's <laughs> and I do and I do and I do love his performance and i'm kind of glad that they didn't overt i mean yeah I, it took me a couple of watches to go oh shit i thought it was yeah he's um he's meant to, he's, he's latino oh okay oh shit okay finally only you, you were in spain it's not like you couldn't have anyway and then you're filming it, in it, monument it, valley you could have but you needed the names okay fine well, but his performance is right, so good like, that i no. told, i'm always overlooking that and i know i should no, like Here's the thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, definitely robots, but can we talk about Bronson for a oh, second? Oh, that, that red shirt. He is 
not like Marvel. No, it's like, funny when he's asking Jill, like, can I get water? I want it to be like, oh, I like chicken. Like, I want him to yeah. say that from 10 to midnight so bad, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Chicken's pie. good. Chicken. Oh, yeah, good. pie, like pie, chicken. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was yeah. pie. And I hate, I hate keeps no, no, no. pie. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> No, like, but like, I, I definitely, in, when this call, like, you know, when we discussed what's going on with this, I, I wanted to bring up Bronson because it's, it's easy to dismiss Bronson as an actor because, you know, you know, you bring up Bronson, you know, and immediately, you know, the Death Wish films, and I love the Death Wish films as perverse as they are. You know, uh, you know, particularly the ones that Michael Winter made because he was just a fucking scumbag. You know, he was um, he was uh, very upfront about his scumbaggery, which I don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, you know, what I'm saying, but like, yeah, like you know, Bronson. You know, what I'm saying he does these. You know, people think of Bronson and they think of like Death Wish and Ten to Midnight. Like they think of these low brow the vigilantes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and like Murphy's you know, they, they, yeah, yeah, they seem to forget just how great of an actor he was because you know. Especially in this movie, he's playing alongside heavyweights. You know what I'm saying? Like, particularly like Henry Fonda. You know, Henry Fonda was one of our, our greatest living actors. You know what I'm saying? He's going toe to toe with him. And he's just extraordinary with the fact that, like, like Bronson is one of those actors who I love that they just can convey entire emotions without saying any lines of dialogue. Oh, like, barely moving his face. Just his yeah, eyes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ju- just the eyes. Ju- just the eyes. Like, you know, particularly, um, for example, look at Death Wish 3. Now, um, I don't have to ask you guys. I could automatically assume that you guys respect someone like Ed Lauder. Ed Lauder yes. is one of the, the great character actors. He's one yeah. of the great, oh, yeah. that, that guy actors. Hmm. Like, oh, that guy. You know what I'm saying? Ed Lauder is one of our was one of our greatest character actors, and you know he's sorely missed in you know cinema. And he's in Death Wish Three with Charles Bronson, and you know he's playing the police captain. And uh, there's a scene in there where he's like you know he gets the idea to convince Charles Bronson to work for him to to eradicate you know the gang element. And in that scene, it's like roughly five minutes long. Ed Lauder is doing all the talk. And, you know, Ed Lauder, you know, like like I say, he's an extraordinary actor. You know what I'm saying? He's going on his whole spiel about, like, you know, delivering the dialogue about, like, how, like, you know, like, oh, like, you know, you know, I get you working for me, you know, it's just, we'll, 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 we'll create a story for the press. It's just creeps giving creeps. You know, it's just be like before, Mr. Vigilante. You're working for me, you know, he's fantastic. But compared to Bronson, Bronson is acting circles around him. Bronson says maybe like eight fucking words throughout the entire scene. <laughs> That's he crazy. really does. He doesn't actually say that much. He goes, "Look at my bazooka." Um, in in three. Right. Um, like, yeah, no, like like no. Bronson says, "Well, like you know, why'd you come back to New York? Well, it's a great city. I missed it." And you know, like it's the rest of it is Ed Lauder talking, and Bronson is just listening to the point, like you know. And then he goes, "You're cutting me loose," and like Ed Lauder's like, "Yeah, I'm cutting you loose." But like Bronson is just like you know, 
and it's all just like you know there's no real facial expressions like barely he's just moving like a fucking like like a cheek or eye like like furring a brow mm. you know say he's just like you know sitting there listening to a lot of talk and he's acting circles around well yeah no bronson now, was one think... of um bronson was one of leone's first choices for the man with no name it was either he wanted yes. fonda and then he wanted brosnan and then he went with clint eastwood um but, but yeah that it was those two and he so this is the movie where he finally got to work with the guys that he'd been wanting to work from with from nearly the beginning of when he really yeah. started making making uh westerns so yeah right. i mean just the way he just moves his cheek and just that's why he's perfect for harmonica because i mean charles bronson is a great actor i mean especially in the dirty dozen and all those kind of earlier movies before he really became sort of an action guy which this probably yeah. movie's thing but holy shit just the way he just looks at people it's just like you're deciding whether to kill them or not, aren't you? And it's awesome. Oh, I was just yeah. gonna say, like, I think he he fits into this world perfectly, like the the Leone world of this movie versus the Dollars films, because the Dollars films are as much as I as much as I, I I love them and and respect them, they are like pastiche in a way. Yes. Um, there's a there's a more of a a kitschiness oh, to the, the portrayal, and. This this movie, I'm not I'm not gonna be like those are movies. This is a film. That's not what I'm I'm getting at. But uh, which you have done before. <laughs> <laughs> I have done before. I'm not I'm not going. I'm not I'm not disrespecting Leone in this case. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, he's he's a different story. No, but um, this is. I mean, this is so stripped down. Is what I'm, I'm what I'm trying to say and grounded. And I think Bronson's acting style, where like his a part of the appeal is like his physicality and how it fits into this and how his eyes are so noticeable mm. beneath all of the admittedly brown face. Um, you're automatically drawn to him. <laughs> Rob's like, yeah, <laughs> like you're, you're drawn to his face uh, while he's a while he's not emoting, but going back and forth with the lights of Jason Robards and people like that. And um, I mean, especially because uh, one of my favorite scenes um, early on in the film is when uh, they're in the bar, uh, or excuse me, they being Jill. Jill's in the, Jill's in the bar uh, before she goes to Sweetwater. She stops there. It's the first time in the movie that they establish that there is a water shortage, yes. which is going to come up later on. And um, this is where Cheyenne comes in. His awesome theme um, uh, just is, is blaring. And everyone is is afraid of him, except for Jill, seemingly, only because she doesn't really know who this guy is. Like, no, she's just you're un... just hearing the commotion outside, and everyone's like going, "Oh shit, it's Cheyenne again!" And then he walks in, and Jill's like, "Who are you?" Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And so he's the one who reintroduces harmonica at post the opening, uh, where he's just like, you know. And then later on, there's that exchange dialogue because he's trying to figure out harmonica, and he goes. Um, Inside every every okay, I think he says, you know, I first went to a chateau one time. Inside uh, there were there were three, probably what he says uh, three something, and then inside there were three men. Inside three men there are three bullets, and then yeah. Cheyenne threatens up with a gun and says, like, I bet you, like you can play music, but can you count to two? And then and then he says something, and then Cheyenne goes, um, you know, since I have to. You know, I could also count to six, and mm. and it, it's such a a great piece of of dialogue. But it only stuff scenes like that only happen when you have an actor who is reactionary like that, and, and is able to compliment 
more dramatically attuned actors. And so I do agree with Rob that Bronson is underrated as a performer at times, possibly because of his more campier fare um, that, uh, that is a bit more ironic in enjoyment. Is in, I've been on Lindsay's show before singing the praises of Bronson. We've done Bronson um, a couple of times, yeah. We, yeah, this is our third, uh, which is yeah. interesting. I just remember um, when and, you mentioned Tender Midnight, I'm like, oh yeah, we did Tender Midnight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, we're we're no stranger to exalting the the the, Bron- the Bronson, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I think he's wonderful here. Um, and uh, and him and Robards both, just the, in spite of the um, the the aforementioned um, uh, makeup, but uh, yeah, they play off well off. They do play well off each other. Like there's you mm-hmm. can when he comes and gets them on the train with the with the boot and just hanging down, it's just like. Oh, this is See, so good. I mean, that's classic Italian cinema where, where like, logically, like, how would the gun be in the boot? But yes. such an amazing scene that just breaks up. Yeah, because it's just, like, you would have to, like, it, but, like, it's all part of the image. And yeah. I think part of it, too, I appreciate that image so much because it comes after, it's the, really the second time you hear the music that, that's genuflecting to what we would find out is Harmonica's flashback of his uh, brother being killed mm. at Frank's at Frank's men's uh, hands, and uh, you, it, it's that like like mm. I don't know I can't I can't I sound I'll, I'll sound Morricone was a genius I still I think this is I mean I know he's more well known for the good the bad yes. the ugly but I think in terms of Western this is this is my favorite of yeah Western. like yeah, yeah like his 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 score in here is his masterpiece. Like the harmonica's theme is oh. just like one and the of way the it most... works into him playing the harmonica is just like genius. Like, yeah. like, 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 yeah, like you know, like it, it. That that's why that final duel between him and harmonica and Frank is so important to me as far as like, on like you know just loving film and like you know in like composition and just like you know direction and staging and blocking and everything it it, it all comes from that final duel between harmonica and frank oh, because just the way he like, turns around and is shocked like again because leone loves an up shoot especially when he's in with frank the camera's often down looking up at frank just to sort of make him more menacing so right. when you get the losing right. shot it's, it's constantly going up on on fonda um and that's the first time you see him it's not like everything else which is the zoom front it's which is a leone zoom it's the zoom up um but then when yeah. he's doing the zoom, he's doing a zoom up but frank is bending over like and oh my god i've been shot like it's yeah it, it's it's just like so the good. whole it's like the whole duel lasts like just short of nine minutes and it's like it's in my really opinion short. The most, yeah, like the most, everything important, else. the most important nine minutes of cinema ever, you know what I'm saying? Because it tells the whole complete story, you know, it's so like, you would, like, Rob, I, no, I, just ahead, want, I wanted to ask you really quick, like on that note, like, cause I, I agree with you, but would you, would you put, cause I had this thought today that I haven't had before for, and I've seen the movie many, many times, but, um, would you put this duel against the XC of gold? Because I think, because I feel like uh, that music track and then the ending of the whole ending of The Good, Bad, and Ugly, it's so ingrained in pop culture that that's a part of like that movie's more popular appeal. So would you put 
the duel in this movie against that one. Not only would I put it against it, I, I find it superior because it, it is like like it is the pinnacle of visual storytelling. Because it like 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 I I don't know if you remember, but I had that uh, tweet on on Twitter where I stated that um, one of my favorite action movie tropes is where. Uh, the hero takes down an entire criminal gang, empire, organization, just to kill one guy. Mm. And mm. that is, you know, this film, an example, because you know, Harmonica is essentially doing that, where it's like, you know, he take he helps take down, like, you know, Morton's whole criminal empire just to get to Frank, like, to the point where, uh, where Morton pays off Frank's gang to take him out and Harmonica helps him defeat them so he can have Frank to himself. Frank to himself. Yes, because yep. Jill yeah. asked him, why did you save him? He goes, yeah. there's a difference between like, saving someone and... Yeah. Yeah, I can't right. remember the exact line, but he's pretty much... He, he, yeah, he wants yeah, to kill Jill, him. Yeah. Jill, Jill was like, you know, like you saved him. He was like, no, I just didn't let his men kill him, which is not the same That's, thing. That is the line, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. like she she does she doesn't understand like why would you do this? And then, you know, because of that right that that, that statement he says right there, she's like, I kinda get it. You know what I'm saying? I was like, sure, you know what I'm saying? It's not the same thing. I realize he you, wants you something more. Huh? You do have a point. So I'm I'm thinking back to the duel in in uh Once Upon Time in the West that we're referring to, and I will say no, as much as iconic and as much of a tattooed on my brain as the ecstasy of gold climax of the the other movie is and will ever will be nothing nothing in the good the bad and lovely i think is as visually effusive as inside of the duel like after the guns go off and frank frank's in like frank's body like turns to the side because he just can't believe that he's been that he's done there's um it quickly cuts to jill's face as she's like like just like her eyes are going back and forth like what the hell because she's still in the house with cheyenne so she's not actually seeing it but she's hearing it isn't she from yes and then and then cheyenne is just lighting up like a cigar like nothing nothing's uh phased him and Mm. then that's when the that's when there's that subtle edit back into the 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 main event and the and now the aftermath and so Rob, I think you're correct. I, I never would have thought about it like that. Uh, now that you said that, but no, you're right. It is like maximum visual. I mean, this whole movie you can kind of frame a painting. Uh, pick your oh, pick your yeah. you know, pick Oh your no, frame, no, but... mo- no, no, most definitely. That's why I love it so much. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like the like the way like Leone like perfectly encapsulated like the relationship because. You know, it, like if if you you know watch that sequence, you know the, the this final duel between the two of them, you will see that like Harmonica has been waiting for revenge against Frank for years. You know what I'm saying? Because right. you see that you know he he was like a teenager, and that uh, that death scene of his and, brother and, is brutal. Like yeah. when you realize what Frank did, you're like, oh, oh yeah. fuck, yeah, it's a right. oh like, Jesus. And, like, you know, and then when Frank continuously asks him who he is, he's just naming off members of the gang. 
which Harmonica has killed throughout the years, you know what I'm saying? To, you know, to get him up to Frank, you know, because Frank Jim Davis has been dead a long time ago. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, he's just naming dead men. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, it's like you, you you get to understanding that these are our men Harmonica has killed, like, you know, because Frank is the one individual he's set upon. You know what I'm saying? And it's like the way Leone crafts the sequence where it's like they're setting up for this duel and Harmonica goes and stands off in a singular position and he stands there, whereas Frank is circling around him. And it's a beautiful, like, 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 way, like, you know, to basically visualize, like, the, the confrontation between the two because it's like, Frank doesn't realize yet who Harmonica is, so he's, like, circling around where he's basically coming, one like, 80, where it's just like, you know, I ruined this kid's life, and then I went on to do my thing, but then it's like, I'm coming back around because yeah. it's like, karma is reaching me. And it's like Harmonica is oh, standing yeah. in the same Harmonica is standing in the same spot waiting for him to get it because Harmonica has been living with this moment ever since it happened. So he's like, he's waiting for Frank to come back to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, and everything he's done to this point is just like, yeah, come back. Yeah. No, it's, come, it's, come, come <laughs> I yeah. love I love Frank's art because when you first see him and he shoots this with the kid and then he hit, hooks up and you find out he's been working with Morton. And Morton has got a criminal enterprise, but it's got this kind of um, sheen of ex um, acceptability. Like, it's the whole railroad. It's like, you, the guys who built the rail railroad over America were the most corrupt people you could ever imagine. And this is kind of what Morton yeah. represents. And he's all kind of mechanical. Like, he's, he's braced, he can't walk, he's not fully a human in the movie's terms he he's not disease. fully he's diseased yeah he's yeah and yeah. it's kind it's of eating at, at his limbs it's, it's eating at yeah. his limbs and it's kind of this amazing look at capitalism and kind of but the in the in the end of the movie the good capitalism wins it's jill going forth to build this town that is westward expansion which is still sort of this colonialist text but it's the that's the capitalism you want it's not what morton and frank i mean frank is doing that whole thing of the criminal He's gotten so much wealth and kind of thing that he wants to buy property so he can go legit. It's literally string a bell in the wire. It's like, I'm going to buy real estate and now so I can actually leave the criminal world, but now I'm going to be presentable human exactly. being. I'm not and, going to be a and criminal. Like, and it, it right, doesn't and, go that way. Yeah. And 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 the, the, the protective men like Cheyenne and Harmonica ride off into the sunset because, you know, there's that whole thing why the fuck is my hand raised on this? Show? I don't know, but you raised um, your hand when you raised your hand. It was adorable. <laughs> I, I, I have no fucking idea why it's there. I, I, I literally did nothing, but whatever. Um, no, but um, like you know, because there's that whole theory that Harmonica is like the, the avenging angel ghost. Yes. I mean, which makes sense because you know that was Leone's whole he, thing with, with, with yeah, with like he's got he's now. got the. He's got the light clothing compared to Frank's dark clothing. And he's wearing you know white. Saying? I mean, that man has confidence that he is wearing white in the desert. Now, not only is he wearing white, he has a pink shirt on. Yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, like, no, but like what I was saying that is like, you, you look at Harmonica throughout the whole sequence, he stands in place and he's got that slight smile on his face where he's like, and he's got his leg up like he's fucking Captain Morgan. And he's just like, you know, 
it, this is it, you know, I, I'm getting my final moment, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm getting what I've been waiting for all this time, you know, this confrontation with Frank. And, you know, Frank does has no idea what the fuck is going on, you know what I'm saying? Because he's a fucking idiot, you know? And then, like, you know, he's circling around, like, you know, like I said, because he's coming full circle. He's coming back to, you know, his karma. And then, like, you know, the, that beautiful moment where it's like, Leone fashions it where he's like, you know, like I say, he, like, Harmonica's smiling, but then, like, he's having the flashback. He's remembering exactly why he's here, you know, exactly what happened to him and his brother. And then you have that beautiful moment where you have the close-up, the, you know, that panning close-up of Bronson, you know, onto his eyes. And, like, you could see, like, right before it closed in on his eyes, his mouth parts. Because, like, you know, it's just that moment where it's just like, now I remember why I'm here. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I remember what I came here to do. And then, like, you know, you see the flashback and, like, you know, in, you know, in all its glory, per se, you know what I'm saying? You see exactly why Harmonica's here and why he, you know, he's kept Frank alive and shit so he can have him for himself. And, like, you know, you see what Frank and his gang did to Harmonica and his brother. And like you see it in pure clarity, picture perfect clarity. And then like, you know, when like, you know, it shows the brother fucking like, you know, relieving Harmonica of his guilt, like, you know what I'm saying? Because he doesn't want Harmonica to live with the guilt of his death. So like trying yeah, to plays like a silent movie. Yeah. It's yeah. like a mini silent movie, yeah. Yeah. He 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 kicks Harmonica off because, you know what I'm saying? It's like you know, I'd rather die than let my brother live with his guilt of, like, fucking, mm. you know, trying to hold me up. And then, like, your harmonic falls. And then, like, one of, like, my favorite cut, like, it, probably my favorite cut of all time was like, you see a harmonica drop and a Neo Marconi score stops playing. And then it cuts to this, like, bang! You're dead. Mm. Like, he, he, he fucking gets Frank dead, dead bang. Yeah, and then like you know, Frank is tr- tr- like, the, the, there's a surprise like, oh shit, he got me. Mm. Like yeah, he's trying to put so his he gun tries back to put the holster, holster back in, yeah. and like yeah. he, he slips yeah. and it drops. Yeah, yeah. right, right, like yeah, you know, and like you remember like throughout the movie, he's been asking Harmonica this whole time, "Who are you? Who are you? Who are you?" And then like you know, like right before this final uh, confrontation, he asks him, "Who who are you?" and like, you know, tell me who you are, and Harmonica's plays only at the point of time. Mm. So, he's got Frank dead bang, and Frank is like, he's about to die, so he's like, who the are you? Yeah, and like, you know, that that is just one of the most beautiful moments, where Harmonica walks up to him, and he pulls the Harmonica off, and he puts it in Frank's mouth. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and you realize that the tune that Harmonic is playing is the tune that, like, he wasn't even trying to play the tune. It was just what he was, you know, trying to struggle to hold his brother up. Well, he was, was yeah. The, yeah, the air that was blowing through. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And he's been playing that tune ever since, you know, which became his, like, you know, his theme. And then, like, he, he puts it in Frank's mouth, and Frank looks up and he remembers, and it's like that, that little nod, like, now I remember you. And he drops dead right there. You cannot tell me. Like, when, when, when fucking, like, 
he puts the harmonica like the whole like the, the length of the duel to the point where he puts Bronson puts the harmonica in his father's mouth and like you know I remember who you are and he drops dead to the, while Bronson watches him fucking drop dead with no emotion on his face you cannot tell me that is the pinnacle of filmmaking right there the pinnacle of acting the pinnacle of storytelling the pinnacle of fucking directing right Editing. there in fucking nine minutes nine fucking minutes you cannot tell me that Sergio Leone did not reach the peak of filmmaking. They should have stopped making fucking movies after this. 1968 and we're done. No, I mean, that is there is kind of a truth to, to that in sense of, because he does this multiple times throughout the movie. There is these little nine, 15 minutes, nine minute kind of little mini movies within the whole movie, which is how I think you should do a big long movie like little arcs mm. like the first one has a contained arc it's a contained story you get jack elam with his whole arc with the goddamn fly you have um <laughs> everyone has a full kind of arc and then it ends with uh bronson killing them all well woody strode like uh literally taking using his head to take down the drop uh the drops of water yes, and, and apparently that was yeah and woody strode apparently said no to moving because he wanted to show that uh leonie that he was a badass i'm like yeah fuck you should you're amazing wow. you strode. um because he says we can move he's like no um i like it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing, we're doing the hat and they went okay we're working with this it's this whole kind of um story then you get these little arcs like in the bar and then with the auction and then with that everything's kind of these contained amazing little capsules of their own little movie that kind of broaden out to a massive movie and i think that is kind of incredible and i don't think even at the time i don't think you saw it that often um and i think it was smart because it carries you through the whole movie i mean yeah there's the peaks and valleys but each is so contained and each has their own little contained little arc that it ends so they, they, and they are longer scenes comparatively to even what was happening in in, in the 60s and what would even oh, the sure. 70s i think you see it a little bit more but each little these scenes all have their own little arc to them exactly how rob was describing when um harmonica harmonica shoots frank it's that exact same thing it has a beginning a middle and an end and i think that's kind of how the genius of this movie apart from the acting apart from the performances I think everyone gives outstanding performances, but I think that's the true genius is that there are these little snippets within the whole of the big hole that make up the the broader picture of what society is, who gets to stay, the revenge, everything like that, but they're all little contained. And yeah, I think that's why it's one of the greatest Westerns of all time. And no, I don't think, I, if Larry hadn't seen a Western, I'd be like, no, don't watch, don't watch this movie. It's going to confuse you because it's going to confuse anyone. If you show a baby this movie, they're going to go, What's this? If you show them Tombstone and you show them Wild Wild West and you show them an Anthony Mann and a whole bunch of other Westerns, <laughs> and then you get to this, you're like, oh, I get it. This is the genius of what filmmaking is in terms of the score, the editing, the cinematography. I mean, this so many shots in this movie are just pure art. Um, but it, everything comes together to make a true masterpiece. And do I think if I was going to say what the greatest movie is, I would actually say Once Upon a Time in America because I think that thing breaks what a movie is and doesn't put it back together. And I think you're left with a, mm -hmm. I don't know what I just witnessed kind of thing. 
But my 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 father yeah. would agree with you because he is a huge fan of Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I would I would disagree with him because uh Once Upon a Time in the West is just like you know uh like I I always like I, I, I meant to bring this up earlier, you know what I'm saying? It's a great time to bring it up now. But um I remember I remember I mentioned this to you, Lindsay, you know what I'm saying? I remember if it was on you know, on mic or what is good, but uh, like my mother, like I mean, like I mentioned in this week, you know, what I'm saying my mother mentioned, you know, what I'm saying for me, you know, the shining, the French Connection, with flew in the cuckoo's nest, and she was like, you know, if you haven't seen these, you do know shit about movies, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying, and I don't even think she realized, like, you know, she wanted me to broaden my horizons, but I didn't really think she knew what she was doing at the time, was just like, you know, opening me up to like all of cinema. You know, see, she she later amended that, like, to also include The Godfather and The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz being her all-time favorite movie, where it's just like, you know, like, she didn't, like, even understand, but, like, I get it, where it's just, like, understanding the language of cinema. You know what I'm saying? Like, understanding, like, you know, cinema is an art form. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to understand it, like, in, in its, its purest forms. And like, you know, those five films, you know, that I mentioned right there are just like, you know, absolutely, you know, it's just like a great place to start with. But, you know, I also wanted to continue on from that, you know what I'm saying? So I added my own films and Once Upon a Time in the West is also amongst them. It's just like, you know, if you want to understand how beautiful cinema can be and like how it could just be like, you know, where it's like cinema is an art form. Once upon a time in the West is up there, you know. So also, you know, uh, Ben Hur, The Wages of Fear, The Conversation, which you know me and you have been talking about, as well as Blowout, mm. uh, Days of Days of Heaven, oh, uh, yeah. Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now, Vampire, uh, John Woo's Bullet in the Head. You know what I'm saying? I mean. I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm gonna add more to them, but like those films right there is just like you know what I'm saying? It was like I remember when the whole thing with Martin Scorsese versus Marvel started and like people didn't understand what he was trying to say, like, oh he was against comic book movies, you know, he's against and you know what I'm saying, like he's trying to stop what's going on here and it's like no I completely understand what he's saying and I agree with him because cinema is just the most beautiful thing and while I love comic books you know what I'm saying I will always choose the side of cinema and like you know I, I, I can never turn my back on it so it's like you know well his I, pulp yeah. Scorsese's pulp yeah. was movies like this like this is one of yes. his big touchstones yeah. is this movie. So it, 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 it I mean, you know, it, it does make sense of the argument. Like, what, what's, what superhero film is Leone good? You know, or yeah. or Scorsese good or Spielberg good? You yeah. know, there's, you know, there. It, it just, <clears throat> you know, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, I and I wanted to ask y'all, you know, just really briefly, like, just about Frank as a character. In addition to his villainy, um, I really love the point, Lindsay, that you made about how there's kind of a mini movie going on. And so I wanted to ask y'all, you know, what do y'all make of the mini movie that's happening with, between Frank and Morton? 
because what I find so fascinating about that is Morton is kind of the person who sets this all into motion. Obviously, Frank being Frank, he's going to take it into his own nefarious means, which the motivation um, in, in, in the current events of the movie is that he wants to uh, you know, go steady and be a businessman, mm. but he doesn't know how because he's a malicious gunslinger. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to fall back into faking evidence and, uh, you know, killing children and killing families and even um, verbally and often physically abusing, you know, his own boss, you know, and, and what do y'all make of all that? Um, yeah, because because no, that's all he knows. Hmm. No, because, because mm-hmm. that's all he knows. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, that's all he's accustomed to. So it's like, there, there, there's no, like, it's not going to work for him. Like, you know, he is an outlaw to the core. You know, a businessman is something that he can never achieve, you know, so because it's like he he's, you know, he is one, like, to, to be cliche, he is one with the streets, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he, he just, you know, he, you know, Frank, could could you know he has aspiration he has goals but he can never achieve them because it's just I like this is what he knows you know what I'm saying he knows being pure of violence but you know what I'm saying he likes the trappings of respectability though he he's looking at Morton going oh I would like a train like this I would like like the like, niceties yeah that, yeah, yeah. that just... respectable that respectable criminal. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that, that you know, so someone who's, like, in, in culture, you know what I'm saying, is just, like, they're a criminal but with money, and which is something he's not. He's just a black-hearted outlaw, and that's all he's ever going to be, and that's all his life is ever going to guide him to is just a violent death, which is yeah. why Harmonica is there. Harmonica is there to remind him, no, you're here. With me, <laughs> you, know what I'm you, 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 a finger and everything. Come back, yeah. come back to the dirt, my friend. This is where this yeah. is where we belong. No, because I love the yeah. idea of Morton's telling him off and saying you weren't meant to kill him; you were just meant to scare him. And his line is, "Well, no one's more scared when they're dying." Um, yeah. Right. So, because he just he just can't help himself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like violence is his only thought process. You know what I'm saying? So that's why harmonica is there. It's like, no, no, no. Come here to me. Come here to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, violence is where you deserve to be, and vi- a violent death is what you're going to get because that's all you are. Well, you yeah, you've got to remember, how... this is an Italian movie still, and, yes, it's got all the, some of the biggest American stars in it, but Leone grew up um, during World War II, and, like, in Japan, after World War II ended, the um, mafia became very, very big and very, very powerful because there was this gap of... Um, there was a lawless, there was no authority to be had because they had shot Mussolini good because the guy was a monster, but there was a vacuum of power. Same thing happened in Japan after it ended when the Yakuza suddenly became, well, they kind of filled the gaps of power and because they were criminals, they ran, they couldn't be that respectable, which is where you get all this coming, coming through. And it's kind of reflected in Frank's character. He's never going to be able to be respectable because he only knows how to be a murderous gunslinger. 
he wants the nice right. things. It's just, which is where the dynamic between him and Morton come from, I think. And it's a real fascinating one. Well, I think that's that explains why he's so perturbed by the presence of harmonica, how harmonica, by all intents and purposes, is a frank type of character if he was more self-assured, less verbose, and was less self-interested. Yes. Obviously, Harmonica is self-interested in, in his goal of one. He just has to one goal. That's no, cool, Frank. He's, that's, that's his one goal. But, like, I mean, it, it's interesting when you juxtapose the, the Morton-Frank stuff with the, the scene where Harmonica is building um, a piece of the McBain railroad, um, railroad station. And Sharon right. is like, so why the hell would you want this piece of crap land? You know, like, why would you, why would you want to buy it? And, and Harmonica is the one who reveals to us, the viewers that, you know, 50 miles West of here is, is the, is the first, the, the, the first spurt of water, yes. you know, which goes all the way back to the beginning of the movie where it establishes that the land is almost barren with water. Like it's, it, it's effectively the, uh, the desert. It's dying. Uh, the town, uh, the town that they're in is dying because there is no water. It's essentially Chinatown. It's who owns the water. Of yes. The, yeah. Yeah. And, it, no, and, and there's a need for industrialization that way. Yes. That way, and uh, and and that scene, because I what I was get, what I was getting to earlier was um, uh, Harmonica explaining, you know, why the town is important, why the location is important, and why the railroad is important. Um, directly contrast what's going on with Frank and, and Morton, which is always a bit of chastisement. There's never any productive progress, which ultimately, and Lindsay, you said this earlier, where. Um, Jill is kind of the ideal version of capitalism where she's, you know, she wanted to basically get away from her life of making fast money, having to sell her body, et cetera. Um, yeah, or com basically commodification into being a self-starting businesswoman. That is the kind of the, that was the goal of manifest destiny. And I think the literalization of that through just one character who controls everything that is Leone distilling this genre down to its bare essentials yeah. and making it like somehow more timeless than it already was. It, and it's it's kind of got this weird speculation thing going on because no one knew. I mean, um, McBain chose, got lucky when he bought the cheap land out in Sweetwater. Yes. Everyone thought it was a dud. He finds out there's water. He can build a station. He knows he's going to get rich. And then it's that whole idea of when you make it rich. I mean, Scorsese's about to release a movie that's all about this with the kills of the, the flower moon. But it's got this kind of speculation yeah, kind of thing going on, which is the which is capitalism. It's about luck. And then it's about these people who were running around, these people who got lucky, trying to bring them down. And I think no other movie I have seen um, really kind of gets that, um, maybe except for maybe Force of Evil, um really gets that sort of notion of how it actually works and the kind of forces that are running around it and he's this is not the only thing he's saying he's sort of saying everything else it's like kirk going on to where no man has gone before to kind of see what he can find star chasing i think they sort of say you're star chasing in the movie right. and then you've got this but he's the one you want to follow he's the good version of society his version is kind of what we want to aspire to you have Khan over there who's just grinding one thing. It's like you did this one thing to me where now I have been exiled and I am not part of this good, great land that you're creating. I'm going to come and get you and I'm going to come and destroy you. And this is right. why I think this double is so genius, Preston, because it's both of these elements of what society is and the forces within them that are just 
malevolent, but they are a natural part of what the system we have created. If that makes well, sense. Well, when something is so perfect, because in the in the case of of, of the Star Trek world, like that that world is 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 meant to be perf- a perfect yes. world, and it's a utopia. The adventures, mm-hmm. yeah, and the 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 adventures of the franchise are are exploratory because it's like okay, we perfected where the core of the what the core of the Federation is. Let's explore and try to um, in a, in a, in a in a way that I think a lot of people don't realize about Star Trek. There's a there's a progressive approach to kind of an imperialism going on. Yes. But uh, but but it, it, it's, it's very interesting col- how... Star Trek is still about colonialism, but they're trying to do it in a nice way. They're trying to sort of say... Yeah. Well, yeah. Where there's... Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of done in the way that we think it should be done kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. In this movie, it's like everyone like Cheyenne even like tries to tries to ask Harmonica like you know like well wouldn't you want x amount of money for this and everything with Cheyenne Frank Morton it all comes back down to money yeah and Harmonica and Jill are kind of the outliers and you would think Jill would be the opposite because she literally inherits this whole land and this dynasty through well, the, uh, and the first thing she does she's looking for fast cash and the, she just wants to sell like she doesn't want anything to do with it until she's kind of realizes oh actually i can build something bigger here yeah 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 it's 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 a it's a pretty amazing thing that happens here but that's that's the time that's the type of i think that's the thing about leone's west is that he's interpreting our history or, or excuse me american history um uh early american history that is um um before a certain point in time while he's interpreting how that was interpreted by American film, oh, yes. filtered through his own distinct perspective from a country that is that was, you know, pillaged and pillaged through, through 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 like thousands of of years, and I've I've always found that interesting about him, and I think with this movie, um, part of the uh, the the part of the the excuse me. I keep stuttering. Uh, part of the um, the quality of it do- also has to do with the fact that he was working with a lot of geniuses this time around. Leone, through the Dollars trilogy, had garnered a kind of international eyes on him, and it kind of popularized the subgenre of spaghetti westerns. And here, the screenplay is co-written by Sergio Donati, who I want to give a shout out to because I feel like the con- uh, the contributions that he made to the script. I mean, he also co-wrote for a few dollars more. The big gun down with Lee Van Cleef, which is always almost mm. a trailer because I think that movie's a banger. Uh, Duck You Sucker, um, and then the story treatment that the screenplay was based on had contributions from the lights of Bertolucci and Argento. So there's just it. a lot. Of- there, there's a story that they I can't remember what movie. I think they'd just gone to see a movie. It was Argento, Bertolucci, and freaking Leone, which I and they walked out and they came up with the story for this thing. And I'm just like, I want to be in that bar because you know it was in a bar, like. There's something all alcohol was involved. <laughs> and I want to be there when they kind of pieced it together. And then yeah, Leone went out with uh, what's his name and, and wrote it. But I'm just like, Jesus Christ, that's <laughs> like the three giants of Italian movies just coming up with this story. And I'm like, whoa. And that's what happens when you combine genius together. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it's, I know it's getting late for you guys, so we'll probably should start wrapping it up because you're probably very, very tired, boys. Um, once, <laughs> final thoughts on Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> no, I'm fine. It's just my ass. 
that have been sitting in the same spot for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, well, once upon a time in the West, I don't really know what I can say about it that I haven't really said. It's just like it's you know, it's a perfect masterpiece. It, it, Larry, yeah, watch it's it. A, it, it, it. It's cinematic <laughs> perfection. It, it's truly cinematic perfection, and it's like if if you want to understand what cinema can do for you and what cinema can do, like, you know, what cinema can be is pure art, then Once Upon a Time in the West is just, you know, the end will be all for that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there are other films, like I, like I mentioned, Days of Heaven by Terrence Malick and Blowout by Brian De Palma and Apocalypse Now by uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and it's just like those films transcend just you know simple movie making and just are pure art. Where it's just like you know cinema in this purest form, where it's just like the most beautiful thing you have ever encountered, you know. And it's just like like you know, as a start, there's Vampire. You know what I'm saying? In the 1930s, and then there's Wages of Fear in the 1950s, and then in the 1960s, there's Once Upon a Time in the West, and it's just the most beautiful thing. And it's just like, if you really appreciate cinema as, you know, you know, just wanted, uh, you know, just experiencing it in its purest form, then you could do no better than always. Is it's just like as I, as I told Larry on Twitter, a better film than this you will never find. Nope. It's it. Once upon a time in the West is just mwah, perfection. Preston. Yeah, perfection. Preston, any final thoughts? Sure, sure. Um, at the risk of, uh, <laughs> at the risk of of, you know, because I I suspect there are listeners who um, have not seen this movie mm. either because like they're not into older films. They they're still getting into westerns, dipping their toe in them, or um, they're they're just new to cinema as yeah. opposed to you know, just you know movies. And it's a and three I hour think, slow western. Like it is kind of a thing you do have to build yourself up. So definitely, definitely. And I think um, if I am going to speak for for myself when I first saw this versus now, I think what astounds me is that uh, in addition to you know being that opus where you get something new every time you watch it which which i definitely did on this most recent viewing and i've learned a lot just unearthing certain um nuances of it with you two i i feel like this movie is just enrapturing i feel like if you do just trust the filmmaker much like you know where we you know throughout this whole episode we've talked about franchises and brands and and only a few times like really highlighting filmmakers and really trusting cinema as an art form. I think if you're inexperienced with Leone, if you do listen to Lindsay's show and, and listen to her series on Leone, please know that Leone is a filmmaker that you can just trust to not waste your time as long as a lot of these movies can be. Um, I think with this one in particular, I think this is the maximum ideal of you're, you're really going to make, you're really going to get a, a full meal out of this it's not empty calories. It is top tier filmmaking from a genre that didn't really need a lot of uh, magic or 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 uh, spectacle 
to 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 complement what it had to say. And this movie does have a lot to say about film uh, in a almost made a sense, and also just about the human condition. Mm. And uh, that's why it's one of my favorite films. It's just so packed with a lot of ideas that um, that just made me the fan of genre movies that I am today. And um, obviously, I think it's the finest hour of many people involved, if not all of them. And um, ultimately, I just think it's a banger. So uh, those are my final thoughts. No, it is. It's it's kind of a perfect masterpiece. It's everything you want. As Preston said, it says so many things even just about filmmaking and the human condition that it's it's yeah please if you've never watched it we spoiled it but i think there's something about experiencing that movie for the first time especially that opening scene and then just realizing oh my god i'm gonna get a feast of of filmmaking and it's 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 incredible um yeah so we might as well just wrap up thank you so much for listening thank you both for coming on this has been amazing as i thought it would be um i loved it so much it was fun to hang out and um yeah, I just quickly, uh, Preston, where can people find your good work? Definitely. Um, I am on Twitter at P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T, or um, you can find me on Letterboxd at P-R-E-S-T-O underscore M-I-T-C-H, where I'm plugging away at uh, often uh, Leone-linked reviews of movies, uh, some of my first takes, if not my meditative ones. And yeah, just uh, I love connecting with movie fans on both platforms and uh, feel free to hit me up there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Please follow because he's an amazing fellow. And Rob, please tell people where they can find your good work. Oh, where do I begin? My favorite part of uh, doing these parts of these shows is Um, Of course, you can find me at the Cinedrunky on Twitter, as well as, uh, I guess, the cinema joking on threads because threads is a thing now as well as uh blue sky um you know what i'm saying because we got so many fucking uh, social media things now it's ridiculous um but also uh my podcast with uh great friend uh patrick vicious um chainsaws and claws uh where we discuss slash movies and monster movies at uh, Chainsaw's Claws on Twitter, as well as Instagram and uh, Blue Sky and Threads, because I bullied Patrick into doing uh, a Threads account. He did not <laughs> want to do it, but uh, no, you go where I go. So, uh, <laughs> you, you, you you better be on there, motherfucker. He was like, God damn it. And so like he's on there. But uh yeah, that's uh and wherever podcasts uh wherever you listen to podcasts, particularly Apple and Spotify, uh with air as well as other uh, podcast outlets uh chase those chase those and um, yeah, that's that, that that's it because I can't really remember anything else because just um, <laughs> the, the the booze has completely taken over, so I'm just kind of like trying to remember it as best as I can, and I'm not, so I'm just giving up at this point. So like, yeah, all those things that that that's that's where I'm at per se. I'm gonna remember shit later, and I'm like, oh, I should have said that, and then it's like, no, nah, never mind. 
Uh, no, yeah. it's, it's it's always it's a pleasure, Rob. It's always the best. Um, yeah, you can find Shock and All on all the pods. Um, if you want to rate and review, Spotify and Apple has those functions. Uh, follow me on Shock and All One on Twitter and Instagram. I think I am Shock and All One also on Threads uh, as well because I'm trying that out, seeing how it goes. Um, and yeah, and also on Letterbox as Reading Geek uh, and and also on Twitter. So too many social media things. Uh, something needs to crash and burn um so i can <laughs> not recite the meaning but yeah thank you so much for coming on guys this was an amazing discussion talking about two masterpieces with two of the best and yeah next week we'll be back with a with another clint leone yeah thank you we'll be back with another double feature all right thanks guys bye <laughs>